The Coco Nation Show is an unscripted, live, and interactive broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own, and not necessarily those of the Coco Nation Show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds are encouraged, and a sense of humor is recommended. Thank you for being a part of the Coco Nation. Radio Shack. Okay. What? The 80s called. Welcome to the Coco Nation. The world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousins. Try. Okay, maybe this will be a little better. Let's try this. It's uh, not better if they can hear us. <laughs> really? Okay, let's see if we can start this over again, this time with audio instead of just lip reading. So, episode 320, no, 332. <laughs> Boy, I'm getting all messed up today. Am I you on really Coco Talk? Rehearsal. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, let's see. Today is the end of Septandy, last day for that event. Tandy yep. Assembly today. And, and, tomorrow. and tomorrow. And the Rocky Mountain Pinball Showdown and Game Room Expo is also on in Colorado. And the Interim Computer Festival is on today and tomorrow in Seattle, Washington. And if anybody remembers, hopefully they'll call in and give us a report. Uh, we got somebody lined up for Tandy Assembly. Should be here in about 10 minutes. Okay, so um, you guys out in the chat, uh, is the audio fixed now? Hope so. Yep. Okay, I see. Oh no, the audio is on. So yeah, right. Tom Eric's uh, <laughs> you know requesting Oops. silence again. All right. So 
Uh, let's see who we got on here today. Yours truly. Oh, I need to flip this other button over here. All right. Um, top corner, yours truly. Next over, Ron Delvo. Hi, welcome to the Coco Nation. And Rick Uland. Hi, I'd like to point out, also, it's the end of September. It's also the end of Moss Timber. So can the earworm die now? Six, five, two. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's see. Bob Emery. Who froze on us. <laughs> well, it's cold there where you live. Oh, Bob. Hello. How there you, buddy? There he is. <laughs> Hi, Bob. Okay, next up we got Sloopy Malibu. Greetings. And Marco. Whose lips are moving, but we can't hear a thing. You sound Stop great, bragging. Marco. Just, just like us at the beginning. Stop bragging, uh, Mark. Yeah. Ah, Mark cat, Mark. cat moved my slider down. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. I'm blaming it on the cat. Yeah, didn't make it to Seattle, but I'm here with you guys today. Glad to be here. You forgot to duct tape, duct tape the cat to the wall. Yeah, exactly. And next up, we got David Ladd. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show today. I'm happy to be here, and I hope you're happy to be here with all of us. To experience the Coco Nation firsthand, all about the Tandy Radio Shack color computers and compatibles. That's a great David yeah. Ladd impersonator there, but he's got the wrong beverage. And, and <laughs> it's sure, I had to turn down the color on my uh, monitor. All right. And next up, Bell Cutter Spoil. Welcome to the show, everyone. And uh, David, I'm going to assume you're feeling better now. <clears throat> What gives you that idea, sir? <laughs> and it looks the same. Next up, we got Kevin Holloway. Hello, everybody. And for some strange reason, you have the same lamp and guitar hanging on the wall as David. Oh, I wonder what gives that away, sir. <laughs> well, I'm also eating my ho-hos. <laughs> It's all, it's all, he's, he's using a green screen. There, that's it. One of those uh, avatars or uh, backgrounds from uh, Zoom. Uh, let's see. Next up, Jason, Biz. Biz, that's right. And uh, I, uh, I'm ready to go. I've got my Diet Dr. Pepper here, unlike some people. Play with a Walmart. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right, last but not least, we have Nick Marentes. I'm always last. Good day, everyone. I don't know why that is. Well, that's because he's tomorrow. I'm on the he's already. Well, he is on the bottom of the world, so why wouldn't he yeah, be on so... the bottom of the screen? So, Yeah. Now, he's upside down, so he thinks he's first. It's <laughs> about right. Okay, so um, let's see. So until we get some oh, interviews or uh, some reports from the field, uh, got any project updates today? Melbourne. 
A question we should have asked pre. Uh, you could ask him. I could do a quick one. Did you have a question, Kevin? Because you're talking on the air anyway. Oh, <laughs> sorry. I forgot. I forgot to mute it. I just wonder what part of Australia Nick is from. Brisbane. Brisbane. Okay, that's good to know. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, he can stalk you better now. Thanks, Nick. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my, my, uh, oh, my fans do. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should have made a stop there while I was in Australia. Ah, yeah. Don't worry, Nick. You don't have to worry about Kevin stalking you. It would be me you'd have to worry about. Oh, gosh. I'm always <laughs> worried about that. Mark, did you want me to quickly go through a couple of the other upcoming shows? or? Sure. Go ahead, because we need to kind of fill some time. We're just kind of padding we'll time here. So, yeah. You already covered Tandy Assembly. We covered Ultimate Pinball. We covered the interim computer festival so the other two we've got lined up and i'll do a share screen and i don't know if it's too small for the audience to see but up in the top corner here i've got the dragon meetup uh, information actually i think that's what i was just pulling up too mm -hmm. uh where did my window go here so uh for those that are going to the Dragon Meetup, it has been moved. Um, that just got uh -oh. announced this past week. Uh, oh, like it, my screen's not showing up or oh, it moved? No, no uh oh, it moved. No, your screen's showing up. So it was uh, supposed to be at the Center for Computing History uh, at Cambridge. Now it's been moved just up the street, basically. It's a 20-minute walk from what I've been told to the Cambridge Museum of Technology. And that's because they're doing some roof repairs on the Center of Computing History which were supposed to be done by the time the meetup happens. And apparently they're behind schedule and that's not. <laughs> so they said, you know, rather than, you know, if it's, it's in England. So of course it's going to rain a lot and you don't want to be in an open air facility trying to run dragons with rain going on. So you moved it to a place with a roof. And I think. There, I updated, uh, updated the, the tag. So same date, same times, same people, same, same equipment being set up. Just move down the street a little bit to the. Uh, I have to go to Cambridge sometime because the Center of Computing History and a Museum of Technology both on the same campus that close together. I would like to see those. So there's that one, and then the other next one after Hold that. On. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I'm copying it down off the screen here, so don't make it go away on me. Oh, okay. Oh, hold on. <laughs> I think on the uh, the okay. Dragon group on Facebook, they actually have a little map that shows you like where the position is uh, okay, compared go to ahead. the original. I got the tag updated with the right name now. Okay. And the next one after that is the Portland Retro Gaming Expo, October 13th to 15th. So it's a couple of weeks away, and that's in Oregon, uh, Portland, Oregon. And uh, Mark Overholzer, are you going to make it to that one, do you think? Yeah, possibly. That's only an hour and a half drive for me. So that's doable for at least a day. Okay. I did reach out to Ken, who's actually at the um, Interim Computer Festival in Seattle, and uh, haven't heard a response yet. I don't know if he'll have time. I don't even know what time he's actually getting there. He might be there already. Uh, if he'll have time to pop on the show to give us a quick little either walkthrough or just to tell us how the show is going. Uh, we do have somebody from Tandy Assembly that should be joining us not too far in the future here, hopefully within the next few minutes. And I think he just uh, logged in. Oh, in that case, I'll stop sharing. He's muted. 
Mark, can you hear us? Glad we had this planning meeting. <laughs> <laughs> when do we start the show? Well, we did. We This was planned. He was supposed to be popping in about quarter after, and this is pretty well dead on. Wonderful. Oh, there it goes. You there, Mark? Hey. Hey, there we Hello. go. Let's figure out how to turn it around. Gonna zoom up. There we go. Yeah, working on. Of course, I've got this other problem here. All right, focus. Hmm. Oh, oh, he's I got the blur background. How do we take that up? He had the blur background turned on. So, yeah. How do I do that? Any ideas, guys? Uh, on an iPhone? I have no idea. Oh, it's uh, Android. Oh, even less of an idea. <laughs> that was helpful, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the help. <laughs> so um, this is a Zoom setting, Mark, or what is it? Yeah, no, it's uh, like yeah. when they have it. Oh, I'm sorry. Wrong, Mark. <laughs> yeah, it's just... It's blurring the background. I guess you're just going to have to get real close to everybody then. Oh, you guys keep talking. I'll figure this out in a second. I'm looking. Yeah, I, I've never turned that stuff on, so I have absolutely no okay. idea how to shut it off. Um, if you go down to the bottom, there's three dots for more. And then to go into the back, and then you should have background effects. You go into that, and uh, it looks like there's a virtual background, and one of them is blur. Or you can just set that to none. I don't see three dots anywhere on my. That's the challenge. Yeah, it Sorry. should be down by the, by the camera. It should be in the video setup. Or just hand it to Charlie. Charlie's <laughs> not here. We would be fixed. We'd be fixed if we had him here. No, yeah. tap, tap, on, tap on one of the, the pictures. Tap at the bottom of the screen, like where your video is, or and then you should get you should get a menu pop up at the bottom. Share, record, and then at the very right it says more. Eric, do you have you ever used Zoom? Yeah. Okay. How do I turn blur off? Oh, that's uh, like your background. Sounds like Eric. Hey. hey. Oh, great. We have to listen to Eric now. <laughs> oh, you love it. <laughs> well, that's a good question. I don't know. Eric, yeah. you know I have to give you a hard time, no matter where you're at. Are you in the view where you can see everyone's video? No. Okay, if you go back and that, you tap on the tap on the screen. It should give you a, on Android. It should give you a menu at the bottom, and there should be three dots that say more under it. I think we're getting closer, maybe. And there's three dots. No, and there's, there's still no dots. Three dots. There's no dots. You gotta, you gotta tap on. You gotta tap on the screen so you get where 
at the top it says leave and there's a picture of a speaker and at the bottom there should be three dots and it'll say more with a bunch of other stuff no we have stop video we uh, don't have any dots we can go back and we can see a bunch of options and we can see more when we go back what about the but it doesn't do anything there's a video okay so i was playing on the desktop there's an option under virtual backgrounds there's blur yeah so i don't know if that's on android the same way but if it I is. just enabled it and I can disable it and but it's Maybe a virtual it background, at least on the desktop one. What we're um, gonna do is we're gonna close down and we're gonna we're gonna figure this out and get back to you in a couple minutes. Sorry about that. Okay. A live blurry report from Tennis. <laughs> <laughs> Censored for your own good. All so right. I guess we got a couple more minutes to kill. Does anybody have any project updates or acquisitions? Brian Weezer will not be here today, so we can't count on him doing it. Sure, I've got a couple of quick ones. If that's okay. Sure. Highlight Mr. Rick Euland and uh we'll eat some time here and see what Rick's up to. All right. And I think I found the button I needed to fix the audio. When? I could just play a commercial. <laughs> now nah, Rick's already queued up, so okay. Ready? Where am I? There I am. Okay, first, this not such a good acquisition. I did find the six volt AC power supply that I needed for my trackball. Now oh. I can't find my trackball. So, <laughs> and, and, and the game's done anyway. <laughs> right? Uh, more solder. So that's good. And then. There's this. There's this story. Um, first off, the the problem with the uh, Coco I O is fixed. So everyone who's got one, if it doesn't work, let me know. I'll send you a chip. We can get it going. Um, what what now, did it end up being? Uh, well, the the code for the serial port was interfering with the code for the Wisnet chip, even though it wasn't supposed to. So by deleting, every, just starting from scratch and ignoring the fact that it ever had a serial port, I was able to get it working. Uh, long story short, I need to learn CUPLD rather than Galasim. Uh, program's just too weak to do much of anything with. Um, so that's all good. Um, in the way to finding that out, I got to work on my uh, test cocoa, which here it is. You'll notice the salt and the PIAs are all socketed because those are things I need to check pretty often. Uh, so now, check out this new upgrade. Not only a CPU socket, but a CPU zip socket. So I can throw them in with a quickness and try different CPUs, which also led to, of course, zip sockets on the protector and the uh, poison DAT board. So I could test those, plug them into CPUs, which makes a pretty tall stack in the cocoa. Does that still fit under the case top? <laughs> no, case don't fit. Are you kidding me? <laughs> this is, the case just kind of clears the top of the little uh, the, the, that so we're about you know a good bit too high um, but in any case uh, now I got my new lead I can make some more build splats and uh, <laughs> life is good uh, I almost heard it's Christmassy on that one 
You know, Rick, that <laughs> reminds me of uh, Adrian's uh, Ziff 64. Now you just need Ziffs in all the other sockets and completely Ziff the board. I would like Ziffs for the RAM. I, I really would because I have to test different RAMs too. And my my uh, little boomerang, well, the RAM socket is just kind of getting a little wobbly now from all of the in, plugging ins and plugging outs. So yeah, Ziff, Ziff. I wonder if that's a thing. Huh. So oh, it's good to hear you got the network card going because I, I know that's been kind of uh, in your bonnet for quite a while now. This has been a problem for two years. So I'm, I'm glad it's a, and it's the stupidest thing ever. Just using a tool that wasn't appropriate for the job and didn't quite do what it said it would do. So I'm happy to be done with it. And moving on, we've got the boot ROM almost working now. So um, that I planned to finish for some candy. Or did not. Well, somebody oh, in the chat, I think. Today. <laughs> yeah, you still got today. I know some people in the chat were mentioning Septandies when you have to start your projects by, not when you have to finish them. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which well, is good because that, be, that frees me up. <laughs> it'll certainly be done by the fest. So we're playing with, so at the point now, if you uh if you have a Copa IO, I can fix it. If you have a multi-pack and an SDC, we can get the whole Lima boot thing. Um works with the thing as it comes now i'll put a blog on, on computerconnect.com i'll put a new blog post about all this stuff i've got videos of things that have happened since then and uh... now i know before when you did have the problem like some machines are working some machines were not there seemed to be certain combinations of hardware that would cause the problem often that those are all completely clean now as far as we know um henry strickland's been my best critic because he's got a variety of cocos and he knows how to break them and so far, it's working for it. So, uh, I'm 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 feeling confident enough to spend the postage to send everyone parts. Or if you don't want to plug in the firmware, I will just exchange the the board with you. Uh, get everyone working that wants to be. And if you don't need to boot straight from the card, then I'll be able to ship cards that work. Running a multi pack for people to start writing code. And uh, like I say, I've got some videos of stuff that are. That now work, so we'll uh, start moving again. Well, I'll certainly have to get with you for the required stuff to update the firmware, since there's me and the other person that lives locally that I need to update their card that just acquired from you a month ago. Do you have the burner thing to, to do a, a 16V8? I have no idea. That's why I'll have okay. to get with you. <laughs> okay. So I can just send you the, the jet file and, and isn't it good. a isn't it a 20 pin gal? Yeah. Yeah. The uh if you have uh, one of those uh, uh auto electric uh, TL yeah. TL eight sixty six twos, yeah, they the, on my hand is a twenty pin adapter. So but we'll get it okay. done, yeah, because I need people to play with this thing. Uh it's been cool. too long. Send me the jet file and David do. It's in the Coco IO uh Discord. I didn't pin it. Ah. I'll do that. Oh, all right, cool. <laughs> I'm behind on that channel. I'm behind on everything. <laughs> Unless I'm talking about it right now, I'm behind on it. Anyway, um so I'm 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 guessing that because of the solution being yet to ditch all the code for the serial port, the serial port's going to be not part of the the final product. 
it still is not in production anywhere. So I'm going to assume the world has just passed it by and we're not going to see it anymore. Um, yeah, because you were having trouble getting the 16550s anyway, weren't you? Well, they were they were available before the thing and yeah. they went away and they have never come back and no one's even rumoring that they're going to make them again. So, yeah, so we might as well just stick with the uh, cleaner, easier to well, and debug now that, and test. And now that uh, Henry's done all the work, I mean, the, the thing boots Nitrous 9 remotely with no local storage. Uh, Mikey's doing driveware for it. So I think the serial port might... Not we can really. we can leave the serial ports for uh, serial <laughs> mice later. Exactly. We'll do we'll, well, and then we'll just do a USB interface or something. And just yeah, RPS two like David Ladd's made. Not worry about serial ports anymore. So that would be a, a boom. Oh, check this out! I also found this. No, the original DS sixty nine, not even the A or B. With this. A flippy with CC and some pictures on it. Somewhere there's a some more some pictures that we made with this thing way back in the day. I haven't found those yet, but that'll be fun. Huh. I've Very I've nice. got one of one of those DS69s. Yeah, because there's a 69, a 69A, and a 69B. I know the one that Ken has is 69A. And Ron, uh, Ron, I think you have a 69B, don't you? Correct, Amando. And so I've got the oldest one of all, I guess. Oh, because I know the original minute. 69 was actually sold on some other 68X oh. systems. What's cool. It's oh, open. it's even open. So yep, there's the I'm original right. one. Steve there we go. No mask. No, this, this, uh, this what's the big chick? It was drawn. Uh, 8313. What the heck? F6821. It's just a PIA. Oh, just a PIA. Okay. We got a PIA, we got some gates. Pretty straightforward. So I guess CC is the trick. So I guess, yeah, here's the Nick, here's the Nicholas Marinti's version. And then here we go uh, for <laughs> all of you guys. <laughs> so how's that compared to the insides of your RASCAN and, and Digiscan there, Nick? Hang on a sec. Micro works looks like one Star handy? Wars, doesn't it? Um right. just show us show us the uh thing again. Here's this one. Yeah, the font. Well, uh, the uh, the rest, the Digiscan is a lot more compact. Yeah, this almost looks like someone it. drew it. It's, it's yeah, yeah. Well, what's got that got? Nineteen eighty four. They hand traced it. Yeah. Eighty four. Yeah. So someone yeah. definitely drew it because no one had fancy so, CAD cam for. Was there a hole? Yeah. What have you got? Oh, so, so that match mine. Okay, so from the outside, we've got this. Does it have a hole? It says yes, up. exactly the same. Oh, it's so I've got the original. Yeah, DS69, copyright 84. So your insides look just like that without having cool. to rip the top off. Yeah, because mine's still sealed. In fact, I still got the uh, uh, original, original oh, disc. Nice. Yeah, I got one of those too. With the manual. Yep. Don't have that. I, got that too. I assume that's on the archive. I don't know. If it's not, I guess I'll need to scan it. Part of the problem I had with this thing never working right is probably that I never knew how. So. <laughs> Knowing it's not a 
I'm I'm is thinking the, that these only worked on the Coco One and Two because I think the last time I tried it on the Three, it just kept locking up. I think up. that's right. Yeah, that's yeah. B I think the B, the A or the B was fixed to run on the Three. Can't remember which one was the first fix. Uh, the B. The B was one. Okay. Yes. And it actually works very nice. Um, it's kind of temperamental. You have to be uh, careful with the sliders on the software. I do have on my Ron's Garage. You can find a demonstration of me um, using my camera to uh, so turn off my DSLR. Looks like Mark's live and uh, without blur. Ooh. Yep, everything's working. Figured it out. Just rebooted the phone. To the show. <laughs> well, happy to be here. Happy to be at Tandy Assembly this year. We got our uh, crew. Can you zoom up, Mark? Trying. There we go. There we go. Okay, go ahead. There we got her Glen side. We got our Pi Key. We got our crew club. We got Boise here as well as sponsors and into the assembly we come. It's all situated as a horseshoe around, and we can start on this side. We got starting off with the Coco crew. Yeah, I saw John sitting there. Hi, John. Hi, John. It's Coco Nation saying hi. Coco Nation saying hi. I just picked up from John today a auto fire uh, for my joystick. Talked about projects earlier. Joystick tester, token style joystick. Make sure you can tell the signal is getting up. I think it's a little circuit. I got to do the fire. Mark, if you could kind of say what uh, John said, it was kind of kicking in and out, so I didn't really catch what he said. What he was saying is he's built a joystick tester kit that's uh, available. And did you want to say that again? Um, well, it's just a pretty simple circuit. That, uh, you know, it gives some indicators, LED indicators, um, for making sure the directional signals work on the Rococo style joysticks. Uh, and it handles the fire buttons too. You get know, like, yeah. well, yeah, a fire button. Yeah. 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 Well, that's a neat, interesting thing. We got Boise here as well. There's Mark. We got Mark. We'll go see his setup in a second. Brandon? How are you guys? Hello? Actually, I have a question for Brendan. Has he heard from Ed Snyder? Like, did Ed manage to grab some of those chips that they need for the Coco VJ? No, not not yet, not yet. Still, still working it. We'll see. We'll see what I can do. I haven't given up yet. I'm, I'm, I'm supporting this. And I'm demoing that. So I've not given up. I've not given up. 
Yeah, because there was some that came on the market briefly, and they all sold out rather quickly. Yeah, yeah, we we uh, we did have some a little bit last year, um, and there were only one type of board. So I I satisfied you know first ten entries on my on my waiting list. That was all I could do. I'm still on that waiting list too. Oh, so you gotta wait, Curtis. <laughs> well, I already have one. It's of... for the other people. There's also the Gimme X uses the same chip, so that's the hold up there as well. Yeah. I think somebody had said fourteen thousand came on the market a couple months ago, and they were sold out within a couple weeks. Yep. Yeah. Show us your tag for Tandy Assembly on your neck there. Is there anything on the back? Same thing. Yep. Oh, yes. if you mess up and it flips over, they still know. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> it's so, yeah. redundancy built in. You were here. Um, I'm borrowing uh, tolerance. Paul Driver signed uh, Little One. So, and uh, branch like that. Oh, yeah. That's the VG6 picture. Yep. Coco VJ. And uh, I'm demoing uh, PyKey. Uh, just like uh, just like a Coco Fest. So, uh, you know, USB keyboard adapter. I'm actually working in installation for someone right now. Morgan and I are adding a power switch and reset uh, to this guy, along with the uh, actual Pi keyboard. And then last but not least, this is something, something new. Um, so this is uh, Turbo 9. So this is a... Um, a pipeline 6809 runs, uh, you know, about 2.4 times uh, faster than 6809 at the same clock speed. And then um, additionally, uh, it's a synthesizable IP, uh, you know, in parallel. So I've taken that from those guys, and I have that embedded in this FPGA along with a um, very light-duty uh, graphics controller using the same mini computer set, 80 columns by 30 rows. So it's outputting a 1280 by 720 video signal, and um, and so uh, I don't know. This might be a target for uh, you know OS 9 or physics sometime in the future. So um, you know, given that it's on cycle accurate, it probably won't be heavily backward compatible with Coco 3, but it sure would be cool if say Night Chinese abuse ran on it. <laughs> how, how does it compare with the Coco 3 FPGA? Um, so the Coco 3 FPGA, I think, maxes out at 25 megahertz. Yeah. So um, this guy is running at 36 megahertz for an equivalent speed of almost 100 times faster than a stock Coco. So, um, so anyway, uh, so newer FPGA should be able to run faster than that. I just This is just the old board that I did my original Coco PGA development. Cool. So you like that green background, huh? Sorry, what was the question? You like the green background. <laughs> well, I it looks like he's green. emulating the, the Coco video modes. It looks yeah. yeah. So I, I just thought you know, it would be good to, to stick to the uh, the original uh, video modes. <laughs> That's good. See if I can support the high-end ones. Are, are the Turbo 9 guys there, the guys from Florida? No, unfortunately. They couldn't make it. Uh, last time I saw them was the computer press for about a couple months ago. Okay. Cool. Wow, that's uh, exciting new. You always have something new every time we come. Uh, that's the Amazing. goal. That's the goal. Yeah. All, all the honor we've said, hey, encourage me to do something new each time if I can. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks, Aaron. Cool. Thanks for stopping by. Got lots more.
products for the Model 1s, Model 2s, badges. Here's Mark's Cloud 9 display. Actually, if you get a chance to talk to Mark, I was just wondering if he's going to have any more 2 meg RAM upgrades available soon, because I've had several people asking me about them. Oh, when we got a chance. Oh, I think he's busy right now. Yeah, he's making so. a deal. Yeah, yeah, just take us around the room in the meantime, but just I, I would like to yep. ask him that before we end it. Yeah. Say hi to his wife. Got a lot of cool, a lot of displays, just he's working on some today as well. We got model 1000s. I got lucky today. I got a three in one board for my EX. Wait, that's a, a 86, 81, 86 in there. Yeah, down to two thousand. Yeah, it's an eighty-one, eighty-six. Yeah, that's the eighty-one, eighty-six. We got a lot of the pocket computers. Uh, the one one hundred or one hundred two or something. Now this one, I spoken to this guy. It's very impressive. It's the Tandy six thousand, but this is running a version of Linux, which is driving all the other terminals. What? Oh, it's running Linux, and not Xenix. Uh, Xenix, yeah, Xenix, yeah, because okay, yeah, it's got a six to eight thousand yeah. and it has Z80 both in there. Wait, isn't that a game on the Coco? Yeah. <laughs> and we got our floppy days, we got the auction starting up right now, too. So that's where everyone's off. We got some more color related one running products, they have those now, I guess. The here is the USB Poco 3. You guys seen the videos? We have Henry's display. Yeah, he's talking about it a bit on Discord. Yeah. So it's right. This repack. Oh, look at that. We actually that have looks, a that cool looks like display a here of all of window. the boards for the Model Ones and Model Two. Every single yeah, that's option. all. That that display is all the add-on boards for the two twelve sixteen six thousand. Exactly, it's every single one. Yeah, pretty well. Yeah, made RAM and, and video and all kinds of stuff. And I recognize most of them. Thanks <laughs> a lot, Mary. We got a pretty good. Uh, of individuals, got lots of. Actually, they were pretty reliable. Those machines. I see Ian from Australia is actually in charge of the auction again, too. Yeah, exactly. He also makes cocoa boards. I can understand what he says. <laughs> He's the only one not standing on his head. Yeah, I, I know. P's and Q's get reversed. It's difficult. So the auction starting. We got some cocoa stuff coming up. So I'm actually going to need to go back in there and see if I can snap a couple things. Hey, can oh, we be able to can we bid too? Uh, I'm not, a, <laughs> not not offering that service this year. Maybe next year. <laughs> but uh, happy to. I hope that was a good little show uh, for you of what's here. And uh, yeah, it's a fun. Have time. you have you been to Tandy Assembly before? I came last year, but I only spent, uh, I only could, was driving through, so only had an hour. But today I'm getting to spend the whole day. And there, at nighttime, there's trivia contests I've heard, there's socializing. So 
should be a good good year and a good time and very well attended as well. I was just going to ask you, how's the, how's the attendance compared to last year? Again, I, I just, I think there's a little bit more people. I don't have the specifics. Okay. Did you bring an SUV to fill up? No, I have my motorcycle. So oh, how's that going to work? How are you hauling stuff back then? <laughs> Self-limiting. I made a new friend with Henry. Henry just lives like 45 minutes from me. And he oh, said, okay. anything I want to buy, he'll bring it home. I just have to come in and pick it up eventually. And he gets 10% okay. of your load. So that solved right. my problem of how I was going to get anything home. Anyway, so I, I don't want to keep you from your auction, so you miss your items here. But uh, if you get a chance to talk to Mark and ask him if he's got two meg available, uh, just send me a message in the Discord and I'll relay it on the show. I will do that. See you, everyone. Good luck. Hey, thanks. Come on. But that yeah. looked pretty well attended, I have to say. That's seems to be both similar to last year, from what I remember. That great machine there. Ron, you're you're pretty faint. Did you change your mic settings or something? Uh, yeah, sorry. I got a fan going on, and I didn't want it to make okay. noise. Because I know I think you were trying to talk when he was walking around, and I could barely yeah. hear you saying things in the background. So I didn't yeah. know if you were talking to you, Elaine I'm or sorry. <laughs> no, she's gone. Okay. So I mean, that mic's um, really directional, half an inch away, and we can't hear you. Yeah, they have a bunch of great machines set up there, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah especially mean, if you're the history of Tandy. I mean, they've got like some of the rarer ones, like the Tandy 2000 is not that common. And somebody was going to bring a model. What is it? The Tandy 2? Not the Model 2. The Tandy 2 or something like that. That was some specialized blue label machine. I didn't know if it was there or not. But uh, Yeah, I don't know that, that the 2000 sold real well, but they ended up uh, using them as uh, the point of sale system in a lot of the stores. Yeah, yeah, kind of what the original plan was for the original Model 1 uh, when it was just called the TRS-80 when they didn't think they were going to sell any. <laughs> they had a saddle you can get and put the computer vertical on the ground. Mm -hmm. So just, just to torture the technicians, in training school, they had a special production run of the 2000 where everything was socketed. And the instructor used to fill them up with bad chips and we had to go chase them down. <laughs> oh, well, to make it a real technical challenge, they should have left them all soldered directly into the motherboard. Then you, then you're well, in your salt. Then the uh, instru instructors couldn't put put the bad chips in. That's their uh, problem, isn't it? They got well, to practice too. Couldn't they clip a leg? Oh, no, they had melt the pad like, off or something. <laughs> no, they'd have uh, like chips that were previously stuck in backwards, so you didn't. You, there wasn't any physical failure with them, but you had to trace down which gates were bad. Were you pretty successful at that? Uh, I did pass. Oh, good. <laughs> I wouldn't have. <laughs> That's pretty obvious. Uh, I got an update from Ken, Canadian Retro Things, who's at the uh, Interim Computer Festival in Seattle. And he said, uh, I quote, my phone sucks to go live. Here's some photos. So he sent me a bunch of photos. And if you guys don't mind, I'll share those. And I won't be able to give you any descriptions of anything because you didn't be able to send me any of that, but most of it's pretty self-explanatory. You guys can comment on some of these machines. You probably know them better than I. And let me share the screen. Are they're mostly non-Tandy stuff? From what I've seen so far, I haven't looked all that through them all yet. I just quickly loaded them. There's some Sun workstations. Yeah. Now, these, I'm assuming, are newer, not the 68OXO versions, right? Or are these old enough to be 68,000? They look like these are old. These are old Spark. It says, the Spark Station, yeah. So these are old Spark CPU workstations. I've got. Yeah. And what in the world sort of tree is that? 
out the window. <laughs> That's what you concentrate on. <laughs> Wow, it's true. Well, what, what well that's the unusual thing. There. Spark Station Four and Spark Station Five. So was that six to eight thousand thirties or forties, or was that later? No, that on? was a that was a Spark, Spark CPU. The Five, I know because I've got one. Yeah, the Spark. Those are Sparks. Um, the Sun Three series was the last with the sixty-eight thousand uh, CPU. Right, and those why are like almost they? like minis, weren't they? Why uh, would they name a chip with Sparks? It's, it means something. Make sense. Yeah. It's Skin okay as long as you don't let the magic smoke out. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a scalable PA risk process uh, coprocessor. There you well, go. When you work on those, you have to have sunglasses. Yeah, I have a Spark <laughs> Station too myself. I can see Solaris, which is their version of uh, Unix. They're yeah. awesome. Ew. SunOS rules. What? Solaris, yeah. Sun, that? <laughs> this looks to be Xerox. I'm yeah, saying here, like a page up display there. So that's probably outgrowth of the Alta uh, Star system, or uh... yeah, the Xerox Star, which is actually kind of where the original GUI stuff that Steve Jobs went and learned oh. from. <laughs> and not stole. He, he did not steal it. The the engineers knew what they had, but the higher ups at uh, H. P had no or Xerox had no idea, so they just said, "Yeah, go ahead. We're not going to make any money off this anyway." That was in Rochester. Mikey says, "Slow Eris." Yeah, my yeah. uh, my Slow father Eris. worked for Xerox back in the day. <laughs> oh and, yeah, yeah. And I asked him. I said, "Do you get a uh, discount on uh, Xerox equipment?" And he goes, "Yeah." And I asked him to get me one of the Xerox computers, and uh, he goes, "Not likely to happen." He goes, how much are they? And the one you want. And I told him, and he goes, more than not likely to happen. (laughs) It's just AST over here, though. Yeah. I wonder if it's a repack or if that was uh, maybe a compatible one. It's got a CD-ROM drive and stuff in it, too. So So the Xerox is on the terminal on the left? Yes. And whatever's on the right is. Well, I think you the need... CPU must be the box in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. You need a Vectrix I... emulator for that one. The right. Yeah. The right machine may be in a uh, terminal. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like an X Windows, Windows terminal or something, maybe. Something like yeah. Yeah. Uh, just guess. Oh, yeah. Because they're both CDE. So that makes sense. Well, that's just interesting uh, stand. It's like the keyboard slides right into that cutout. Yeah. 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 Very 70s looking. Three button Xerox mouse. Also what Logitech used at the time. Join the bootstrap. Ooh, AT&T. Is that nine track tapes there? Yeah, they look like disc packs. Yeah, kind of thin though. Yeah, that's thin for a disc pack. Yeah, it's a single platter. Single, yeah, single platter or double platter. Can't quite read what it says there. Games? (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, I go with you. Games. <laughs> it's, 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 it's steak and potato. What are those guys drinking? Somebody said he's, he's drinking isopropyl alcohol, but judging my yeah, body class. Right? That's, that that's why it looks like games. Bar. That must be the bar. <laughs> and those yeah, are the terminals. I think that's yeah. one of the ingredients of bathtub gin. <laughs> There's a table we were at before. Ah, Tetris. Block out. IBM Portable with the amber screen. 3D. Yep. 3D type Tetris or whatever. Yeah, it's Brickle. Basically, the same one that Brit Monk did in the Coco. You have to be young to read that. See, it says block. It's like block out or something like that. Drop block yeah. out, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, the Coco one's called 3D Brickaway and it was uh, published by Avalon Hill in 82. I know because I've already gone through that one for my timeline history stuff. Looks pretty well identical, though. I don't know if Brit had anything to do with this one or not. Epson LQ2550 printer. So anyone want to quickly go uh, send them a message on their IRC? <laughs> Yeah, I know the uh, the person there with the uh, Freenode uh, server. I went to high school with one of my children. Uh, this is guy here? No, in the red. Over right here? Behind this. Yeah. What's with three color dot matrix print photos? They'd print one out for you? I would guess. We used to that do Adrian? that back in the day. Oh, it looks, looks like they got a scanner camera yep. there, so they're probably... You know, I think uh, at one of our shows in Toledo in, you know, the early 80, mid-80s, we had a um, guy with a camera set up, and he would uh, take your picture, digitize it, and print it, and hand it to you with a, a cute border around it, you know. Tim said something about Adrian maybe attending, so this looks like he's there. Yeah. yeah. Where, where's Adrian's on the West Coast or near the West Coast, too, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, I think he's in Portland, Oregon. Yeah, he's yeah. in his um in his Patreon that he's going to this. Shoe shine boy, looks like a, a Commodore. A Commodore, PC probably. Yeah, PC ten. PC ten. Yeah. How successful was that for Commodore? Their uh, PC uh, clones. Uh, you know, you know they're still in business and competing with Apple, right? Yeah. What was they, that? They were pretty common. They were pretty popular. I've never seen one, so I don't think they were common up here. Yeah, not here Unfortunately, either. the company didn't survive. No. I saw them way more Amigas. I That's think they sold these more in Germany, wasn't it? Yeah, in, they mostly in, they sold them more overseas. Um, yeah, they, European, yeah. Yeah, they mostly sold them to businesses, not to end users. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, the only yeah, reason why I, yeah, the only reason why I even knew that they exist is because I had a local authorized Commodore Commodore uh, dealership. And although they didn't sell the Commodore PCs, they did service them. So I would see them in there on occasion. That's a tough book. That is, yeah. And then the apricot, I remember hearing the name, but I don't remember what the specs in that one were. <laughs> is it a PC clone too? No, it's I think it was a PC. Clone. Isn't that an mm, Apple clone? No, no, it was a it was its own machine. Oh, okay. But it was similar to a PC. Oh, huh. 
Yeah, very PC-ish. Yeah, sort of like the Sanyo MBC series. Mm. They use a 8088 or 8086 processor, and they use a uh, somewhat compatible BIOS, but they're not truly IBM compatible. Serious. Oh, so it's like a Tandy 2000 was. It's MS-DOS, but not PC compatible. Right. There's a serious in the picture. How many of you guys have a uh, 286 computer in your home still? No. I, I, well, I guess I did have one briefly. I took it home from work, and then I got rid of it. I, I got have one. one in storage. I have two. Work was giving away a couple old machines, and I got a 286, and then literally a week later, they gave away a 386SX, so I swapped it out and sold the 286. I like these little rounded nubbies on the keyboard here. It's almost like melted. Yeah. Scroll. Looks <laughs> Not just like move the like cursor, a, but scroll. Like a, yeah. like a pet like, keyboard. It looks like a, a, a Sinclair Quantum L, a QL keyboard. Yeah, or a QL, yeah. Yeah. Though it is an apricot F1, apparently. Yeah. And they got these little ones like reset the repeat rate for your key repeat, I guess, set the time, keyboard lock. They're, they're LEDs. Yeah. Those are, are probably not compatible with uh, IBM PC. Those maybe not. I mm -hmm. don't have a clue. No, Where's the wire come out of it? Wasn't. Yeah, they, no, they weren't. They weren't one eighty sixes. They were. They were. Uh, they were Intel eighty eighty eights, eighty eighty sixes. But they were, and they ran MS DOS. But they were not PC compatible. Yeah, just like the two thousand was. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody wanted to start their own uh, thing, you know. Standard. Well, it's more of an issue with the BIOS than anything else. I mean, if you mm -hmm. put an actual BIOS in it, it it is it's significantly uh, PC compatible. And the last photo I think he sent me, well, the Apricot manuals and stuff here. Apparently, they had a GUI of some sort. Graphics mode, eight hundred by four hundred. I remember the Tandy 2000 was pretty close to that. Or 640 by 400, I guess, eight color. Yeah, 640 by 400. I have like a um, super EGA or something. Yeah, it's real fine, that pitch. Yeah, it was, it was, it was actually probably one of the best graphic displays in a PC in 1984 when the Tandy 2000 came out. Yeah, it was sharp. Can you hear me now? Yep. James. Uh, I was double muted. Uh, <laughs> the uh, Commodore PCs were overpriced mm -hmm. in the USA, so they didn't sell so well in the US. Mm. That would make sense. And welcome to the show, James. So that apricot right there is not a um, clone of Apple. Nope. No. What What was a clone of Apple that was like a, not an apple, but a different pineapple? Fruit. Like a Franklin or... And the orange... Was yeah, that might be what you're thinking of the fruit fruit ones, like an orange. Was there an orange? Pineapple. Yeah, there was an orange and a pineapple. Yeah. There, was, no, there a pineapple. was another yeah. fruit. I'm trying to think. Uh... Yeah, the Franklin was, was probably the most famous apple clone because they got sued right away. Right. <laughs> was there a kiwi? It probably was in New Zealand. <laughs> I was always intrigued with the computer called Wang. <laughs> it was yeah. Night, everybody. We we had terminals from Wang, but we didn't have any computers from Wang. And I think we had a typesetter from Wang. I was work. in a 
science fair in hard-colored word processing <laughs> system wang I was at a science fair in 1973. Some kid had a Wang computer doing some calculation. It was the first time I ever saw anything local that was a self-contained computing device. That was wow. really cool. No, cool. There, there is a Mr. Wang, evidently. Yeah. Yeah, the owner. I think they made some uh, word processing machines, too. Yeah. Yeah, my yeah. high school had one. I had a friend of mine that owned one just because of the name. <laughs> I like this little trackball, though. It's got this long handle thing on it. Mm-hmm. Let you rest your palm on it. Could have used that on King Peed. Look at the uh, LCD display uh, in the uh, keyboard. Oh, assignable keys. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, assignable keys, yeah. I'll zoom that up. Yeah, look at that. Move, next window. Icon, Icon zoom, close. Yeah. That's a pretty busy numeric keypad, though, I have to say. <laughs> you don't need to space these out any. You got like numlock and scroll lock, system request, home, delete. Screw Is that clear? No clear. Page down. Screw it if you're not colorblind. Scroll and yeah, the multifunction keys on there. Yeah, I don't see anything Coca related, so I'm guessing it's more. And, and Mark, you're familiar with the show a little bit. Overhoser. Only, only what I only what I le- read online. So uh, I know there's just a real collection. Of, I posted the link to their information page. So just people in the Seattle area just getting together and have various bits and pieces. So. Oh, okay, and it's on today and tomorrow, <laughs> I believe. So today and tomorrow, in the yeah, area. 10, 10 a.m. to five p.m. So yeah, I was things didn't work out, but I was hoping to be there because I was going to represent the Coco. So. Yeah, I'll have to give Ken crap because he didn't. <laughs> hey, at least he showed up. He's better than I did. Do you got any more? No, that's all I got. That's a complete set of what Ken sent me because he said his phone's crap at trying to do live broadcasting. Hey, yeah, you got to see bits of two different shows that are actively on nice. this weekend, and both of them, I think, are on again tomorrow. So if, if you're in the area of uh, Springfield, Ohio, or... Where's this one at? Seattle, Washington. <clears throat> you have a chance yes. to go see it tomorrow. It's right downtown, south of downtown, where the uh, uh, the Seahawks football team plays and the Mariners baseball team play. It's about like ten blocks from there. So hopefully, it's not a baseball game this weekend, or you'll have to park like six miles away. Okay, um, Mark, are you uh, Mark Bosley? <laughs> too many words. I'm awake. I'm up. I'm up. Okay, just wondering, <laughs> did you want to go into a commercial or go straight into the game on results or which? Yeah, let's run our. Uh, uh, since we're at uh, uh, one hour mark, let's uh, run our uh, commercial and game on results. Okay, now give me a chance to get up coffee. All right. Hey, Amy. Hey, Taylor. We're watching the Coco Nation show. Yeah, we are. Woo! You should too.
everyone. It's your good buddy, your good pal, Amigo Aaron, joined by that dastardly The Brent from ARG Presents. You're watching Coco Nation. I feel like that should have been longer. The Coco Nation Show would like to thank the following patrons. Alex Gare, Brandon Donahue, Brian Walsh, Brian Weasler, Kieran Anscombe, Coconut Bob, Daddy Burrito, Diego BF109, Don Barber, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Glenn Wabke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, John Boat of Karshaller, Justin Larson, Ken Reichard, Kevin Holloway, Mike Rayburn, Patrick Euland, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, R. Allen Murphy, Retro Tech Time, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Steve Batson, Terry Stiege, Tom C., Tom Gunderson, Tom S., Tony C., and William Athing. Thank you so much, patrons. Welcome to everybody's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord? Facerecker says, Hi, I am Patrick, a newly minted Coco enthusiast. I am a 40-something-year-old software developer who had his first introduction to programming with Microsoft Basic on a hand-me-down Tandy Color Computer 3 back in the late 80s. As soon as I wrote my first line of Basic I was hooked. I recently acquired a Coco 3 and plan to do some game development with it. The previous bios were edited for time. Thanks to Alex Geyer, Boysen, Glenside Computer Club, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Tandy Color Computer 3, and the Coco Nation patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. Just go to discord.thecoconation.com. See you on Discord! Welcome everybody to the Coco Nation Game On Challenge of the Week results video. This week we played Kingpeed. We had a total of 19 participants. And they were David Ladd with 4,020, David Craker 4,175, Buck Owens 4,634, Mr. Dave 6,309, 4,770, Sloopy Malibu 6,130, Terry Stege, 6320, Mark B, 6370, Coconut Bob, 6440, Canadian Retro Things, 7045, Calcifer, 7810, Kieran, 7870, Damon Beals, 8595, Jim Rye, 8765, Weisler B, 10865, Shenley, 11,115, Paul Shoemaker, 11,795, L. Curtis Boyle, 15,995, Sabhead, 19,890, and this week's number one score belongs to Tasman with 223,315, absolutely obliterating everybody else's scores. Thanks everybody that played. 
We'll see you again next week. Okay. Yep, and we do see what he what he did there. There's an echo. Yeah, it was an echo now. Yep. I hear an echo. Doing these things, not. Oh look, there's uh, two of me speaking. Welcome to station. Please stand by. Well, one of these should work. Welcome to the double talk section of the show. Yeah. <laughs> double double cheese cheeseburger burger, please. Listening to Curtis once is bad enough, but hearing him twice. It's twice as nice. It's twice the Canadian <laughs> content. Well, we're going Our out over the air anyway. I think it's fixed on 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 the stream. Let me just check again. Yeah, I just heard me once. Okay. No echo. Can you guys in the streamland mention on the chat whether it's coming through? Okay, now. Streamland. Sloopy, right. don't do that again. <laughs> <laughs> Do what? <laughs> need an alias for the game on. Peter Willett said it's working fine. Jim Rice says it's working fine. So let us All continue. Right, let's continue on. I got the magic sauce. Sloopy, you're up. Oh. Hi, everyone. And uh, let's see here. Let's share a screen so you don't have to look at my ugly mug. Uh, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> I've seen worse. Look who's talking. That's what she said. I think that is right. Maybe. Is that showing just the screen like it should be? No, you're showing our you're showing, you're showing our stream. Oh. And then the stream of our stream. And the stream of our oh, stream my. of our stream. And it keeps adding. And it's going infinite, <laughs> so that's not the right screen. Yeah. Screen burning. That's the one I want. Welcome to Technical Difficulties, episode 332. All Technical right. Difficulties Day on the Cocoa Nation. There, I see King Pete on the screen. This is the correct one. Okay, good. The, the... So you can probably zoom it if you click that um, smaller rectangle on the right bottom of the screen. It'll uh, expand it out a bit. It... So you won't have oh, the extra on chat. on the video window itself. Yeah. Like that? 
Nope. No. Okay, you see where you got the pause button, the closed captioning, the settings wheel, and all that stuff on the bottom of the actual video window itself? Oh, there you go. One next, that one, yes. One more. That one. That'll work. Okay. Okay. Or do I want... uh, The rightmost. Full screen. There we go. that too. Yep. Well, isn't that special? More games. All right. Oh, yes. Now, let's see here. Uh, we played uh, King Pede and Rear Guard, and uh, King Pede, uh, which we played last week also, I do believe. Yes, we did play that last week. Um, not many people played this because most people were too busy playing Rear Guard on various systems. Um, so. Any comments, thoughts, criticisms on King Pete? You definitely need. How the heck did Scott get the score he got? Like skill. he was so far up above us. Pure skill. You see, some some people are uh, just uh, game playing AI robots, and it is believed that he is one of them. Sort of like uh, Buck Owens, same thing. He's just a generation uh, newer, I think. Wait, did Paul Fiscarelli bring in a bot again? Could be. Could be. The timber bot, yeah. But, yeah, we definitely uh, had uh, a good time with a whole bunch of people playing. Uh, We did have a few... uh, uh, I think I think they're just ringers. They're e- they're either AIs or they're ringers. Um, I did anyone besides me play a play um, rear guard on on something besides the Coco? Nick, didn't you play the tier setting model one three version early on in the show or something? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, before or after the recording started though. Yeah, I think after the recording started. But I could be wrong. Let's yeah, see. I did play during the recording. Uh... Because this is one game where the gameplay actually gets a bit different between the platforms. Like um, the whole point of rear guard for me was you have to fire behind you at stuff coming at you, <clears throat> which is true of the Model One Three version, which is true of the Coco version. But on the Apple version and stuff, uh, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, there's Nick's uh, Model 1 version in the lower left corner there. Yep. There I did is. play videos of the uh, Apple and Atari one. You should have recorded those. Yeah. Well, Sloopy actually played the Atari version live, I think, too, didn't you? Yes, I actually played it on... I eventually got it working on the Atari. Yeah, it was a uh, cassette version, and I'm not used to using cassette on the Atari. <laughs> I used cassette... My favorite... Sorry. Yeah, My I, favorite version is the Tiosati version. I just think it just feels, it plays well. Yeah, it there you just go. Looks, it. There it is. Yeah. Yeah, it just looks like they make the ship um, uh, graphic backwards. And other than that, it's just like a uh, scramble or defender game. And it's even got the parallax scrolling too, which some of the other platforms did not. Yeah, yeah. So that was the first version of Rear Gut I ever saw. And that was. It was an all right game. It wasn't well. It wasn't my favorite of games, but it was a good one. Um, the Coco version comes close. Um, 
It's a little but, slow. Yeah. That's the only problem with the cocoa, but not quite as smooth. It's a bit slower. I, I don't like the star background on the uh, cocoa version. It's uh, looks like they've taken a cheap way of uh, drawing. It doesn't quite look right. Um, but it, it's better than the Atari. It's better than the Atari one, although the Atari one does have good sound. Uh, we don't have, we didn't play the sound. Uh, but other than that, I didn't think the Atari one was actually a very good game. The Apple version the Apple wasn't version? too bad. Yeah, yeah, but... the Apple version wasn't bad. I, I do have videos of it. Yeah, but they also had extra time to do the the uh, TRS eighty version. No, I think the TRS eighty was the launch version, wasn't it? I yeah, I don't know. I do remember. I know it came out way before game. the Coco version did. Yeah, like at least yeah, a year so earlier. I'm not sure. But, but we, yeah, the, we did discuss on the show, though, there was ads in some of the Adventure International catalogs for a Commodore 64 version, but apparently from research people have done, never that out, never actually no. happened. It never came out. But I think the Atari and the Atari City Model 1 3 versions were first, and then the Apple, I think, was very shortly thereafter, and the Coco was like a year after, because Adventure International didn't really start getting heavy into the Coco stuff until about a year after they had their machines. For most of their titles. Uh, no, it was for the Atari 8-bit first. Uh, Rear Guard is a horizontally scrolling shooter written for the Atari 8-bit family and released in December 81 by Adventure International. Neil Larimer created the game with assistance from Sparky Starks. It was ported to the Apple II, TRS-80, and TRS-80 color computer. Doesn't give dates for those, though, eh? Uh, no, but if it was released in December of 81, then they likely it was released in 82 for those. Yeah, the Coco one, I think, was late 82, if anything, if not 83. I can't remember the copyright date on it. But <clears throat> Plus, sometimes they put the copyright date in the original version, too, so that might not even tell you anything. Right. One, one thing unique on the Coco version I didn't see on any of the other versions, though, is it has names for each of the levels. Yeah, um, that was a different thing and with a little bit of a sense of humor too which i quite liked like they had a bunch of uh swarming bugs coming after you i can't remember what wave number it was but they would say uh, are you bug jet or something like that or we're going to bug you even more when the second wave came you know silly <laughs> stupid things like that so some brick guy wrote that or what some dad some dad did made it because that, that's really typical of like British European games that levels have names. No, the guy that wrote it, uh, Kanaya Software, is actually, uh, what's his real name? Jim Hurd, I think. No, hmm. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. But he actually ended up being uh, an article writer, a, a magazine columnist for PC Magazine or PC World. I can't remember which one. And he also did the Sea Dragon port on the Coco, which did not have a sense of humor like that. No. Dragon the uh, programmers. The programmers of the TRS-80 version also did the Sea Dragon on the TRS-80, and it's by far the best Sea Dragon as well. See, that one I would argue. I prefer the Coco version on level 7. No, Sea Dragon is damn good on the TRS-80. <laughs> it's not as good. Is that one you wrote? No, no, no. That was done by <laughs> Wayne Westmoreland and Terry Gilman. Now, yeah, they're quite famous. They did a lot of really good games. They were good. They yeah. did some good stuff. They did Eliminator. They did uh, Armored Patrol. They did quite a few, but they're they're very good quality. Yeah. 
You want to fast forward it, Slippy, so we can see the Coco version of well as well as Rear Guard? Yeah, there, there a, should be uh, um, videos of the uh, Atari and Apple as well. Uh, let's see here. Since we have another week in Rear Guard, we might as well show people what they're supposed to be playing. There's the Coco one. Yeah, yeah there's the Coco one. Which is more colorful, higher res, still has a scrolling background mountains, but it is choppier and slower. And I'm not sure why. We did find out if you yeah, play level two and the mountains disappear, it plays faster and a bit smoother, but it's still, I don't know, was it rushed or something? I don't know. It just doesn't All play right, as good yeah. as. It's not it as good as it could be, have been. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I think the uh, drawing of the land, of the the background, or the, the, the mountains is what slowed it down for him. Right. They did waste a lot of time making pretty mountains instead of just zigzags. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's not the Coco's fault because if you play Eliminator, another adventure national game, it has scrolling mountains and it's way faster than smooth than this. Yeah, but he's doing just trying to do parallax there as well. Didn't that happen in Eliminator as well? Or is that just single? I don't I think so. I don't think para, um Eliminator. I remember because when that. you when you moved up and down, your ship actually angled up and down too. Well, here you can see the glitch of the world spinning where the uh, person that pirated, yeah. I mean, uh, backed up the program kind of screwed up a little <laughs> for the graphics. There it is. Yeah. If you can find the Atari one. That was a bit later. I think you got that working slippy, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think. Well, I had the videos as well. I mean, the Atari's played really smooth. There it is. Yeah. But you're firing forward on the rear guard game, which is kind of weird. I guess they're coming up from behind. Maybe that's what they meant. Yeah. But the fact had, that the uh, player ship is just down. a solid white. Sprite. Yeah, they didn't uh, didn't mix any colors. It. Uh, yeah, as bit, I uh, show the 1981. It was a. They were still learning the hardware on the Atari. Yeah, and to be honest, I mean that's the same with the Coco version too, because I mean the Atari came out in '79, so they had two years to learn this, and the Coco version. Suppose it came out in 82 and we came out in 80 for the computers. So same time span. And they hadn't quite figured out anything yet either. But this is interesting. The that, same game. <laughs> it, no, it looks very different. Um, I wonder why the star background does not go all the way to the top. You can fly up to the top, but they've only got a small band of hmm. stars. Yeah. Which is I'm weird. Not sure. Oh, it doesn't go down to the ground. It doesn't go up to the top. <laughs> well, it's timing thing. Couldn't afford the. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, had to pick a spot. Yeah, there's no way it's more than capable because the Here's the Apple version. Yeah, because on the Atari, it doesn't have to do any of the hardware. Right. The Apple had a single is, mountain is pretty scrolling. good. Yeah, mind you, this is probably even less of the uh, rear guard idea right. than the uh, than the yeah, because it's just a straightforward shooting. <laughs> it's almost, it's almost a defender. <laughs> yeah. No parallax, but it does have stars. Behind. It had an object that walked on the ground as well. There he is. He just shot it. Also, uh, I noticed that uh, Scott Cooper Tasman is now in the chat. So what was the secret of your incredibly high score compared to the rest of us, Scott, besides natural talent? Cheat.
Now that for an Apple game, this is actually pretty good. It's going at a pretty yeah, good clip. Yeah, for an Apple game, smooth. it is good, yeah. It doesn't have the parallax. And the mountains are more done with uh, straight lines. So that was that would have sped things up a bit rather than trying to do curves and stuff. Yeah. Though they did really good in the flames on your ship there. That actually looks probably the most impressive yeah, the, of all of them. The ship looks like a ship. There's the Atari one. It looks like a bit of a blob. Oh, welcome, Bruce Moore. I didn't. I just noticed you were in the chat. Haven't seen you in a while. Oh, Scott's saying he used the mouse in X were probably as as to why he did so good. He said it gave me better precision. Yeah. I know you had to try to refuel. You had to shoot the nozzle on that big floating gas tank. Or gas pump, actually, is what it looked like. Hmm. That was pretty precise. But, I mean, I'm just from looking there. at these videos, you can see there's a fair variability of the actual gameplay. Like, this is not, I wouldn't even call this each of these clones of each other. Yeah. No, yeah. And the Tiris one has more animated um, aliens, I think. Yeah, because these are basically just static shapes coming at you. Yeah, the Apple I think the green thing moves its yeah, little eye or whatever it is in the middle. But other than that, there's not much animation in the actual aliens. But the Tiris has fairly, fairly um, animated ones. Yeah, the Coco one, I mean... I think they tried to animate because there is different frames of like the helicopters and stuff, but it's so choppy on its movement. It's hard to tell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was on the video. <laughs> yep. Rear guard 81. So since King Pete ended this uh, week here, what what did everybody that on the panel that actually played King Pete or anybody in the chat for that matter that played King Pete? What was your opinion of it? I was, I think I think I mentioned the first week we started it that I was quite stunned that a game, a pretty pretty good quality, it was actually like a tape magazine game. It wasn't even a commercial product, and I thought they did a pretty good job. And it's the only Millipede clone we have. Yeah, I the game overall I liked. I just didn't care much for the controls on it. It was very difficult to control. But, really? Or are you just not used to using analog controls? Well, the thing is, is that for analog controls, I was using a uh, a PC type controller, and then in analog mode, and then eight way mode, and it made it very hard to be very precise in where you get where you where you were located because it yeah. seems to be using character graphics. Yeah. Well, it should be sixty four positions across is basically your position of the joystick right across an analog I, I didn't have any problems moving it at all to be honest it was a little hard to get exactly under the spider or the fleas right i think you guys just need more practice with black beauties <laughs> I, I was going to dig the trackball out for it, but i didn't get a chance to unfortunately all right these are digital devices they look analog but they're digital So. so is there any tips and tricks for anybody that played King Pete? Don't die. The big one for me is uh, take advantage, just like in Centipede, when you get the scorpion going across and he poisons the mushrooms. When the, a longer centipede hits it, or millipede, 
uh, it'll actually send the entire chain coming down straight at you. So you can get right under it. You can just hold down the fire button and like mow the whole thing down without even having to move. That's great. Yeah, just make sure that it's further down than because uh, you don't want it higher up because then your uh, shots are so slow that it'll create a uh, mushroom in front of it and then it'll go, then it will uh, not come quite down and you'll keep hitting the mushroom instead of uh, hitting the uh, millipede and they'll come down and get you. Was there a sequel to this game? Like, you know, King Flushed? Micropede. Megapede. Oh, no, there's a cocoa <laughs> version called Megapede, but that's just a centipede clone. <laughs> Rick got it. Yeah, you can see Jim Rise there. You could see that the uh, ship was actually anim animated a bit. Like here we got flapping wings. and but Because it's a bit choppier than the Model 1 3 version, I don't think it looks quite as good. Oh, Scott Cooper said um, his tip, the spider only goes one way, so always get on side where the spider has been. So spider's kind of passing around the middle there. If he came in from the left, just go to the left and it'll never come after you. Yeah. And uh, that one there in the top right, the Coco one, that must be mm -hmm. being playing in the um, speed of two because there's no mountains. Yeah, it, it runs it smoother looks, and faster. It looks yeah. better. It looks, yeah, it looks a bit smoother. That's how it should be. I maybe after one, I have to go in and optimize sometime. Well, get on it, Curtis. Yeah. No, I got a couple ahead of it. I got to finish first. Uh, Mikey, he was playing on the uh, RetroArch on main. Uh, I guess you need a Bluetooth controller for your uh, iPad. Oh, I actually have one of those. I should have tried that. So, any other uh, questions or comments? One more week on rear guard. Yep. Are we still allowing uh, the cross-platform rear guards to be played by players that want to try that uh, for the next week? Yeah, generally uh, uh, any uh, Coco game or one of the games of the week that's uh, on a different platform is acceptable. But scores have to come from the Coco version, correct? That is correct. The scores are on only count for the Coco, uh, Coco version. And are we playing uh, speed one or two one the slow one right yeah un unless unless your name is um tasman or buck owens or any of the other uh ai players then you have to play on the hard the hard ones <clears throat> so let's see here all right are we ready to uh find out what we're playing yes 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 Apparently, David's excited <laughs> to hear. Really? Anything not to play mean... rear guard. <laughs> not a fan? No. It's not that type of game, David. <laughs> I did fine on the Apple version. Now, Ned, how would you know? Have you played with me? <laughs> Here comes the creepy. <laughs> So, Slippy, you had to pick a game yourself here because Ken gave you the high score list, but he didn't actually get a chance to suggest a game, right? That is correct. 
And thanks for calling me out like that. No, I, I wanted to call out Ken because he should have had that prepared for you and you, you wouldn't have to like do a last minute scramble. Well, he actually told me a little while ago, but it was like he I figured I'd have to do the high score and everything. And then yesterday he's like, oh, I'll do the high score. So I was like, oh, cool. And I figured maybe he's going to do the pick the game, too, but he didn't. Uh, yeah, we don't want Nick to pick it because we already know it'll be then. Detroit. <laughs> so for the well, I already got it in the mail, so I'm ready. <clears throat> for the next two weeks, we are playing a Coco Three game in basic. Ooh. Yeah, are you? Familiar? I'm trying to remember who wrote this because I remember covering it back when Coco Taco was still on. Um, shoot, the Diego. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yep. See, this is one I would like to More see DA or somebody else redo in, in, in base nine because it would run a lot faster and a lot smoother. Um it would be a good good match. Yeah. Do you remember how the gameplay is set up? Well, it was kind of meant to be uh shoot the cats at an angle and each different cat has different range or something like that to capture mice. Yeah. Is that right? Basically it's sort of like the old um artillery duel you yep. uh, stack up the cats and then you have the one jump down onto the trampoline type thing or or um teeter tot type thing and then the other cat goes flying and they're trying to catch the mouse gee more cats yes <laughs> i figured everyone here loves cats don't they I don't know if we like flinging them across trampolines and firing them mm -hmm. through the air, but. Catapults, yeah. Well, I mean, they're trying to catch mice. So, I mean, cats like to pounce on mice. It's just. So, if you're actually running this in the emulator, Sloopy, and this is a game probably most people have not seen, did you want to actually just run through a little bit and kind of show people how it works? Not really, because I suck at it. <laughs> All right. So basically what you got to do is select your uh, cats for the uh, for the power. Uh, four. And then you have to select your cat that's going to go flying. And then you hit space. Where's the mouse? Right there on the ground. Getting missed. And I missed. Oh. Yeah, he shot too far. Yep. You got wind dictate. You can see the bottom, or sorry, the top left of the screen. You can see a wind direction that moves around too and power. So you have yeah. to adjust for that as well. So you do one, two, and three. And okay, and jump from there. Two. Then you hit uh, which one you want to go flying, and then you hit space for him to go. And I was a little short. So you have to land right on top of them then, right? Right. So if I remember correctly, Diego did this for the, was it the Asimov Awards or something? They were, he's doing a basic programming contest that people could win a little trophy or something at Coco Fest. And I, I think. No idea. I'm trying to remember. 
Yeah, Mikey in the chat says, I do vaguely remember seeing this game demonstrated before, and Erico says, I somehow find that background most appealing. Did I get it? Did I get it? No. Mm. <laughs> anyway, I just want to kind of show people like how it worked um, so they kind of know what the gameplay is like. Because if you haven't played an artillery game before, just saying it sounds like artillery is not going to help somebody kind of figure what they're supposed to do. Well, so far it's rather interesting. I'm I'm tinkering with it right now. There we go. There. Caught. So, Mark, you have to put this on for your cats as a training program? <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't find no mice around here. Well, they're already trained then to be catching them for you. They don't last. Yeah. Mice don't last long. I haven't seen any this year. Yeah, mine's been catching birds more than it's been catching mice lately. Um, oh, yeah, here on the second level, and I get a you deal with walls in the middle too. I forgot about that. And the mice move now. Ooh. So it definitely gets more difficult. Well, except just now for Sloopy, he actually caught it first try. Yay. So oh. how's the scoring work on this? Does it I'm not sure. I I'm did. trying to remember. I think it, the 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 less turns you take to catch it, I think you get more points. Yeah. So it's like this so, the end of the game at this point. No, you hit space and you go to the next level. Okay, so does it have an accumulator somewhere? Well, it just shows you your completed. How my score, my total score is two hundred. Okay, so that's not the score for that particular jump. No, that's not the score for that. No, level. that's your total score, and you had I think. Less than 100 the first time around, if I remember. Yeah, I had 70. Okay. Yes, Ken, it's Diego's game. So. Yeah. Coco 3 required. 128K is all you need. Um, you don't even need a joystick. Just keyboard. You need the 1, 2, and 3 keys and the space bar. Yeah, I figured we haven't played anything on the Coco 3 recently. And uh, and we haven't played basic games in quite a while. So, yep. I don't know if we've ever played a Coco 3 basic game. I know we've done a couple Google 1 2 ones, but. Yeah. Yeah, because we got Coco 3, we've got basic, and uh, we've got cats. Yeah. And since most of the panel has cats, that's kind of appropriate. Yeah. So. That's the game for the next two weeks. And we also have uh, the uh, second week of Rear Guard. And uh, join us Thursday at 8 p.m. for the Coco Nation Game on Challenge Live, where we will be playing both games. And uh, I guess that's a wrap. Back to you, uh, Curtis. Okay. So is there a significance to that uh, white object on the f that looks like it, it might be the moon? looked like Mac the Knife from the McDonald's commercials to me. The, the moon that played the Yeah, piano. it's just meant to be a moon as part of the background, <laughs> just like the buildings are. It's, it doesn't serve anything in the game as far as I remember. It moves around. Well, it's set, yeah. Okay. I don't know. To be honest, I haven't played it in so long. I don't remember the, all the full directions from it, so hopefully that's on the archive. <laughs> Slippy, does the game have a built-in instructions that are fairly 
Uh, yeah, it has built-in Complete? instructions. When you start it, it tells you what to do. Um, oh, so honestly, I learned uh, I learned more how to play by playing it than I did by reading them. Okay, because they're about as clear as mud. Could also be that I'm so good at reading. That was sarcasm, right? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, but that, that was the moon up in the corner. So anyway, that's available in the Cut Computer Archive. That was a freebie that Diego put out. Oh, got to be five years ago, six years ago, somewhere close to that. Fourth to least. And I think it was part of his Asimov Awards because he was actually the one awarding those. And he actually had a website dedicated to having that contest every year for people to program uh, games for it. And there was a little trophies handed out at uh, Coco Fest back around the 2018, 2019 timeframe, I think. I was hoping he'd kind of keep that going there, but I don't think enough he got enough entries. All right, so that's two games for uh, next week. Uh, as Sloopy mentioned, Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern, um, both Rear Guard for the Coco 1 and 2, and uh, Furious Felines for the Coco 3. So I guess I'll go into the game on news straight on. And uh, we've uh, actually got a bit more than normal on this one. So did you want to play some sort of an intro thingy? Yeah, you mean like this one? You have to tell me when it's done then, too, because I can't hear it. Yeah, go ahead. You're you're on. And if I change settings, things will get broken further, so I'm not going to mess with it. Save that JSON when you're done. It's Zoom settings. Oh, yeah. And Mikey's already asleep in the chat, so we're ready for news. Okay, so first up, uh, Jim Gary, as you can see on the bottom of the screen there, has converted another game over to the MC-10. Uh, this is a game that originally appeared in Compute Magazine, January 1986 issue by Ben Elizer and Kevin Mikitin, I think. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that semi-correctly. And this is a uh, solitaire game, a uh, single-player card game, but it's not the Klondike one like you're used to in Windows. And uh, I'll just let it play a little bit here. Now, I will mention this video he put up, uh, unlike most of his, which are usually a couple minutes of showing you gameplay. This is like a quarter of an hour. Um, so he's kind of showing you like the whole gameplay. Um, but if you're into solitaire games, it uh, looks to be a fairly complete one and, and definitely a fairly difficult and a bit of a time waster so that uh, if you have some time to kill. It might be a good one to play. I'm not overly familiar with this particular version of solitaire because there's so darn many different kinds of solitaire. So I'm kind of intrigued to maybe try it because I don't think I've ever played one like this before. And you've got these empty slots. you got to kind of get your suits and stuff in order. Um, he's got two different colors for the suits, and then he's got a couple different shapes for the suits as well. And then, of course, he's got the single characters on there to say whether it's a tenor, king, queen, ace, whatever. So, All right, that's one of the ones he did. And then he also put up on the MC or the Coco group on uh, Facebook on the MC10 group that uh, he's done an update to his Dig Dug game, which he'd published earlier. 
Uh, it now has a timer to complete the level added. The enemies now turn white and can travel through rock to get uh, to you or to escape. Uh, some minor speed-ups he's added in there as well. And the level of play adjusts with the timer. And he's also uh, put up a video of it, and he also mentions that uh, Carlos Camacho actually made the uh, music for it. So I'll play a little bit of that. And then this is like Semi-Graphics 4. So it's low res, but actually plays plays pretty good, actually. Plays faster and smoother than Pump Man does in the Coco, to be honest. <laughs> That too loud or is that a good volume? It's all right. It's fine. It's even kind of done the gradiated ground colors using cross hatcher solid and a couple different colors. And you're the uh, blue, I don't know what to describe it as, shape. <laughs> Greens are the enemies, and you just dropped a rock on it. Even tried drawing the little flowers in the top, just like the original arcade game. So this this is actually pretty decent for this low res to uh, get the feel of Dig Dug. You did a pretty good job. I don't know if this one's compiled though. I know he's been using Greg Dion's compiler in some of these, but uh, I'd have to ask him. Anyway, goes through a couple levels, and he shows them when they start traveling around in between the tunnels and stuff, too. So if you have an MC-10 and you're a fan of Dig Dug, it's definitely a game worthwhile checking out. Uh, next up, chronologically gaming this week um, is still in July of 1982, and this was a suggestion of mine that he put this on. <clears throat> He's not covered any Coco magazines at this point. He's covered stuff like Byte um antic and a few others like atari magazines and stuff because of course there was tons of them and he's a game oriented channel and atari magazines generally tend to be more focused on games but i did want him to mention rainbow because rainbow had already been out by a year by this time so this is their first anniversary issue and it was the first time it went into full magazine mode because up to this point it was like a, a jumbo newsletter it was like you know xerox when it first started it was just two pages xerox down on both sides and printed on, I think, a DMP 100, so it had a horrible font without even having descenders. Um, and, and to come this far in one year from something he literally did on his kitchen table, Lonnie Falk I'm talking about here, um, that he sold 25 copies of, <clears throat> to now having a full-color wraparound cover, typesetting the whole bit. And... Um, he goes uh, into it in quite detail. Now, of course, <clears throat> being a games channel, he's kind of skipping over ads and, and articles on programming and you know hardware stuff. And but he covers some of the games that are out, like Starship Chameleon and Astro Blast and that kind of stuff. Here, some stuff he's already covered in the show, some he has not. But uh, it was cool because he he didn't realize there was Coco magazines, and this is already the second one out at the time because Color Computer News actually started a couple months earlier. Well, that was definitely way more technically oriented. So I haven't really suggested him do any of those. I probably will suggest. Which issue it is? It's either August or September of '83 when he gets that far. That CCN did a review of the Dragon, the Tano Dragon, when it first started on sale in North America, and he actually has a full color cover of it of the Dragon sitting there with a little plush green dragon toy beside it too. So I think I'll mention that one just to just show the Dragon off coming to North America for the brief time it did. Um, and of course, Rainbow um, started publishing like game issues in August of every year. 
So I might suggest a few of those. And also the anniversary, the first couple anniversaries of uh, Rainbow were pretty unique uh, in the computer field. So the second anniversary in July of 83 had, of course, a little record that came in with three games on it. So a little flexi disc you had to put on your record player and then you take the headphone jack and you could load it even if you didn't have a cassette recorder. Um, and then the third anniversary, I think, was their scratch and sniff adventure. We had the six little boxes you had to scratch and sniff to get details, clues. So you like, you know, you'd find something in in the game and it would say scratch five to figure out what it is. And you'd have to scratch and smell and go, oh, that's pine needles and, you know, or whatever. So that was kind of unique, too. So I'll be suggesting a few. And then some other first issue ones, I'll probably suggest like the first Hot Cocoa, the first Color Computer Magazine, because we can kind of see what some of the other magazines were. But uh, yeah, it's the first coverage of uh, that I'm aware of on YouTube of really going through a Rainbow Magazine, period. I don't think anybody else has really done that. Now, considering it was one of the longest running computer magazines ever, besides a couple of the big PC ones like PC Magazine, that's that's kind of a crime. It hasn't been covered before, so I'm glad he did. Next up is part of Septandi, Retro Gaming Nook, who's done a few Coco game playthroughs. We covered Dragonfire earlier, where he found that it didn't work in the Coco 3 because of the precise timing. This time he's doing a Coco 3 dedicated game, Steve Bjork's Super Pitfall. And this was a game that only appeared on the Coco and the NES, the Nintendo Entertainment System. And he actually does a fairly long 44-minute one. He doesn't see all of it because I mean the game's huge. You have to kind of like play it enough to know where stuff is and how to get through certain things. So like he saw the balloon, but he never managed to catch it and ride around on it. And there's a whole section with steel or uh, stone heads and stuff you didn't see. But you did get fairly far. You got a couple of the hidden shapes. Like there's those four, I can't remember what they called them, but they're basically the suits of cards, like clubs and spades and stuff. And they don't appear on the screen until you walk right near them. And then they'll flicker on so you can see them. You have to jump up and grab them. So pretty uh Pretty good gameplay. For those of you who haven't seen Super Pitfall, I'll just play a little bit of the video. If I went down that one before, some of these are, are drop He's running it on four different TVs in his garage. They're blind, <laughs> so you have to learn the layout of the land. Oh. And But that's the only way you can get to some places. Sometimes you'll drop, and you'll drop right into a... Uh... I was going to die there anyway. So for those of you that have played Super Pitfall before <clears throat> and found it a little bit slow, Sockmaster, I can't remember how many years ago it was, but he actually did a 639 optimized version that runs about twice as fast. And that's available in the Color Computer Archive. So if you have a 639 upgraded Coco 3 and 512K, actually technically 256K, I guess, 512K or higher, you can actually uh, download that and play it and it'll run in 639 native mode and, and speeds up things quite a bit. So definitely a better gameplay experience. Might be a little harder with it being faster too. I'm not sure. Next up, Expert Tech, which is a Spanish-speaking channel, and he's been playing Coco One and Two games on real hardware using an amber monitor. And uh, by coincidence, uh, if you remember that 3D brick game we saw earlier as a photo from one of the yep. things that Ken had taken of, this is the Coco version that came out in 1982, written by Brit Monk, which he actually sold by himself for about a month or two, and then Avalon Hill picked it up. So you can see the similarity when he gets Pero running acá, here. Este era tridimensional. Ahora vamos a verlo. Cargamos. Ahí está, fíjense. Se, se ve como, como si fuera frontón. Y ahí va la pelota. Yo tengo que, con ese recuadro, hacer que rebote. Y rompiendo los ladrillos ahí en el fondo. Entonces, oh, tengo, tenía cinco vidas, ahora tengo cuatro. 
So hang on, just shut the check calls captioning off. So it's basically the same thing. You're looking down a tunnel, basically. You've got all the bricks on the far wall. You have a paddle that you move around in 2D space, up, down, left, right. And you have to judge by the size of the ball <clears throat> as to its distance from your paddle. And you have to like bounce it off and it bounces off the walls, the ceiling, the floor, and it gets faster and faster. And if you just like, you know, the breakout games, it has English on the ball. So if you catch it on the edge of the paddle, it's going to go at a wicked angle and makes it almost impossible to catch. If you can get it pretty well dead center, you can kind of straighten it out and make it easier for yourself. This is a game I remember playing quite a bit, actually, because it was pretty impressive for the time. I'd not seen a 3D uh, bust out game at all before at that point. Um the ball itself has a few little hidden things on it. So when the ball gets close to the player, it actually will have writing on it. And if I remember, I'm trying to remember, there's a sequence when it's coming towards you. I think it says, is it fun uh, for the, you know, the three largest sizes of the ball as it gets close to the player so that you get to see that. And if you miss it, it suddenly says, oops, in the middle of the ball. So it was a pretty fun 16K, you know, analog joystick required game type thing. I'd be curious about this PC one we saw, though, to see how close that is to 3D Breakaway. Next up, we have Bruno Aubin, who I believe is in France, and he's been doing uh, a series of videos for the Alice he's playing it on, which works in the MC10, of course, as well. And this is covering all the Infuto games. And he's actually pretty well gone through all of them at this point. Uh, but he seems to be... Uh, very steered towards French computers. So he covers like Thompson's and uh, the Thompson, of course, was, if I remember correctly, that's a 6809 based French machine. So that was, um, you know, one of the other few 6809 based home computers. And of course, we've covered a lot of these games before too, but he's pretty well got the entire set of the MC10 ones here. So if you haven't seen some of them and you want to gather them all in one spot, there's a pretty good gameplays here, and they're a bit longer than the ones Infuto itself does. So you get to see it in like a couple of the levels or a bit more of the gameplay than they show in theirs. So definitely go check that out. Uh, next, the Wargaming Scribe. I have covered this guy before. So he's been doing a complete chronological list of all computer war games stretching way, way back. Um, and he's currently in late 83, starting into 84. And uh, he covered Colca ones when they come up. We've had a few like by Soft Ride. Uh, most of the games of this genre for the Coco were by Arc Royal Games by Phil Keller, his company. And um, he's covered Waterloo here, which is near the end of 83. He wasn't too impressed with it. Now you have to take into consideration he's reviewing these as a modern gamer. Because one of the uh, points, like he gives ratings on different parts of, of the gameplay one of his ratings is basically, is this still relevant today? Like, is this something you'd still, you know, see something similar to maybe just hyped up graphics? And of course, most of these old, old ones are like, no. <laughs> so he usually gives them pretty bad review ratings here. Uh, Waterloo in particular, he wasn't super fond of. But he actually contacted me on Discord this week to mention that this one had come out. He said, uh, he, said uh, he wasn't sure if I'd covered the previous one. And I took a look at the previous one, which he did like last December. And I think I missed it because I had covered him a few times previous to that with Kamikaze and... Um, Battle of Gettysburg and stuff like that. But I think I missed this one he did in December because it was right literally two days before Christmas. So I probably completely missed it. Uh, so I'll show you that one here. But here's a bit of an animation here kind of showing you like it's a scrolling map and you've got your trees and your rivers and your, you know, dispatching troops, et cetera, like that. He goes into great detail in these games. Though, so he's got all kinds of sample screenshots and explaining. And he plays the game in its entirety for all the games he's done. And this is like episode 111 or something. So he he's not just playing it five minutes for a quick 
quick hit type thing. He's he's playing it until he wins it, basically. So lots of details here on what, what's going on. And then the one I'd missed is uh, Bomber Command from earlier in 1983. Um, and this is like a World War II one instead of going back to the 1800s. And he's got some of the animation here. You can kind of see. And basically, you're flying bombers. And you're dropping bombs. And you have to take into consideration you know, stuff you've already damaged. You pretty well have to skip over. And actually, as you progress through the years, I thought this was interesting. The up the technology of the bombers and stuff is updated as you go through the 1940s of the war. So the first couple of years of having bombers, your bombers are getting shot out of the sky constantly because they're just low-flying, regular planes. And by the later years of World War II, they got to the point where the bombers were flying 23 or 20,000 feet or higher above the earth. And the uh, people trying to shoot them down couldn't get the range to get up that high. So all of a sudden, you pretty well had free wheel bombing as much as you wanted to because it couldn't shoot you down or very rarely did. So it adjusts the actual gameplay as you're going to follow historical events and historical technological advances, too. So I thought that was quite cool. I've never really played this one all, you know, all the way through or anything myself because I just don't have the time for doing these you know multi-hour simulation style games but it was pretty pretty interesting pretty interesting read he still is not impressed with the game mind you but uh that's because he's you know viewing it for the lens of what current games are and then of course some of his critique here like he shows the game over he's you know, bomber losses 418 so he lost 418 planes lost 194 fighters destroyed four targets um and he says is that a good performance bad performance the game does not say so he's he's he critiques. <laughs> and uh, Nick, you might as well talk about this. You've watched it. <laughs> oh, hang on. Wait a minute. I've just got to save what I'm doing here. You weren't paying and... attention to my dulcet tones here during the Game On News? I'm I'm insulted, Nick. Well, notice I'm still awake then. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Aaron from... Um, uh, whatever he calls his show, the Coco Show, decided uh, for some reason to do a video that uh, talks all about my games. He goes. And I don't right think it involved first... payment from you, did it? No, no, I didn't know anything about it. So this was a freebie. So, <laughs> <laughs> so he goes through all my Coco games, right from uh, my first one, Neutroid One, all the way up to my last one, Neutroid Again. So I didn't do many games, did I? <laughs> he actually missed two, though. One, one he couldn't get it running, Rupert Rhythm. What, yeah, and one he didn't have, which I have since sent him a free copy. So, And that was, um, which one? That was Pipes, I think. Pipes, Pipes. I sent him a copy of Pipes. Now, we should mention, for those people that have gotten two meg upgrades, or eight meg upgrades, for that matter, uh, Rupert Rhythm does not run on those, correct? Yeah, that that's why he couldn't get uh, Rupert Rhythm to work because um, he well one he didn't he didn't realize he had two mega RAM, so <laughs> it was crashing uh, until I finally told him, "Oh look, are you sure you haven't got two mega RAM?" And uh, it turns out he did. So yeah, it doesn't work. Uh, Rupert Rhythm was my first Coco three game, so back then. I was uh, still learning on how to use the gimme chip. So there was a few things that uh, were a little bit, um, um, well, could cause problems. And R Rupert Rhythm was one of them. But it does work on a standard Coco 3 with uh, 
with five one twenty eight or five twelve. Yeah, one twenty eight. No, um, was it a one twenty eight gay game? I can't remember yep. now. Yep, I bought it. I remember. Yes, it was. It was a one twenty eight. Um, and it did run a five twelve. The problem is, is that the uh, extra MMU bits you just kind of. I think he tried to read them back or something. I can't remember the exact detail was, but basically it doesn't work. On yeah, I can't I... remember, but I've learned. Um, I've learned a few things since then. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, he did a really long video and he goes through and does a quick playthrough on all of them. Um, pretty well off the cuff, you know. By that I mean didn't read the manual, that sort of thing. So, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> as most people do, so you know. It's a very, um, a very uh, honest uh, review of of all the games. So, and he's bought quite a few of my games. So, um, most of them are all originals, of course. And yeah. Uh, yeah. and this was his so Septandi project. Yeah, yeah, he made it into his Septandi. Septandi. So, uh, I was quite surprised to see such a long video. I think yeah, it's an hour and three quarters hour. for those that haven't watched it. Yet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that was it. And I don't know if I can take an hour and three quarters of Nick's ego being stroked. So, <laughs> oh, I can. Is <laughs> <laughs> there playing uh, Gate Crusher at, at at the moment? Yep, you're one six or nine required game so far. Yeah, yeah. Now I did want to mention right. something, and I have not talked to you about this before, so I'm springing it on you. Um, Here we go. And it's about uh, your your infamous game, Neutroid. So at the uh, early part of the video, one? he tried which one? One, two. Well, that's three, my or point. Yeah. He he tried playing <laughs> Neutroid 2015 because he didn't have a copy of the original original. Oh no, he did, or did he? He did. So he tried playing He's the original Neutroid, the and he had no idea what was going on. And he basically said that when he got well, to your yeah. latest one, your Neutroid Reloaded, he didn't have to really read the manual. He could figure it out no, because of the visual stuff you added. Yeah, I mean, that was that was the point of doing uh, Neutroid Reloaded. It had to be a bit more intuitive. Yeah. Um, but and, I think he proved the, the point because in the span of an hour, he went from the original version, had no idea what was going on. And when he played your latest one where you did take that into consideration, he figured it out quickly it out. and he actually solved the level. Yeah. So yeah, I think it proved that you're, game, you're, yeah. it was definitely worth your while to redo Neutroid with those visual cues added like for steering the the particle and stuff there it, it made a huge difference for playability that's right so. and i have since learned that people don't read manuals so when you program a game assume that there will be no manual with it so uh, you've got to make it so that people can follow it without reading a manual so that's one thing i've, I've definitely learned over time and yeah. uh designing the game to be intuitive so again you could literally throw your hands on it and bang you already worked out the mechanics of the game you shouldn't need to read a manual you know click this press that move the joystick here oh that's it you've lost yeah 70 you know, of the of the audience yeah it's kind of ironic because i mean back in the old days to prevent piracy they would purposely make parts of the game hard to figure out by random chance like yeah. they wouldn't tell you know, you'd have to read the manual if you do the certain key sequence you bring up the map or something like that you know like unless you fiddled around with everything or went through the code you'd have no idea and the gameplay would suck because you didn't know what you're doing 
And now it's the complete opposite. Now you assume it's going to be copied all over hell without the manual, like you said. And now you've got to make it so everything's built in and easy to figure out. I think one of the problems that we have nowadays, as opposed to back then, is that people have played games. They're familiar with games nowadays. So they have an expectation of what a game should do, you know, or how a joystick should be controlled. So when they get a new game, they immediately think, well, why can't I do this? Because it's a different game, idiot. You know, <laughs> you know so this is the thing. People have an expectation now because they're so used to games now. Whereas back then, well, games were still a fairly new thing. So a lot of people thought, well, you know, maybe I have to read the book. Or I have to under understand it first. And but it was nowadays, the Wild West think... back then. So everybody was coming with different interfaces and different ways yeah, to do yeah. like. You know, I want to jump so, up. Do I have a button for that? Do I have to push the joystick up? Do I have variable speed? Do I have variable angles? Can I steer in midair? Like is, everything was crapshoot. Could I give why some input? Might... Hey. No, I was, was going to say, could I give some input? <laughs> uh, is that David? No, 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 we don't want Dave. Well, yeah. <laughs> Please, no. Go no, ahead, David. I, no, since I've been gaming for long time both on the coco and pcs one thing that i noticed um back with like wolfenstein 3d and most of the first person shooters they start picking up the the wasd keyboard layout as well as the arrow keys um and of course the control and and all for the sh the two shooting buttons and the space bar for jumping and many games even the the um, what would they be called? The platformers even picked up on using those as default keys, even for platformers on the PC games after that as well. So, um, which was pretty much standardized the control layout for many of the PC games at that time. So, yeah, it was an evolution. Like basically, everybody tried all kinds of different things in the early years. And then it kind of started to standardize, like, okay, most games will work this way for this type of control or whatever. And it kind of, honestly, it's made things a little bit more boring now because now we're just seeing sequels and sequels and sequels or, you know, games of the same ilk with different graphics. And we're not seeing complete originality, which, you know, sometimes failed miserably, but it was still interesting to see somebody try a completely brand new idea back in the 70s and the early 80s that you just don't see anymore. Yeah. And and like Nick about. and I were discussing privately here over the past week here about Zero Hour. Like one thing that you know he put in that game that is more towards the modern player. Players nowadays do not want to, for the most part, go through every level in order to get to the end of the game. Uh, they don't have the patience for it. You know, attention spans are much lower than they used to be. Like you used to have to earn your way to each level. If you want to see level two, you had to complete level one. And zero hour, you kind of got around that because basically you, you pick your elevator door. And if you go into a room and you can't figure out how to solve one particular screen, you can just exit and then go pick a different one and get through that one. So you still have a sense of accomplishment. Or you can just go through all the elevators. And at least you can see, you know, 12 levels. You don't have to earn your way and play all the way through the first 11 to see the 12. And I think that made zero hour a lot more popular because, you know, the modern day player that isn't up to playing for hours and days in order to solve it up to that point doesn't have to worry about it because they can actually see almost the entire game. They feel they get their money's worth. 
<clears throat> whereas on stuff like Popstar <clears throat> or Gunstar, you have to earn your way through it. And a lot of people have never seen, you know, past level two or three on either of those. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was one of the things I tried to implement in um, in um, in in that game, and it 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 that does work because I mean, I look at Gunstar. Gunstar's got four levels. I reckon most people have not even seen level three, three, yeah, or four, four. And, and, or four. Yeah, exactly, because they can't get through it. I don't know why. I mean, it, it, there's a bit of not so Thinking. much strategy. <laughs> well, yeah, you do have to memorize a few things. Oh, gee, memory, that means using my brain. So I will not get past this. Uh, and that, so they've never seen levels three and four, and which is a shame because the three and four has got some great graphics in it. But, and that's why when I did, um, when I did um, a zero hour, I thought, well, to make it so that people can get to see every level, even if they can't get through a level, I made it that option whereby you picked a room, you played it for as far as you can, otherwise you can go back out and go into another one until you finally get to understand what the how to complete levels and how to understand uh, the controls better, say. So it can be... Um, it's sort of a practice mode combined in within the game mode. So yeah. that was just and, something I tried on that. And ironically, that kind of brings you back to Rupert Rhythm, your first Coco 3 game, because you had that ability there yeah, too. Yeah, that was. That was. a. Uh, you couldn't. Once you got into a, oh, uh, yeah. You know, it sort of did that. You couldn't get back out of a level, though. Once you get in one, you had to finish it. Um, but it was randomized enough you, you could, could see the other levels. So You could pick the level you wanted to go to. Yeah, that's right. So... So um, Zero Hour was actually based on my Rupert Rhythm, really. So I took that that idea and just um, took it a little bit further. Yeah, because even some of your robot shapes were based loosely on your previous. Yeah, they were. Rhythm. They were very similar. So I wanted to ask I mean, the panel here as part of this discussion, because, uh, you know, after talking with Nick about, you know, how to redesign games now for the modern audience that doesn't have the patience to, you know, go through a slog to get through every level of the game. What What is your guys' opinions? Are you guys old school gamers where you don't mind having to play for 30 hours to get through everything? Or do you prefer the the more modern thing where you can basically pick and choose where you go through so you can see everything within 10 minutes? I, I do kind of like wandering around, but I don't know. I mean, that's the only way I get to see uh, past level one anyway. Right. Yeah, no, Mark, these these new ones are tailored for you. <laughs> and anybody else about like David Ladd, like you're a gamer gamer. Um, what what's your opinion on the uh the long play you have to get through every level to get to the next one versus the kind of choose your own adventure? Well, I'm going to use some some probably well known MMOs for examples for what I'm about to say. So the long old style sloths, EverQuest comes to mind where you have to explore the world. It tells you, you have to go talk to this person, but it doesn't exactly tell you where. So you have to go and explore the entire world to find this NPC to continue to the next part of the quest. So it's like, like the old Ultima games were like that too. Yes. And then you go to like World of Warcraft, where you get this nice little waypoint on the map and you just 
run there. You know exactly where the person is that you need to go talk to. You know, two MMOs, just one's made in the late 90s, and one is, well, more modern. You know, so you, you, you know, it's basically hand guiding you to where you need to go, where the other one, no, you need to go talk to this person. Now go find them. Yep. Get your graph paper out. You're going to have to figure out where you've been. So that's, that's been my experiences. And, and, and a lot of games are more, how do I want to say this? They are more like that, unless you're into what they call survival games. And some of the survival games like Ark or um, uh, Don't Starve or games like that where you have to, you know, remember where things are because you don't get a waypoint to go find it, you know. So, Dave, um, having having been through both generations where you've, you've, you've played both styles, do you have a preference and has it changed over the years? Certain situations, yes, I find... Um, a friend of mine who used to always complain, well, you need to read more, you know, yeah, you have problems with reading, but you need to read the context. And I'm the one that's still doing the games where reading is required. And then he's the one that now won't read. He doesn't want to do the games that have all this text on the screen that requires reading. He's now the one that wants to be handheld through the rest of the game. <laughs> so me, I'm, I'm partial to either. He's now more the one that actually wants to be held held through through the game. And I'm like, that's kind of an, an odd turn. <laughs> and then but, my next question is, for those of you that have kids that play video games, is it an age thing? Like, is it just that, you know, as, as older adults, we're so busy with life and everything else, we just don't have the time to go through and slog through an entire game for hours and hours and hours? Or is the younger generation also not wanting to slog through hours and hours and hours? Or if you have any friends, you know, younger friends that have played games these days, is it, is it different? Is it a generational thing versus just, you know, the games are better designed now because now we get to see more of the game because we we are handheld through chunks of it? I I certainly see it with people. But people like Buck Owens and Tasman, the reason I chose them as game testers is because they are the type of te players who will keep playing something over and over again. They don't get bored of it. They just look for every little bug. They're looking for little shortcuts here and there. and they So they're really good for testing code. Um, whereas, yeah, I think uh, like if, if I was to – a lot of young kids nowadays – Five minutes, you know, if they haven't completed that stage, oh, forget it, this game's boring. Well, no, it's not boring. It's just you, you can't do it. <laughs> it's just that you uh, suck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They don't want to say that. They just want to say this game's boring. But, uh, yeah, so there is there is a difference. Um, and the other thing also I, I, I might raise also is with a lot of my games of late, I've always had a game over. Uh, sorry, not a game over. Uh, an the end. ability to allow an end, like for the player to win. Because uh, it, uh, looking at myself, I hate playing a game for so long 
and never ever being able to get to the end of it. It just bugs me. I think, well, what's the point, really? Just it's just an endurance test. Yeah, you're not into the like arcade it. games where the entire point is just to beat a score. Yeah, yeah, well, that's right. Unless you're into just getting trying to get the biggest score, um, I like to see an achievement at the end of it all. And if there is really no end goal, you just go on for as long as you go until you get bored. Um, they don't grab me. So a lot of my games, even going right back to my Space Invaders, my Space Intruders, it was a, it was just a Space, uh, a Space Invaders. But level nine, you actually have. I decided way back then. I did this in 1988. If you can get to level nine, um, you don't have any more invaders. You get the big mothership come down. Oh, of Phoenix. Which when you when you blow up the big mothership, you've won. It's game over, but you've won. You've saved the Earth. Mind you, I don't think many people have actually gotten that far. But if you were that good, you could get to that level and actually win the game, and it would be game over. So I, I, I've been doing that in a lot of my games. I mean, Zero Hour, the one we've got up there now, that's got an end game as well. Yep. You have to uh, disable the bomb. If you get through all the levels, you disable the bomb. That's it. You've saved the world or saved the, the, the city or whatever. Yeah. Actually, even Neutroid Reloaded actually has uh, 16 levels. I could have, that game could have just kept on going, just getting harder and harder until the player just, just couldn't really, it was impossible. But 16 levels, I end it. I say, congratulations, this is the score you got. And that's it. And then it becomes a case of, well, let's see how high a score you can get after 16 levels. Mind you, um, Tasman and Buck Owens have made level 16 easily. <laughs> of course. Um, but I suspect most people won't. But, yeah, if you if you are that good, there is an end to it as well. I just like an end. It just feels incomplete. Yeah. If it's just over and over and over and just keep flogging the player with more and more impossible situations, I think... Well, that that's a cop out. That, yeah, and I understand why it was popular in the eighties and the seventies because that's what arcades well, were based on. Like you had to make they'll, quarters they'll last. That money. was the player's exactly. mission. Let them keep going until they waste all their money. Yeah, and if they got really good, they could play for like an hour or two on twenty five cents. You know, or, or longer. And, and, and later on, arcade games allowed you to put more money in to play, keep playing. Yeah, which kind of you know? solved the you can't see every level, and now you can just keep yeah, pumping in money right. until you get there. You know? Just keep putting more money in, and that's what they want. They don't mind you playing there for 24 hours. Just keep pumping the money in. <laughs> yep. I, other than David, I don't think anybody else too many or too many on the on the panel wanted to uh, further discuss it, but I want to get at some of the stuff that was mentioned in the chat here. So Erico says, uh, standards sometimes can backfire and cap creativity on a broad scale. When we had no genres back in the 70s and 80s, there were tons of experimenting. Most amazing stuff came out. I totally agree with that. There was a lot more originality back then. And then he also said, I prefer very hardcore challenges and I need surprises. I don't actually need to see everything if that is met. Best that I don't. So there are pages left on this book for a future read, which means it's kind of like some uh, you know, slightly more modern games will have these hidden secrets you can go find. So once you get good enough at the game to get through everything, 
you can go back and play because you know you missed you know 15 secrets or whatever so you had to find some hidden passage in a wall or something like that so that that extends some of the playability while making the main game play a bit easier so you can actually win the game but there's still more to do and then uh, tasman says i tend to like games that are not linear i like the sandbox type games like minecraft where you can go and do whatever you want which is kind of along the lines of what we did with zero where you can pick rooms and if you don't like that one or can't figure out how to solve it you can exit and do a different one and you know solve that one instead still getting a sense of accomplishment whereas you know if the game forces you to progress level one level two level three and you can't get past level one you get frustrated fairly soon and then you'll just never play the game again because you hate it which is why i'm surprised uh you know mark mosley comes here and plays games every week so every week <laughs> Anyway, I thought it was an interesting discussion topic because I've noticed that, you know, games are definitely done differently now than they were back in the day. I'm I'm a bit more of a fan in some ways of the old style because I think the originality was way better because everybody was trying everything to see what sticks. And now it's kind of settled and there's there's less variety. It's just all about, you know, what what sounds and the graphics look better. That's basically what it is now. But I also don't mind the fact that if you get a game that you can see most of the game that you paid for um, without having to become an expert on it, that's actually a plus two because otherwise you might buy a game, like you said, Gunstar, and a lot of people have not seen past level two. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. So to round this all up, thanks to uh, Aaron for doing uh, the surprise video on me for September. Uh, so. Uh... He's a, a free promotion for my stuff, which, yeah. by the way, www.nickmarentisnospace.com. If you want to see all my games there, plug, yeah. plug, plug. Oh, yeah. Some are the commercial. older ones are free, and even a couple of the smaller, yeah, you, like 4K ones are free. And then you can oh, buy oh, a pack. My later ones, yeah, you can buy them, but all my other ones are available, downloadable for free off that site as well. As yeah, well and you've got some packs or... where they can get multiple of your newer games in one shot too, right? Oh, some of them do, yeah. But all yeah. my old games, you can get the manuals as well. So for those that do like reading, you can get the – mind you, it's the original manuals. I've got the original manuals that the uh, Donut Dilemma, Rupert Rhythm, Space Intruders that I sold when I was selling the game back in the 80s uh, through Tandy. So it's uh, – the, the manuals are for a cassette system, but – Anyway, the gameplay is still accurate for it. So, yeah, yeah, let's go check it out. Um, and he's, he's working on his next masterpiece right now, which I won't say anything else about. But... <laughs> and this one, this one, Curtis actually approves of. So... Yeah, actually, honestly, uh, the, the newest Detroit and, and Aaron showed it in spades exactly why it's a lot better. It's a much more intuitive game now. Actually, I don't mind the new, the latest Detroit at all. I bug you about it because it's tradition at this point, but <laughs> you 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 vastly improved it on the latest one. Uh, last couple of comments in there. Uh, Waylon says, "I like games that immediately have you in the action, but you feel like you're doing well." Um, he also says, "Then the game should become more challenging as you get going." So that's uh, talking about the uh, you know the how fast the skill level rises. Okay, so on to the next one. Anyway, go check it out on the Amigos ch YouTube channel, or you can even probably still find it on Twitch too. Um, 
but uh, it's an hour and three quarters of uh, Nick Rennie's goodness and, and missing just two. Uh, That's right. That's a real rhythm. ego scrub. <laughs> I, I will mention, for those of you that have two make boards, some of them have the option of actually moving a jumper or doing a poke to force it to pretend to be a 512K board. Yes. And then a ripper rhythm should work. It does, yeah. If you can disable the uh, two meg, 512 will, will make it work. Yeah. The, uh, Boomerang has a, a soft switch setting you can do. It should be documented on the cooker. Yeah, so does... Yeah, I think uh, the triad does too. I've, I have the triad, which, um, which by the way, does... Where can I get a uh, another DAT board from? Is, You'll have to read Mark. I, I've tried contacting Mark, but just wondering. He might have been busy getting still... ready for Tandy assembly because he's actually there. Yeah, right I now, suspect so. so. So I'll ask him later. But the uh, protector actually creates problems. The the DAT board that he sells. So yeah, I was hoping to find a boomerang one, but. I don't know where you can buy them anymore. Is there any update on that from Mark or Sloopy? Um, still working on make... it. I, I'm I'm not all smart on TPLD stuff, so I probably have to in order to get this all figured out. So it's on my list of things to do. In the okay. meantime, it's just treading water. It's not dead, just treading water. Okay, but the five twelve K you guys have been selling, right? Um, I'm not sure if even those got programmed. Sloopy, were you able to program any of the five uh, twelves? There's three parts. There's the 512, the 2 meg, and of course the DAT board. So, and they all require all right. being the CPLD being reprogrammed correctly. Well, the 512 shouldn't because right. there's no DAT board required, is there? No, no, there's none. But it does have a CPLD for the glue circuitry. If that isn't programmed correctly, it don't work correctly. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, I didn't know that. I thought it would just plug you in know, just like yeah, the 512. It was just it was just RAM. The 2 meg needed the. Uh, the DAT board. Well, you don't need the DAT board for the 512, but it does have a CPLD. So, hmm. okay. Yeah, okay. so I've got to replace, replace my 2 meg uh, DAT board. Unless Mark can give me a solution. Yeah. I'm trying to remember, did Jim Brain have a 2 meg board at one time? I don't know. I don't think you did any direct RAM boards. You did the Coco Flash, which is like a oh, uh, maybe you're right, John. Which is a bank switch cartridge thingy, like kind of like the Coco PSG does, but not a direct memory board. Yeah, because Richard's totally out of the Coco market now, so it, obviously you can't get him there. And and Mark, and it, he still hasn't advertised to make on his site for some stupid reason. Mark, get on that. If anyone's Marlette, selling should... a. Uh... If anyone's selling a boomerang dat board, uh, send me a message. I'll be interested to buy it. Oh, six I, in the chat who has made five twelve k boards because he sold them too, and he's made his own. He says you need to latch some address lines. It does not need the power of a CPLD though. So maybe there's an alternative way you guys could get that running then. Talk talk to sixty mark because it sounds like well I know he sold like half a dozen of this five twelve k boards already and they will work so. Shouldn't be that difficult. Well, the other thing too, Curtis, that you got to think of is that sometimes um, one CPLD chip is easier to deal with than having a whole bunch of 74LS logic. Because really, if you look at uh, uh, Rocky Hill stuff for that RAM upgrade for the Coco 2Bs, the ones that have the daughter board, 
that have the the S RAM on it. He mm-hmm. uses the seventy four LS chips on that, but you've got multiple chips. Usually, if you get a cheap CPLD, one chip is cheaper than a whole bunch of seventy four LS chips, and it's easier to have one chip. It's just you got to program it. Okay, that's- yeah, because Sixty just said, well, if, if the design uses a CPLD, that's unfortunate, <laughs> or unfortunately. Because I guess he got it running pretty easy. But yeah, yeah. if you want to make one common <clears throat> design that has a CPLD on it for all the different sizes of upgrades, that would make sense. That you wouldn't want to you know, split it apart into multiple circuit yeah. boards, et cetera. Yeah, I'm not sure what Richard's thinking was, but that's the way it is. <laughs> okay. It really is that way. There is the CPLD in question. Sitting is right that a classic the- or a 2 meg? This, no, this is just the classic 512, but it's got the CPLD in it as well as the flash RAM chip. Okay. So, so that's the way he did it. Okay. Yeah. That's the Linux. burden I inherited. Yeah, it's a Linux XG9572XL. So good luck with all of that. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, the 3.3 volt regulator because all of this yeah, that's stuff what it is. is. Yeah. Yeah, because that's one thing that the Cocoa Market had to make upgrades from multiple suppliers for a while there, and even the 8 meg optional from um, Ed Snyder or Paul Barton before that. And, and now they've all kind of disappeared. I mean, Mark occasionally has 2 meg boards, but I don't know if he's actively making them that much anymore because he at the last fest, he was mostly selling 512s. Right. And uh, he's not advertising them. He never has uh, at on his website. He has a, a shows. Uh, we're kind of have a, a gap in the market at the moment. He had them there because he was able to sell me the uh, DAT board for it, which is the one I used it because my poison DAT board blew up. Um, so he had some there, but he wasn't advertising at all. So. Yeah, don't quite understand that. Ho- hopefully somebody can get it running, though, because it would be nice to get it up and running for people. Especially now that Glenn Hewlett's working on converting an Amiga game over that he said it's going to require to make. It's not going to do too well if people can't even get them. Well, I've got two meg of RAM. My uh, Coco says two meg of RAM on the badge, but I've only got I've unplugged the DAT board, and I'm only running five twelve because of mm-hmm. the problems I'm uh, experiencing with the uh, uh, a timing issue with the protector board. Hmm. Seems like that would exist even when you were running five twelve, but. No, no, no. Well, maybe it I'm protected. Blocked. Maybe it protected well, I don't you, need... and now it's broke. It's well, no. I think it's because of the buffering it does. It protects the uh, six eight oh nine, but that buffering is creating a timing issue. But um, those buffers are—they're actually here on the side of it. These three chips that are flying out yeah. here—that's the buffers he's yeah. added. So removing the DAT doesn't remove those. They're always there. It well, no, well, his... it, it's it, it's well, maybe it's in his CPLD. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe it's in his his RAM management that's delayed. So. Yeah. Hmm. But it it completely yeah plays up with my um Coco three. It it takes me um twenty times uh hitting the reset button to reset my Coco. It won't reset. Ouch. Take the DAT board out. It's fine again. Yeah, so that, that's oh, a yeah. void in the coca market that we need to get filled again. Boy, whoever can do it. It doesn't matter yeah. to me. New ones would be nice. 
like I said, there is some software coming out that will require it. Not not optional like Nitrous 9. It's it's nice to have 2 mega. I have it in, in several of my machines, but uh, Ed, of course, is not making his these days either uh, until I think he gets the Game X going and he's still waiting for CPLDs for that, like Brendan was mentioning. Same with the Coco VGA, but uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's uh, it's something I was recommending to people constantly. Like if you want to use Nitrous 9 to its utmost, get at least the 2 meg. The 8 meg's nice to add the 6 meg RAM drive on top of it, but I can't even recommend it anymore because it's pretty well on obtainium we've got to get frank to stop making them yeah i think so <laughs> he's he's set up to do bulk manufacture so it's probably best for him but i don't he'd have to like research and kind of devise it from scratch unless he can make a deal with somebody to you know get an existing schematic or whatever that somebody else or the programming that somebody else has done and then just kind of take over the manufacturing side just so we can get it back out there for the people I mean, that's off a bit of a tangent from gaming. <laughs> it was a bit, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, next up, uh, fellow Aussie to uh, Nick, uh, Brian Palmer, has been uh, going on a bit of a rampage here, going through Australian cocoa magazines and uh, 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 Australian mag cocoa magazines in broad term of the sense, not the specific one called Australian cocoa, and typing in games that we've never seen here before in North America. And he's got a couple of new ones he's put up on Facebook recently. Hopefully, they'll be on the uh, archive as well soon. Uh, so the first one here is called the highlight here. So Pendant of Death by Wayne Kelly, I think is what that was supposed to say. It's a text adventure game with some graphic pictures thrown in. And he wants some play testers because he's been typing these in by hand because uh, the scans of some of these magazines is not the greatest. So it's not going to OCR very well. So he's been typing them by hand. We'd like to play testers to kind of download and see if they can play through the game, see if there's any weird errors that show up, like a return without a go sub or a syntax because of a little typing mistake that you only hit when you're in room 52 or something like that. So he does want people to download these and test them and then report feedback to him if any problems that you hit so we can try to fix them. So that's the first one he uh, has typed in. And then later in the week, he also did this one called uh, Dragon Lord. Um, and this is uh, from Australian Coco as well. And uh, also available for download. And you can see a couple screenshots here. And unfortunately, he's still running a really old version of main that stretches everything horizontally twice as wide as it's supposed to be. So the pixel aspect ratio is terrible. And I keep bugging him about it to fix that too. So because it makes the screenshots look annoying. <laughs> it's like walking, going to my mom's place and watching all over, watching four by three broadcast TV stretched to 16 by nine, except worse. Hmm. So. Anyway, this is a 32K extended basic martial arts game. So we don't have too many of those in the Coco. There's a few like Kung Fu Dude and Kim Guy. Um, so there's another one here. So once again, he would like people to download the disc image from the Facebook Coco group and play test it, report any bugs that you hit. Um, I think he has submitted these to the archive. I'll have to double check with him. But um, I know William's been quite busy lately because uh, it was taking a couple of weeks for approvals. I had sent him for at the beginning of September to get approved around the middle of September finally. So. Uh, if you want to get them now, I would just go to the Facebook group. What's a bug? <laughs> Rupert Rhythm on 2 Meg. That's a bug, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, in the Game On News, we have Richard Kelly. And I'll let Nick talk about this one because it's based on his project. So we talked oh, about yeah. it it's probably about a month ago now. Uh, Nick programmed a Pong game in BASIC, extended BASIC for the Coco, and then kind of released it to the world and said, what can you do to improve it? Now, I'm assuming you have seen this version 1.11, Nick? Yes, yes. 
So, so he's, uh, compared he's to the a, original, what all is different? Well, he's done a few little more optimizations again, but he's also added a few functions like um, you can see on the screenshot there and down the bottom, you can choose um, uh, the left and right player can be either you know, a joystick controlled or computer. So in other words, you can get the computer to control one or even both sides. So it self-plays. So he added that option, which is uh, pretty cool. Um, I've On my one, I've got a, a demo mode, but this is sort of more, um, you can make a, a demo mode by just making computer for both the left and right player, and then it'll play demo, I guess. But uh, yeah, Rick's uh, a very good uh, optimizer. He knows how to optimize the basic program. So he gets a little bit more speed out of it. Well, as fast as basic will allow, of course. It's not going to be as good as a machine code. But uh, this was his latest version, 1.11. And uh, yeah, that's it. That was uh, our SEP Tandy 2023 project. Yeah, no, see, it was cool that you did. They, like he, you guys went back and forth multiple times on this, so it's it's progressed yeah, quite yeah, a bit from so, the original. That's right. Yeah, so he started off with a few optimizations, and then it got to the point where, you know, I had a few ideas, he had a few ideas, so I thought, well, well, we just make two versions, mine <laughs> and yours, <laughs> and just have them both available. You know, people can play what they want. And, yeah, uh, and take a look at whatever programming techniques you guys use to do some they're only basic. Yeah, that's right. Anyone can just hit break and just list the program. There it is. Okay. Well, that ends the game on news. So go download uh, that. Now, have you got yours on your site or is it on Facebook or where's your version? I had it on Facebook. Um, I haven't made a put it on my websites at all. I should, I suppose. That means doing work. Yeah, the version 1.11 Retro Rick Edition by Richard Kelly. That one's available on the Coco Facebook group. Um, you can download that too and, and give it a shot. Did, did you plan on hosting both of them on your site so that people can download both there or for convenience? I could do. Yeah, I could do. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll think about that <laughs> right now. <laughs> after after finishing one big project and diving into another, I don't want to uh, <laughs> distract yourself. Want to give myself, yeah. Okay, uh, Mark Bosley, did you want to... When you want the latest in TRS-80, Tandy, Dragon, MC-10, and all of their hardware cousins, no matter what it takes, or where news breaks, from around the world, to your nation. The Coco Nation News with L. Curtis Boyle. Okay, Curtis, take it away. Okie dokie. Okay, so we had our first beta episode of uh, Coco Tech, which was a show that was envisioned by 
Mark Overholzer, but he's been too busy to actually do it. <laughs> so we kind of snuck one in just as a test. And boy, I'm glad we labeled it a beta because the beginning was pretty rough. We had all kinds of sound problems and, and various things. It took about half an hour to get everything fixed up enough to, to have the show. It was and we're still playing Coco Talk episode. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, we're also playing around with, you know, formats. Like in this case here, we decided to try to cover both a, a bit of software stuff and a bit of hardware stuff. So Slippy did the hardware stuff and I did the software stuff. Uh, just to show that, you know, watching somebody solder for five minutes without saying anything, is it gets a little bit dull. So I'd sneak in and like do a couple quick little basic tips and tricks and type thing. Especially considering, like, I did get a couple of complaints, and we'll get into some other comments here shortly. I did get a couple of complaints, like, you know, this is Coco Tech. Why are you guys covering, you know, sort of beginner stuff? A um, couple reasons. I mean, tech just means technical. That doesn't mean advanced technical. It can be any level of, of difficulty. And two, because of VCF, we've actually got a, quite a few new Coco people that have no idea what you can do in a Coco period. So covering some of the more beginner stuff for me actually makes sense because it'll kind of whet their appetite for what you could do as you learn. Can I interject so, something? Yeah. Yeah. So my idea with Coco Tech, and I talked this over with OG Stevie a long time ago, was we don't have a lot of chance to delve, do deep dives into stuff. You know, it gets kind of boring on this regular show. So the idea was to be able to focus on something or maybe a group of somethings in this case and take it a little bit deeper. And it's like, hey, if you don't like it, you don't have to watch it or you can skip through it. Yeah. So it's not a broad appeal. It's a single appeal. So it doesn't matter. It could be could be focusing on how a game works, have Nick Morantes disassemble something for us, or it could be, you know, uh, a piece of hardware audio. I'm thinking of having a whole uh, episode on different audio, hardware audio for the for the Coco, uh, one on the video stuff like the Coco VGA and the Coco DB and stuff. Another one on network interfaces, <laughs> you know, so it's tech. We're going to focus on something that's deeper than regular. Yeah. And like I, I was, well, like I said, we'll get into some of the comments here, but uh, I was wondering for the people that watched it or people who are actually on the panel um, for that particular show, uh, what did you guys think of, of doing the split between having a hardware and a software where it just kind of jumps between as, you know, is, is appropriate depending on what is happening on each side? Or would you prefer it to be focused on one subject and one subject only? For the starting, I thought it was a good good thing because it kind of got a lot of things going. It's like uh, on your stovetop, you have lots of pots boiling, so you get to bounce back mm -hmm. and forth between them. I thought it had potential, um, especially if you get a project where there is a hardware and software component of the same project. You could have them both kind of going side by side. That would be kind of interesting. That's probably something people suffer from, right? When uh, you start building stuff, and then you need to put it together with software to make it work. A lot of times the hardware guys don't like doing the software part, right? And vice versa. Right. And that's why there'll be two people on a lot of these projects because I can't write the software for the Coco IO. Well, there's one right there. You know, <laughs> and uh, I'm sure the same thing with everyone else. The guy that's good at the hardware isn't the guy that's good at the software. <laughs> so, yeah, there's there's not too many people that are really good at both. Bill Noble's one that I do know of. Um, Nick, actually, to a certain extent, can do Digiscan and stuff there. I mean, that's another example. I fudged um, that one. <laughs> but I wouldn't have a clue where to even start with hardware, except my hair. So I, I thought it was good. It was a good format having it gave a bit of variety. And as long as you don't just dwell on just the one thing, I think it was if it was just all hardware then the person who's not interested so much in the hardware will say, oh, this is boring. But by having a bit of hardware, a bit of software, and then having being able to just move 
uh, talk to the hardware guy, whoever's doing the hardware for a moment and then jump over to the software and multitask it that way or, or not so much multitask it, but cooperative task between them. A little bit on the software, go back to the hardware or if you've got multiple people, just move between them all. So you do it. It just gives it a bit more variety. You're not stuck on the one thing for the entire show. I thought I thought it was all right. I like the software part and the hardware part myself. One other thing too is that whereas uh, the Coco Nation is designed to be general uh, general appealability, you should be able to be interested in any one of them or find something interesting. On the Coco Tech, there will probably be ones you won't be interested in because you're not going to be interested in uh, you know audio hardware audio for the Coco. So you know it's not. Yeah, or you're not interested in Nitrous Nine. Yes, batch exactly. files or whatever yeah or whatever yeah so you, i don't expect you're going to watch watch every one of them you're just going to pick the ones you want or then get to the others later maybe no. and that's and again yeah. the bouncing back and forth i think it's a good idea yeah i mean yeah, the bouncing just, back and forth isn't so much about you know having an alternate subject matter you're more interested in for me it's it's more the fact that when you're doing hardware in particular if you've got a lot of soldering to do on a hardware project you're going to be busy concentrating on that you're not going to be talking to the audience so it's dead air for five minutes right. while you're waiting for a chip to get soldered in. So you need something to make that a little bit more interesting. I know some other hardware shows will do a lot of witty banter and stuff. And I got multiple complaints about our witty banter. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I, I think they prefer more content and maybe having that, that kind of mix of a, a software side or even two different hardware projects that are kind of at different stages of each might be another right. option for that. So you this got also the first show it. too. Um, so yeah. you did get, I just, Oh, sorry. Go on. So I'm Go ahead. Slippy. So you did get complaints? Yes. Then that means that people were watching. That's good. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm not complaining <laughs> about that. The viewership on it actually was higher than I expected. Um, I can't remember what the number of views is. Yeah, there were to tell me? 233. 233, yeah. So it's it's actually almost up to our normal show standards. It's quite a bit higher than the Game on Challenge, to be honest, which oh. I, that surprised me. Yeah, only in viewership, not in quality of production. <laughs> hey, it was the first show yeah, you're you're okay sloopy on this one because you were on both of them so it doesn't really matter yeah well it also didn't help that i was planning on doing that next week and you're like no let's do it this week so it's in septandy and i'm like i'm not even ready yet well look looking at the numbers there was worth it yeah there was well, a lot of people was you, you've had two years to get the game on challenge up to these numbers and you haven't done it yet so it was, it was it'll be telling if people come back next time <laughs> Yeah, I, I like the fact that you can watch Sloopy for a bit and doing his soldering. And then while he keeps soldering and doing whatever, then Burning Curtis is cut in and, and tell us yeah, and tell us a few, you know, good tips about basic programming and showing it to us. And then we'd bounce back to Sloopy and see how he's you know, how he's Yeah, and he's got his first component done. Now he's explaining how the that's second right. component it was, works. And, it was yeah. a good yeah. it's like being at a real club. You know, you, moving from table to table. You look a bit on this one, then you go back and see how the other one's going. Then you walk back and see the, the first table again. It was a sure. almost interactive, you could say. And that's one thing I've envisioned for the show. And I, I never talked to Mark about this, my apologies, but I would like it to be interactive that we can take suggestions from the audience, even live, especially for doing oh, software yeah. coverage. Like, what would you like yeah. to cover today? Yeah. You oh, want to do OS9? Do you want to do basic? You know, whatever. Um, oh, and it, liable to have stuff come up as you go. You mention something and somebody says, oh, yeah, how does that work? Or how does that work with this? And then yeah. Or could you demonstrate to... how to get this to work or something? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could have you could even have someone even just playing a game. 
it's like if it's a game they want to demonstrate, they have one guy playing a game. It's like, it's yeah. as if he's at a at another table playing a computer game. If you're not interested in the game, move, listen to um, Sloopy instead. You know, do, do we uh, want just playing game playing that we already have a show kind of oh, well you, you yeah you might want something a like bit if you want to explain involved. like maybe some technical aspects yeah. of a game like how did it do this like neat a, effect yeah, yeah. go with a bit yeah. more than yeah. that otherwise yeah. one guy's covering the code and some other guys playing the game yeah to demonstrate the what of. they're talking about yeah yeah yeah, exactly. yes, yeah. One so thing, that's what i meant yeah one thing that i'd really like to see is basic use like not everyone knows that when you type load M or load, well, when you type load, you know that you got to run it. But when you type load M, not everyone knows that you have to type in EXEC in order to run it. Unless it auto starts. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was another thing. Like I got a few, like I mentioned before, I got a few people complaining it wasn't technical enough, but that I am, that what I will fight back on because like I said, we've got a lot of new people coming to the Cocoa thanks to Sloopy and others that were at VCF. Uh, there's people interested in getting it. There's people who just picked one up. They've never seen a cocoa before in their life. They know none of the stuff we take for granted. Mm-hmm. And that is technical. Like, how do you load a machine language program and exec it? Um, like, how do you chain like, programs together? Like, there's all kinds of stuff. Like Marco yeah. said, he's, he's building a playlist. You don't watch every one. You go to the playlist and mm-hmm. pick yeah, what you need. Of, yeah. yeah, it's sort of like when I first started using the cocoa. main reason why I went to X4 as opposed to VCC even though a lot of people told me to use VCC is I couldn't figure out how to get a disc loaded in VCC because it's not, unless you start reading through the the manual deeply, it's not real clear that you need to put the MPI.dll into the uh, cartridge slot. And then you have to put the FD502 DLL into the MPI. Yep. I mean, that's, that's not, If you use an original cocoa, I mean, that makes sense because that's how the actual machine works. But if you're not familiar with it, then you're not. It makes no sense at all. Right. I mean, it's (laughs) like, why do you have to do all these? And Nextwar has already done that for you because more than likely you can do it. Speaking of, Curtis, your frozen screen is really confusing our audience. Yeah, I'll oh, Paul screen. <laughs> yeah, my mugshot's really making me. My yeah, move mugshot. move it every once in a while. Well, I'll just okay. let it play without the audio here because we'll be talking over it anyway. So, um, <laughs> one other thing. Well, actually, I'll, I'll get into the comments here. Of there, I'll do the comments that are showed up in the chat first because it's been quite a few actually, which is which is good, which means people are engaged with this idea. Um, so well, scrolling most of them are back about a little your bit frozen here. Screen. What's that? Most of them are about your frozen screen. <laughs> <laughs> well, um. Like Mikey said, I watched Cocoa Tech on a flight the other day. It was a fun way to pass the time. Man, you need to get a life, Mikey. Um, <laughs> Tim Gilbert, who's from the UK here, says, started watching it, got to where the audio was okay because it took us quite a while to get all that all fixed up. Uh, and then ran out of time. We'll watch the rest of the tra- on the train to the Dragon Meet uh, that is scheduled here shortly, a couple of weeks. Uh, then Mike said, I actually enjoyed switching between things. Just make the transition smoother. Well, we were just kind of winging it. So, yeah, I agree. It's a, it was a little bit choppy. It's but a beta. We, this is our first time trying it, right? Um, like the host can help switch back and forth. This is something I totally agree with. And I actually had mentioned it in a reply to one of the people that I was complaining about stuff is that we, we need two people to be presenters. Like in this case, it was Sloopy and me, but we need somebody else to be the host that can do the smooth transition. So we're not trying to show something or, or set up for the next showing of something 
and try to you know maintain the show fluidity at the same time. Like we should have a moderator say it was Ken or whoever that would be the okay. Sloopy's going to show you how to do this one particular part of the upgrade, and then Curtis in the meantime can you know get some screens set up or a small basic program or whatever he's doing to to get ready for the next segment so it's much smoother you're right into it rather than you know kind of holding off type thing so i think we need a moderator and you know depending on the show might be one or two presenters i don't think we should have more than two in most cases because i think that would be a little bit too scatterbrained all over the place and i really like rick's idea where you have a piece of hardware and you have software to show how it's done that might be two different people um so i agree with that too um Tim Gibbons also I'm said, don't it. forget the people who test things as well. That is an important third. Mm-hmm. Now, that's something I'd not thought of, like having people that actually test hardware, test software, and showing that process for doing that. Like we, like Nick has mentioned, like Buck and Tasman are really good at testing his games to the utmost, where most of the rest of us that have done some testing, I've stumbled upon a, you know, upon a few bugs, but I don't play as, as good as those guys to get through all the every possible thing to find some of these bugs so getting that or rick you and you like all the stuff you were doing trying to figure out the bugs in the network card over the last while like all the things you've tried and everything else like that might be good to have you know henry strickland come in and kind of talk about what he did to figure out some of the issues back and forth too like that as mm-hmm. not a bad idea so maybe i have to go back in my previous coming maybe you can have up to three on a show because maybe you have a hardware guy a software guy and a tester um Wayland says I had a task where the software was not fast enough, so I added a bit of hardware. So that's that's something good you could talk about on the show too. Tim Gibbons also said when I am the software guy, it's always the hardware guy's fault. When I'm working on the hardware, it's always the software guy's fault. I totally agree with that. Just knew with that. <laughs> you know, head to head and battle right on code. <laughs> when you talk about people uh, working on the color computer, doing the um, internals and stuff, or doing software. Which is the term hacker used for? Both. Ah. A hacker is someone who hacks into stuff or hacks on things. Yep. Could be a guy cooking a, a meat pie. He could hack yeah, the meat pie be. and add extra ingredients. Yep. Usually it's technical, though. It could be hacking and engineering, but it'd be hardware yep. or software. Unless you're an axe murderer, that's a whole different kind of hacking. Yeah, it's different hacking. <laughs> oh, guy down in front. Move. We can't see the cocoa. <laughs> 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 Uh, further comments. Uh, Scott Cooper Tasman says, I think Cocoa Tech is awesome. A way to teach people how to use the Cocoa. I like the software learning, like assembly, basic, basic, et cetera. Maybe even how to set up the Cocoa emulators, which goes exactly what Sloopy just talked about with VCC versus XROR. Uh, Wayland says, when the hard problems with the hardware are fixed in software, then they blame the software because you fixed it in the software. I've hit that problem a few times myself. Tim Gilwoods also adds, uh, that's a good point. We have done a few dev work where both as easier to add a chip and sometimes easier to do some more code. So sometimes you adapt your solution by what's the easiest path of re- you know least resistance. And you could do it either way, but it might be really complicated fixing a problem in hardware or vice versa. It might be really hard to fix it in software. So then you you kind of choose your path based on that. Which way which I'm is sure cheaper. Rick's familiar with. <laughs> and then there's always the argument about doing mods that and the computer isn't like it was when it was put out. And- that that's not something we'd cover into Coca Tech though, because that, that's an opinion piece, just strictly opinion. That's not a technical issue. Well, I did I did raise the issue of having a, a on light, you know, and that's something that uh Yeah, and I think that's a good project for the beginners, like if they want to make sure they're not accidentally plugging in their disc cartridge when the power's on and like blowing the CPU out. 
yeah. yeah. I, it's a really good idea to have a power light on there. Power light for the MPI, power light for the uh, Cocoa, yeah. power light for the drives. Like I remember lobbies. Rainbow used to make or had articles on putting a little power light into the joystick. And if you left your joysticks plugged in, as soon as you turn the Cocoa on, the joystick light would light up. And you know it was on from there. You didn't have to modify the case at all. So there's alternative ways of doing it too. Like I said, Cocoa Tech does not mean technically advanced. It just means getting into the details of how stuff works. Technology. Yeah. I would like to know what kind of hardware projects people would like to see. I mean, my next uh, video on Cocoa Tech is going to be uh, putting an LED into a uh, Cocoa 1 and a Cocoa 2. And uh, I guess uh, putting one into the uh, MPI also would be an idea. Um, but yeah. other ideas for things that people want done. What about uh, sending in a, a, a piece like I have a Cocoa one that uh, I lo looks like the memory's not working or something's not working. I don't know exactly why it isn't working, but you know it's beyond me. So I would like to take and send it in to maybe, um, okay. you know, yes. have it have it done on the air and they can actually. Yeah, it's showing the, the troubleshooting I've... process and stuff. That's a good yeah. idea. Uh, yes, we can do that. So maybe I'll do that as send send one off to. Um, Sloopy, maybe he can fix it, and um, you know, I'll pay for the materials or whatever. You know, if he needs RAM or yep, because shipping is going to be enough probably from out here in Arizona. Yeah. Um, also, I just want to make sure that people know that it doesn't have to be me or Curtis. Yeah. Doing these. If you have an idea for something for Coco Tech and you want to come on the show. You're more than welcome to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, like I think I mentioned on the show, like it, it's not going to be the same panelist every week because if, you know, if we're going to talk about network cards, it might be Henry and and Rick and, and none of the rest of us will be on it. I think it's whoever wants to do it and is available and also what their specialties are. Would it like be Bill okay Noble to... might come on and talk about stuff too. Who knows? Would it be okay to do a video and send it in? Yes. You guys can pre-recorded segments. Through it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we could probably work that in. Yeah, I, I prefer the live stuff myself <sighs> because then you get the questions that you wouldn't think to ask, or you know that type of thing. Um, but definitely, I have no problem doing the the pre-recorded stuff. If you want to show like how to do a sixty-four K upgrade, there's not too many different ways to do it. So, I mean, depending what motherboard you're working on, but uh, yeah, that would be fine. I think. Cool. Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunately I don't I don't think I have any. Uh, Coco ones with uh, with less than sixty four k of RAM, and the Coco twos they're so simple. It's just mostly a chip swap and a uh, jumper. So, yeah. as you can see in the chat here on the on the stream we're playing of, of the previous recording, everybody's trying to say sleepy. We can't hear you because you're muted. <laughs> so this was the uh, birthing pains. Uh, we had a quite a few technical glitches, but I got it really smoothed out by the end. So. And this was a beta. I mean, we were just winging it. And I also, as Sloopy mentioned, I put him on the spot about doing this a week before he originally planned because I want to get those Septandy tags in and get some people that are outside the normal Cocoa community to find it. And if we waited till afterwards, they'd never look for it. And nobody noticed, but he had a website rolling, scrolling on that device down there. No, I didn't until somebody actually <laughs> yeah, asked was him. pretty cool, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the website that is scrolling on there is... Um... Uh, www.jcm-1.com and they are the ones that sold the uh, composite up upgrade 
that I am actually do, assembling and installing in that machine. You know, that's kind of a great idea. Um, when we do stuff like that, is it possible to have a crawler across the bottom? Absolutely. Yep. Yep. In fact, we may, if you're, if you're installing something from a certain company, you might want to have their, their website in yeah. case people want that upgrade or whatever it is. Is that Ed Snyder? Ed Snyder. <laughs> I, I, has anybody talked to him directly at all in the last I, I months? Yeah. Oh, you have? Yeah, he's he's had a rough way to go um, in the past, and uh, he's slowly coming around. Like he just made those uh, DAT cards. Yeah, well, he's, he's so, been sneaking in little bits here and there. He's yeah. done some MCX thirty twos and well, stuff like. I didn't notice he's been producing. It's just that every time I've sent emails to ask questions or people have asked for order status and stuff, there's been dead silence, nothing back. Yeah. So, uh, some other comments in the chat, and then we'll scroll down to the comments on the YouTube video here itself. So, uh, Erico says, just like the basic drawing SG4 commands, each will do best depending on the game context. No one size fits all solutions. That's getting to the software side of things. Uh, and the stuff that you guys were talking about where we weren't moving because I just had a paused skill shot. Um, some catch up here. Uh, uh, a reminder for uh, Tim Gilwich here from Mark that uh, there is a new Coco Tech channel on the Coco Discord in the Coco Nation category. So if you have any suggestions uh, uh, for the show, suggested topics, if you want to volunteer to be a, a host of one of the segments, um, if you have questions of a previous episode that you didn't quite understand something that was said, uh, you can also put that comment in there too. We can either follow it up on uh, the next show or just respond to it in the chat depending on how you know, detailed it has to be. Um, I think that pretty well covers most of the stuff that's in the live chat. So I'm going to scroll down here so you guys can see. I'll just pause the actual video here since we'll be scrolling it off anyway. So these are some of the comments we got. <coughs> I'm not going to try to pronounce this uh, YouTuber's name here. I'll just call him Mr. T. Uh, he said, I would love to see tutorials on certain aspects of writing games. That's been a request I've had a few private people send me to here. And I've, I've actually talked to Nick about, like, Nick doesn't want to, like, show you how to write an entire game from scratch or anything, but maybe a routine or how, you know, just in an algorithmic way, how certain things work to, uh, you know, make efficient games, like, say, doing background sound or something like that. Uh, Retro Gaming Nook. Uh, it's good. This was a virtual demo. I don't think a real Coco would run on 110 and 220 at the same time without losing the magic smoke. I don't remember what that was about. Sleepy, do you remember? No? No, I don't. Now with okay. mute. <laughs> well, he has uh, a place to go on the video there. James Ross, <clears throat> who's actually fairly active on facebook and stuff here and he said these are my opinions sorry if i sound critical i don't worry about it james we're just kind of winging it here and kind of figure out what, what works and what doesn't so all constructive criticism is 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 this capital we're not gonna you know get upset or anything here speak for yourself um, <laughs> he says i really like the idea of the coco tech show technical deep dives that's cool i think to differentiate it from coco talk oops i mean coco nation it needs to be more structured, more focused, more planned, and not near as long. Otherwise, it's just another Coconation show with a different name. I don't quite <laughs> agree with that myself, but he does have some you know, points there. I was um, thinking initially uh, maybe only a couple hours, two, two and a half hours. And if it went longer than that, then having a second episode at a later point. So yeah. it would be a little, little bit more condensed. But, you know, your first one's, what, three hours, but, three and a half hours? 
but but you wait till he says later here in a bit mark is uh, then you'll have to comment on that here um he said it doesn't even have to be live we just discussed that i agree and and i think you agree too mark we can have pre-records for certain things yeah uh if it is live choose one subject for each show um if it's a hardware project with a lot of soldering with a lot of dead air time that's not gonna go well maybe if it's a software one where you're just rapid firing stuff that might be okay um, it might depend on the show and, and what the subject matter is, I think. Um, if you want to cover more than one subject, then take a break between each subject and restart the stream with a different title, basically making two shows merge into one. Uh, once again, it's to fill the dead airspace, I think, that you want to do the switching. Um, and depending on the subject, you may not be doing any switching. You might stick with one subject anyway. So I, that I kind of appreciate what he's trying to get at there. Try to limit the show to 30 minutes. Now, that one... Um, <laughs> First of all, I don't know if we're even capable of doing that. No. <clears throat> well, that's what fast Talking forward to the wrong for. group. <laughs> Watch it when it's over and then fast forward. I, I think on specific like. subjects, if it's one subject and one person, I think, yes, you could. If that, that covers everything, that's great. Um, if, and he says, if it's going to be longer than that, then have two parts, three parts. I mean, Mark, you were talking about do this at the two, two and a half hour mark. Yeah. So, at the max. yeah. I don't like, I think in certain specific cases, we could do that. Like if I do a one of just going through like how command line history works in the shell or something like that, that might be something mm-hmm. I can definitely do in half an hour, go through all the different keys and how that mm-hmm. specifically works. Um, there's other stuff though, especially if we're getting a lot of questions from the live audience, like it's mm-hmm. going to depend on that. Um, what happens if, yep. you know, Sloopy's doing a hardware update and something goes horribly wrong? It might take some while to go through and you, you're not going to split it up into multiple episodes when he's right in the middle of it, I don't think. Um so I think in certain specific cases, yes, we could do that. And the ironic thing, Nick and I have discussed this, we've discussed on the show before, ironically, the longer the episode is, the more views we get. I don't know why that is, because everybody keeps telling me that's the exact opposite of how it should be. But if you take a look at our four, five, six-hour shows, those are the ones with the most views. <laughs> so, it's almost like hurting ourselves if we limit it to 30 minutes. I don't understand that either. One thing also is that after the live stream, we can always go back and edit the segments and compress them down and get like a 20 minute or 30 minute, you know, condensed. Yeah. <clears throat> and actually, I mean, we've discussed that just with a couple of recent episodes of, of the Coconation itself, where we had some technical difficulties where the show got split into three parts. And there's like five minutes around the beginning and end of each part of us figuring out, is it working properly again? Mm-hmm. And then like the first half hour here was all technical difficulties trying to get the sound and stuff working. So that could definitely be edited out and would shrink it down a bit. Um, so, yeah, but who's going to be the one volunteering to do all the editing to do this, Mark? True. It'll probably be I'm, me. I'm getting Yeah, it might be a group effort. Yeah, because I don't want to put everything on you. You've been too busy to even do the Coco Tech show, so I can't imagine yeah. you having time to sift through two and three quarter hours of us paddling. Well, I've been I've been messing with Alcaran, and so I've been trying to get it more stable because I was trying to get it ready for the show this weekend. So now that I have some time before Cocoa Fest, I'll be able to dedicate more time to getting this uh, the rest of uh, the Cocoa Tech spun back up. So I really do want to start getting the stuff out there, getting people, getting their stuff down. I mean, I got a whole list of people I want to contact about various things and have them on as the, you know, the guest. And uh, yeah. and because we've got stuff to say. And, you know, if we start getting this down and condensed, then it'll, it'll be a, a playbook or, a, you know, a recipe for people to go to if they want to start adding audio to their games. Here's a condensed list of all of the audio suggestions, where to get them from, some examples of how to, how to program them. So, yeah, you, you make playlists based on certain subjects here for exactly. alternative methods or different ways of doing things. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, um, anything more than 30 minutes, he says, <laughs> excuse me, 
I think more than 30 minutes talking about the show length here, I start to feel like I do not have the time to give it 100% of my attention. Does anyone besides me agree with that? I, like I said, I think it depends on the subject matter. Some things you just can't do in half an hour. And if you're Some... putting it apart in multiple episodes and they're a week apart from each other, like you're not going to remember what the heck you learned in the first half. So you have to go review that one to kind of remember what you already learned. And then you're back to watching an hour straight through anyway. So, but there are subjects that are short enough, I think, or simple enough that you mm-hmm. could definitely do that. And, and and maybe we should be shooting for a few more of those so that people can get digestible bites. And then Cuckoo they become Audio. rabid fanboys like us. They can spend four hours mm-hmm. watching the same thing. And Coco Audio Solutions is not a half hour thing. Uh, there's probably half. There's probably twenty to thirty minutes on each solution. We're talking the Coco GMC, the Coco PSG, speech and sound, sound speech card. pack. Yep. Yep. Orchestra, Orchestra 90, ninety, Symphony Twelve, yep, the Felher Symphony. Yep. <laughs> right there is a multi-hour show. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So I mean, I, he does have a point. We should try and be try to shoot to do a couple of these shorter videos to try to get the people that do have the shorter attention spans to kind of get looped in. And then when they get more interested in it, if you're really interested in the subject, I think the time kind of doesn't matter. You, you'll stick with it if you're learning stuff that you're really enjoying. Um, but if you're just kind of like sporadically checking to see what we've been talking about in every single episode, three hours, I think, yeah, I can agree with him that some people are just going to tune out. It's too much to try to take it in one shot. So we'll just maybe have to pick a subject that isn't that complicated and make a shorter, you know, little small episode to get people kind of into it. One thing about the Coco Nation, too, is it is longer, but a lot of it is not visual is helpful, but not needed. So people that have a longer commute can listen to the audio version and get the information over a period of a few days. Whereas, you know, it's the reason I was thinking about keeping Coco Tech short is because it needs to be small enough. You can sit down and watch it in one shot or most of it in one shot. And again, use it as a reference You know, go back and say, oh, that's how you access the multi-voice register on the, uh, you know, the, the Yamaha chip. Yeah. So, some comments in the chat here concerning the show lengths here. So we've got um, Mikey says, no, I think a two to three hour hour range in, is the right place to aim for. Erico says condensing does not feel like a good idea for me unless it's not losing. Anything. If we're editing out technical difficulties or dead air. That should be fine. But, you know, don't edit. Don't and make it short just to make it short and cut content out. Right. Not non-relevant stuff. We want to concentrate down what's there. Yeah. Brian Walsh says, I disagree with the time critique. The people who watch Coco Nation seem to prefer prefer long-form videos. I know I do. I know we've had multiple people complain the show gets too long at times, but you know, there's a pause and a fast-forward button, so if you're not and interested in certain things, just skip them. You have to realize, guys, that we like do this every weekend, so we put in you know four or five hours plus whatever overhead. Any additional shows is more overhead, and we do have lives, and we don't get paid for this. Or you, you know what else is weird is for all the times that we run the show, it seems that if we try something new, we have all these coughs and hiccups and stuff, which mm-hmm. is, what, why is that any different than the regular show? I mean, everything's the same. We're all talking on Zoom and stuff, you know? How does it get screwed up? Windows it's different hosts, I think, is the main thing. Like, Mark yeah. hosts the main show, and he's been doing it for a long time. He's got everything set up the way is Well, he had some glitches today. Um, but, but Sloopy's, you know, he doesn't do it as often and sometimes it's Ken, sometimes it's Sloopy. So it's, it gets a bit rough around the edges and it, it it's not easy getting all this stuff set up incorrectly, which is why I've never mm-hmm. volunteered to do it. <laughs> so well, the other question is, windows is, likes to change settings on you without notice. Is there, is there anything else we can use? Remember when, uh, Steve wanted to use something else, which was somewhat limited to how many people could go on it. 
Restream. But it was much that that had a bunch of other things missing too, though. I remember that one. It was it was horrible. We couldn't do live screens grabs or something. I think. Well, has the same thing grown any since then? Now it includes things, and is it better? There's a reason why Zoom's number one still is. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, what I'm we we have looked like there's blue jeans. There's um, no, it's the OBS Skype um, concerned about the OBS part of it. OBS is fine. It's Zoom. It's well, Ron, you, you also just have to understand each Zoom person's was... machine is also going to be different on what hardware's in it. Yeah. The video card that drives the the MPEG encoding, everything's different between each person that's hosting. So you can't just say one key thing is going to work for everybody that's doing the hosting for each thing. All right. That's so why about, sometimes things take a while to get it set up. Are there any anything you can look at that would be norms to make sure it works real well every time you do it? You know what I mean? Uh, well, yeah, everyone on the things. show buys the same computer. That's the only well, thing you could do. And sometimes you don't even find out about the glitch until you're live because you, you can't. Yeah, really sometimes it's like a software date came across and all of a sudden things break. Yeah, we had that problem so many times with Skype, which we used before we switched to Zoom, because Skype mm-hmm. and it was what everybody used Constant back early updates. on, and Skype got worse and worse and worse, and Zoom was getting better and better and better, and that's why we switched. So we're still in the early days of doing this, evidently. Yes. Yeah, I mean, plus, I mean, you you can't prevent things like when somebody's internet, local internet, goes down, which has happened to Mark. It's happened to everybody. I think it's happened to me. Just being a guest on the show, where all of a sudden my internet craps out. There's nothing you can do about that. You can't predict it. There's nothing you can do to stop it. So it's, uh, there's you're always going to have some glitches, I guess. Um, I did rush Sloopy into this, like like I said, so he didn't have as much time to you know test stuff before we went live on the air. So that's partly my fault. But um, there's there's no guarantee of getting a completely smooth show, unfortunately. So um, I got a question. Like, if I was to do a little video on how to work the um, the uh, digitizer card, you know, with the cocoa and mm-hmm. and and show my camera and stuff and how you hook it up and all that and the software, um, I, I have no clue on production of any kind of uh, video. You know what I mean? So. I guess I would need to talk to somebody on how to, like, do I need a tripod to set the camera on? Do I use the same web camera that I use now to record the thing? Do I, you know, should I have better light? Uh, and and uh, do I have to have a microphone like I have hooked up to my computer that I'm using now to do it? Or do I just use my phone? Or, you know, like that. that's why I kind of don't, contribute in that manner because i have no clue on the best way to do it is there some demo place you can go and say here this is how uh you know the guys do slick work you know that that's why we experiment there are try to find the best settings there are youtube channels where they have how to do stuff like do they because what's going to happen is you know when it comes to my section of the thing they're going to go Oh God! Here, this is this is the guy Ron here. He he has no clue. Yeah, I mean so Ron and literally as as Mark mentioned, there's entire YouTube channels devoted to how to make videos, mm-hmm. and it depends no like how much money do you want to spend? Yep. How much time do you have? 
Um, how much do you want to learn? Because so literally, right off, you not, can go I'm the entire use, gamut. I'm not going to use my phone, right? I mean, no, some no, people no actually do that if they have a phone. tripod, so it keep, remains rock solid. Plug it in so it doesn't die in the middle of you killing the yeah. battery. And you can always um, overdub the recording later. You can do yeah, it. All you can you then... can record the rough soundtrack and then replace it with one that doesn't have like you know when you're too far away from Mike, like happened to you earlier yeah. today. Oh, I shoot. mean, there's so I'm many things that go into it. I mean, it's how much effort you want to put into editing your own stuff, basically. Yeah. Okay. You what you want to spend two weeks to make a one hour video for us? Because you could. <laughs> or you could blast off in an hour and literally do nothing else to edit it. I mean, it's everything in between. And just another comment, like Tim Gilbert's here from the UK says, I recorded a pile of videos the other day using OBS, same as I always do. Right. And then when he watched it back, he had a funny clicking in the HDMI audio capture and he had to re-record all 20. Oh, God damn And he hadn't changed guy. a damn thing. So the trying to get this standard super system that's going to work for everybody is just not possible. Unfortunately. You know, one thing, though, I can say is a lot of these guys that are out there doing videos and doing shows really do a nice job and I give them a lot of credit for they spend a lot of having, time on they it. They either yep. have the good voice, they have good lighting, um they know you know good know how to matter. end the show before it gets real bad <laughs> whatever. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> well literally if you watch some of the interviews at VCF when they have these YouTube YouTuber panels where they get the people that get millions of views and stuff on there and they talk about like for a half hour show it's like 20 hours of recording and 20 hours of editing. Wow. And they throw most of it away to make it look that good. But that's all they do. That's they, how they make their living. Mm -hmm. They don't have day jobs. It's a job. <laughs> Eight hours a day, five days a week or more. So if you want to do that for us, Ron, please feel free. I'm not going to stop well, you, we, but if beware. They, if we change our name to the amateur hour. <laughs> well, the thing is, there's different kinds of shows, too. Like a lot of people, including a lot of our audience, you can even see that in the comments today, like the live feel. And you can't. You can't gloss a live show as much as you can gloss, you know, editing everything oh, to the okay. utmost. So we have built in. Thank you. <laughs> well, we have built in. It's going to be rougher on the edges than, say, the 8-bit guy who took yeah. three weeks to record a half-hour show. Yeah. You know, because we're recording it live right now. Now, you can go in afterwards and edit out dead spots if we had technical issues or, um, yeah. you know, if, if the title credit got changed or something like that. Or You can do some minor modifications here, but we're not going to be spending... 20 times the episode length to edit it because it's meant to be a live show. The interactivity, which I don't know if people in the chat have mentioned, like the whole point they like our shows for <clears throat> is the fact that it's live and interactive. Like they're part of the show, even though they're not on the panel. I yeah. Made, made in Ariana, I uh, just mentioned here, it said it takes me 15 hours to edit a three hour live stream down into a YouTube video. <laughs> Uh, we have and then Franklin Harris thing. has got the ultimate technical quote here, asparagus. <laughs> <laughs> so he's well, editing you, us live. He's basically saying, just yeah. cut this part now. Yeah. Thank you, Scott. <laughs> next next uh, article. Well, just to go through the rest of the comment here. Um, so we kind of talked about, uh, do not have hesitate to have just two or three people, the host and the expert, maybe, or maybe a commenter. And the tester is Tim Gilberson mentioned Heckler. in the chat. I, yeah, I think I think the 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 witty banter part. I the Kim and multiple other people texted me, uh, saying they want to see less of that on Coco Tech. They said that's good for the regular show because it's kind of like a user group meeting, but they want this to be more the meat and potatoes of the of the thing. So I think 
that I was going to ask you guys, what do you guys think of that? Like we are, we're always going to sneak a little bit of it in because that's just the way we are personality wise. Well, on Coco Talk, we had a lot of that. And and I, I myself, you know, thought that we should stay away from it, you know, even on the main show, because it just got to be too much, you know, it was some of it. Yeah. Well, what they're basically saying is on the Coco Tech, cut that out almost completely. Yeah. And you got to admit, a weekday night is a little bit different vibe than Saturday afternoon when everyone's just. Yeah. yeah. True. Yeah. I mean, I'm okay with cutting it down during the Coco Tech show because that should be more technically oriented. I mean, that's the whole yeah. point of the show in the first place. Um, I don't think we'll cut it out completely because just the way we are, we we have senses of humor, but we shouldn't be, you know, dragging a joke on for 15 minutes straight like we sometimes do on here. So basically, whoever's on the panel should basically just, you know, try to stick to the subject at hand and, you know, a little off the cuff comment once in a while is fine. Some, but you know, some don't. of our jokes go on for months. Yeah, exactly. And that that I think people do not want that on there. For years. <laughs> <laughs> Franklin here says in here too, uh, in the chat, he says, it took me about three hours to edit down a five minute video of production of the Kung Fu Flash. Not something I enjoy doing. <laughs> I totally agree. <laughs> Mikey says it takes two or three separate takes of a recording and four to six hours of editing for each of his videos. Yeah. Shoot. We don't edit nothing. <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes we'll stitch together a show if it got broken apart due to streaming issues or something, but yeah, that's rare. I still, I still, uh, we still haven't done the last one that that happened to you. Yeah. 3.30? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Into, I got to figure, figure out how to do that. Yeah. Um, he says, um, what else does he say here? Uh, for example, would it be po actually possible to have a discussion about floppy drives without making fun of David Ladd? No. Um, <laughs> not, not possible. <laughs> not on the regular show, but Let's I think on the, on the tech show we could. Yeah. Um, for Ben and socializing, go over the show again on the Coca Nation show, cover the highlights, and then everyone can chime in the comments, which is kind of what we're doing now. Um, again, sorry if anyone takes offense to my post and agrees or disagrees, and please comment. Well, we're commenting on the show here. Um, he does have some good points. Um, you know, there's definitely going to be some differences of opinion on certain things. We seem to have more people that like the long form shows than the shorter ones, but I think we could do shorter ones for certain subjects, which would kind of fall into what he wants. And then he actually got some replies here within the YouTube comment itself. So, uh, Mr. T says, Good points. I would like to hear a brief summary on how the show is different than the other one. If they are split, then should this make each show shorter? My one of my goals of doing Coco Tech is that I we sometimes go into heavy technical discussions on the regular show, and I think if it's that common or, or that much discussion going on, then maybe five ten minutes into that we should say, you know what, this would make a good Coco Tech topic. Let's book it, and and then basically we could either book it live right then and kind of figure out who wants to host and what day we want to do it, or we can say we'll schedule it with the next week or two. And then go on to the next subject without tying up the regular show with that. That I do agree with because sometimes the show gets abnormally long. And honestly, it could use a longer form treatment of it on Coco Tech itself. We can go on for two or three hours on one subject here. So that I agree with. And then Tom Eric Gunderson is also in the chat here, says, I agree too many people on the panel on a stream like this invites more disruptions and takes away from the main subjects that I agree with. Uh, keep that for the standard Coca Nation show. So we were talking before, maybe you have two to three people at most on the live panel and they can you know, monitor the chat. And if you have a moderator kind of like you know, organizing it, the third person, we can have them monitoring the chat if there's any questions back and forth, et cetera. Actually, but that would... the, the monitor, the moderator of the show could be the one to um, get people to move along and not dwell on banter and stuff like that, right? 
They 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 could, but if we're trying to do a technical show, I think trying to stick more to the technical, which means we don't just have people on for the sake of being on, like just have the people that are actually talking about yeah. the subject. Like if Soup is going to hardware create, I don't need to be on the show. Yeah, I don't you know, know that much about hardware. I'd be wasting his time. I feel the same way too. Actually, yeah. I probably shouldn't be on the show. No, you can if you're like if you're going to show that the D sixty nine digital, you definitely should be on. You yeah. know more about running that thing than any of the rest of us. Yeah. Like it has to be whoever's whoever's good at it, or if they're directly involved with presenting it, they should be on. And a moderator to kind of monitor the chat. And if a chat has a question, they can forward it to the people that are actually because they're busy soldering stuff. They're not going to be looking at the chat. If I tried to do that, I'd burn my hands off. Yeah. So, segment, segment so then we should have two. you. We should have you moderating because you don't ever solder. So they're ne- so you'll never be busy. Well, the moderator on software stuff has to monitor too. Like if I'm busy going through like the conf- you know the uh, environment file for Nitrous Nine, which is like screens full of settings and stuff like that, I'm not going to have time to look back at the chat trying to explain it. So the moderator should be somebody that can monitor the chat. Basically, is, is the main function, and also make sure something doesn't get stalled too long. So someone that sits there with their finger on the asparagus button. Hey, yeah. wait a minute. <laughs> asparagus. I expect asparagus to be heard very little on Coco Tech. Like yeah. I said, oh, don't I don't watch know. I can certainly push that limit. <laughs> asparagus. I'm sure you can. Yeah, we can talk all about floppies. Yeah, Franklin Air says, Coco Nation equals five hours. Tech Talk equals three hours. That's my week squared up. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Just watch us and nobody else. I agree with that too. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, I thought it was pretty good constructive criticism. Like I said, I, I did get some other ones that were privately done. I don't want to bring you know their names out or anything like that. These are public comments, so I have no problem saying who's who said them. I do agree with some of the points. Uh, I think some of them definitely should consider. Uh, I do like having less people on the panel so there can be a concentration without the side distractions. And you know, I was distracting Sleepy and stuff too. I, I'm just as guilty as anybody else. So um, when I was. A- Originally putting this together, I was thinking only two or three people, maybe, and uh, or maybe you know, like for if there's a collaboration like hardware software, you know, uh, a moderator, engineer, a sidekick, and you know, two people. So, yeah, I agree. So it depends. It's going to vary. I, I think the round robin you did for the first show was excellent. I mean, you kept moving things around. I think it was a good lead in. So yeah. But we don't need like three people for software and three people for hardware, and then some just you know. That'd be the, the comic relief commenters in the background. We don't need that. That's that's losing the the tech focus. It's it's fine, but it's and we do that down. here. Yeah, we don't need it on there. I don't think <laughs> every week we do it here. Anyway, uh, is anybody on the panel? I sleepy. You kind of mentioned what you want your next project to be. Is anybody else given any thought? The one I've mentioned uh, is to do the environment file and go through how all the settings work. I'd like to do a deep dive on that because a lot of people try to go through the control panel, which doesn't quite cover everything. And I want to kind of go through how those work so people can, you know, customize their systems to exactly what they want. So that's what I want to do. Yeah, the in late October, mid, yeah, late October, uh, Mikey Furman and I are planning on doing a uh, doing a uh, Coco Tech um, episode on uh, on drive wireless, drive wire, and drive wirelessly. Good idea. There we go. That would be perfect. So right there. Now, Mark, did you since it was your idea and your time starting to free up? Did you want to kind of handle scheduling this type of stuff? Yeah, or keeping I, track I, any like way to, that we can look yeah. at. Yeah, I'd like to do that. Um, I was I was trying to aim for maybe every couple of weeks, you know, about every two weeks, maybe is the thing. I'm gonna cause slide throughout the year. 
but uh yeah i mean honestly i mean between uh, nick and me and a few others so i'm sure we could do it weekly if you wanted to but i don't know yeah, yeah. Just don't schedule them on thursdays like i i don't want a no, fixed no. schedule i want this to be when people are ready i don't want to have a yeah. forced you know we have to do it now well, or that's the advantage of having lots of stuff in the queue is that then you can just skip around you know if uh when, when and Mike I, aren't ready when can i send my cocoa to sloopy or you know do you even want to do it sloopy or Sure. I don't want to force that's, it on you or anything. That's not a problem. I mean, this is the, well, the only problem comes when you get my my invoice, my bill. Hello? <laughs> <laughs> Can you hear me? <laughs> we have Sorry, Mark, you were saying? Yeah. Mark uh, uh, Bosley? Uh, well, uh, like I said, there's others that can do it as well, like myself. Yeah. It's up to you. Well, would you be willing to do a live stream for that kind of thing, Mark, though? For a couple of uh, Yeah. Okay. Do that. I, I don't care who does it, as long well, as it can get done, and it's for good for the show. Okay. Yeah, I can do that any uh, any time. Is this something you would do and video it, and then have that, and then just talk over the video? When you I would just it? do it on air, and oh, okay. I would uh, just. I mean, yeah. I can interact with people while I'm uh, soldering if. If the screen, the, the biggest problem with my interaction with the screen at this time is that the video you see there next to me in this in this screenshot, that is the actual playing video. So it's a minute or more behind live. But that's where I think the moderator comes in because the, the you yeah. like you might be busy with certain parts, especially if something goes wrong where you may not be able to yeah. look up and check the chat. So I think I'm having a moderator, no matter whether it's hardware or software. To be able to grab the chat questions and throw them to the the hosts would be yeah, best. Well, I mean, it's more of the fact that I mean, you can't constantly sit there staring at the stuff because it's it's not good for your eyes, and you, you're you'll lose focus on it. So you have to constantly look around. So that's why looking at a chat or something doesn't bother me while I'm working on stuff. And the biggest issue is is that the screen is too far away for me to see while I'm soldering, because where that where that workbench is from where I'm at is probably about 10 feet. So yeah. it's probably like 12, 10, wow. 11, 12 feet to my actual monitor. But I also noticed like when you were right in the zone, they're doing soldering, like it was dead silent and I had to well, throw something in to kind of cover because you don't want data, especially for the audio listeners. Well, yeah. Well, part of that was also because uh, you were talking and I wasn't really paying attention to what you were saying. Well, no, there was a, when we first did it, there was a one gap where I wasn't talking because I wasn't sure if you were going to be commenting on what you were doing. So the dead air is a terrible thing to do in a live show. <laughs> so we want to keep something going. That's where the moderator comes in because the moderator can fill that in, I think. But it's all oh, visual right. action. <laughs> yeah. And so boring as heck. So it's what we need yeah. is exciting. So what we need is a color commentary like a football game. Well, that's the moderator. Like, like Ken would be perfect for that type of thing and maybe me for some specific subjects i could be a moderator where i'm not you know trying to teach somebody something uh, like maybe commenting on someone nick if he describes describe how an frq sound routine works because i know enough of it to be dangerous but not enough to actually program it properly so i could maybe help you know dumb things down or relay questions from the audience to nick i thought be going in for the solder he's we would see the smoke <laughs> rising <laughs> from his hair. Don't inhale. Don't inhale. He's done the repair, and now he's going to plug it in and turn it on. And now and... Sleepy's going to invoice Ron. Watch eyes. Ron's eyes light up yeah. as he sees what the bill is. Hello? You know? Hello? Blue smoke. Hello? I think uh, I, I thought that Ken was the pretty face of the show. 
Well, Ken's good sure. because he's kind of a jack of all trades. He does a little bit of programming. He he does some hardware, so he kind of understands mm-hmm. a bit of both worlds. So he'd be good to be a moderator. And everybody um, stares at his shirts. Yeah, yeah, definitely distract you from anything bad happening in the background. <laughs> Test pattern. Look here. Look here. Like when you say the, say that flash of orange when when Ron's circuit board was Coco's getting repaired lights up in flames, and and Sloopy's like waving all the smoke away with his hands type thing, and, and then you know people would be distracted by uh, Ken's shirt and won't even notice that the machine's blown up. No, see, that's, that's right. That's why I smoke so that you can't tell where the smoke's coming from. Oh, great! Yeah, uh, I think it's a cigarette when it's actually the board I'm working on. So when I get the custom. computer back, I'm going to have to wash it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> So, Marco Roser, since you do want to kind of keep track of schedules, how do people contact mm. you for show suggestions or if they want to do a pre-record and send it to you? Um, um, so we do have on the Coco Discord under the Coco Nation uh, category, there is a Coco Tech, Tech channel now that should be created. So uh, post ideas and suggestions there. For us people on the back end, uh, you know, we'll do our planning other way, other ways, otherwise. So, okay. Do you have Do you have an email or something I can contact for people that don't do Discord and refuse to? Um, no, I don't. But I could probably get uh, Terry to set up something through the Coco Nation, um, maybe a Coco Tech at Coco the Coco Nation dot com, and have yep. it redirected to me. So, uh, okay. so figure that's what it'll be. But it isn't active yet. So. Yeah, you, okay. there is there is a place to upload uh, videos um, to be oh, used on, on the, the show on too. the website. Oh, is there? Okay, cool. Yeah, there's oh, a link. Oh, I didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah, there is a link in. Ah! Yeah, you can the also Coco email Nation. the show. You can also email show at the com until something more specific is set up. Okay, and throw throw and throw in the uh, subject uh, Coco Tech, so it gets to us. Yes. Would right. it be I a good Nation. idea? Yeah. Show uploads with a dash. Okay, I guess I'll show I'll show this. Uh, although yeah, I'll stop sharing so you can show it. I doubt anyone can even uh, write that down. Uh, is it even going out? I can't even tell. Let me share. Would it be a good idea to send my old cocoa in the cocoa box? Or would you know it what? cost more? I'm just going to paste it in the chat. How's that? Uh, oh, okay. Rana, I would I'd probably save your cocoa box. Pack it in something modern, but with lots of packing around it. You know, okay. All right. Don't have it bounce around. Okay. Cat, you're going to... Right. I don't. Slippy, we got a comment from uh, Tasman here. He says, I don't know if it's possible, but it would be nice to be zoomed in more on a board being soldered. I agree, because it was kind of hard to tell from a distance. Yeah, well, remember. I mean, you're just setting up and stuff, I realize. So, <laughs> I mean, what you, what you need is a Weasler cam. What I need is to be yeah. closer to the machine that's streaming, which is what's supposed to happen. And that was part of the reason why I was going to wait until next week. Sloopy, you need to have a, a regular TV studio set up with Zooms and all kinds of stuff going on. Yeah, you on. should pop over to Bob Emery's place of work there and just uh, yeah. set up on there. Um, if anyone <laughs> wants to send me uh, some uh, video. Multicam set up and switcher. Project. A handy studio. Yeah, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Even, just, in a box. even just stuff for it. Um, a TriCaster, just, you know, that kind of stuff. It should just be right set up. Or just a, a, a a fat uh, wad of bacon, then I can just go go get it myself. And bacon, uh, I love bacon. Even that, even also, Ron. Just so you know, um, uh, when I get stuff in from other people to work on, yeah, in plastic bags, except while I'm working on it. So, because not only do I smoke, but I'm in the basement, so it's kind of musty down here. Yeah, I'm not worried about it. 
Yeah. Well, I'm just letting you know, and I'm letting other people know if they decide they do want to send stuff in to be fixed on air, that that's not something they can work that they need to worry about. Okay, cool. Anyway, that was a lot of good discussion there. A lot of good ideas floating around. We've got ideas for future shows, ideas of how to, you know, handle the shows, have the moderate type thing. I think it was a good discussion. Thanks to everybody in the chat for giving your suggestions and comments as well. Plus everybody who commented on the actual uh, video on YouTube. Um, we'll definitely take uh, some of those definitely to heart and uh, some others we might experiment with and see what works and what doesn't. This was just a beta. Only- it was just to get something out and out there. So. Hey, Sleepy, Sorry, Tim, Gilbert's, Tim Gilbert said droid cam. Uh, stream uh, from your phone anywhere Wi-Fi to OBS. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, I've heard of that. I actually have my uh, old phone here just for Thank- doing that. Cool. But I Thank have you, to Tim. figure out how to get Droid Cam onto it. So basically, you just need a little uh, phone tripod thing, and then you can set it up for whatever you want and pull it off the yeah. tripod if you need to zoom into something. Yeah. That might not be a bad idea. They make tiny little tripods. I have a little one that has like six inch legs. So it just, uh, you know, could sit on the desk and then they make little uh, clip things for holding phones. So two of those, and then you can just point your phone. Stick the phone on your head with blue tack. It'll be good. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> we ready to move oh. on? Yep. And we've heard as asparagus as called multiple times here, so probably and should listen to them at this point. Yes. As much as I enjoy talking about this subject, it's time, it's time to move on. Yep. What a moderator. <laughs> okay, next up, Coco Town has started his second series about resurrecting his Moon Patrol clone. So we've covered, I think it was six episodes he did of going through the stuff he wrote as a teenager, uh, going through all of his source code discs, figuring what was the latest version of each and seeing what bugs he had. <clears throat> and now he started Game Revolution Cycle 1. So this is the first episode of him going through to see what he can fix up with all the knowledge he's learned in the last years. So... Um, he actually gets in here and he, he did this almost like a live thing himself. He didn't live stream it, but mistakes and all stupid typing mistakes <clears throat> and everything else here. And he actually kind of gets into where you can switch between scenes and he's showing the meme debugger and stuff here. And he kind of, I'll just show a little bit of the tail end, but you have to watch it. It's, it's, it's entertaining and educational all at the same time. Okay. Let's hit the number one. Yeah. Yeah, it's at the number two. Yeah, check it out. I don't know what this little yellow dot is though. That doesn't look right. Number one, number two. Is that yellow dot always there? What the heck is going on with that yellow dot? Two, oh, each time I hit two, it like restarts it. Two, 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 two. One, two. Ha <laughs> ha! Yeah. Anyways, you can tell he's he's pretty happy. He got that to work. <laughs> now, Nick, is your testing when you're you're testing things in the game like that too? No, no, I don't. I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have any bugs. I, he doesn't I, need to test. I don't have any bugs, but I don't do the yeah, yeah. I oh, do, but come on, Nick. You got to enjoy when things work is trouble right off the bat. <laughs> Nick, can we talk to one of your kids? <laughs> <laughs> yes, so much truth <laughs> rearing here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say I do do this. If I've been trying to fix a bug for like a couple of days and getting frustrated, and then you do you know, have a nap and all of a sudden it comes instantly to you, 
and then everything you've been working at finally works, I do let out a little squeal of delight type thing. Oh, you mean after the screensavers with OS9 level one? <laughs> well, that involves a lot of swearing, but until it worked. Yes, we were on voice, remember? So I know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, good good to see you starting this new series. He's not sure at this point if he's going to take it fully into getting the game completely done <clears throat> or just trying to fix all the bugs that have been left over as a teenager. Either way, though, it, it's really cool to see that he's still, you know, back into programming a, a machine language game for the first time in 30 years. Next up, we have a, <clears throat> excuse me, a couple of updates from uh, David Mitchell of Davies Retro Corner. So he's been working on an on online SG editor for editing regular semi-graphics 32 by 16, a text versus 64 by 32 graphics. And he's even got links to the source on his GitHub if you want to see the programming behind it. And he's done a couple updates this week. So the first one is he added an oops and grid, which basically means an undo. Uh, and then he also added the ability to scroll. And he's got kind of an animated GIF here kind of showing turning the grid on off. So you can see it's solid like it would appear on the screen when you're actually running a program using the screens. And the grid, so you can kind of see where the characters actually line up. So that was his first blog post. Second one is here showing the new scroll buttons. So that's enough of that. So let's take a look at the actual editor. So this is the actual live link. I don't know if you can read that up there. It's in the show notes on the Discord if you want to grab it. Actually, I'll post, post it into the actual uh, live chat right now while I'm at it too. But basically, this is where you can go to this, you know, here's your guide of what characters are available, all 256 characters on a standard VDG. And then you just click whatever you want to do, and you can drag it around and fill it in. So if I want to, like, a solid yellow dot here, you notice the foreground change to that. And then I can just, like, drag a few yellow things here. So you can design screens. But he's also got the ability now to scroll through. So if you've discovered, oh, I need to shift that over to fit something else I want to get on the screen I'm doing. This would have been perfect for that adventure game thing you were working on a while ago, Nick. For Erico, but yeah. you can actually go through and do all that too. And you can also mirror. So if you want to flip them. Cool. So this is a work in progress. Um, I don't know what else he's going to be adding. It looks pretty good so far. I would like to see support later on for higher semi graphics modes, uh, you know, like from 8, 12, and 24. Because I, I, I definitely like to see more games using some of these. I know Nick uses them fairly often when he's doing his Cocoa 1 and 2 stuff these days. Um, but My I like to see some SG, other people playing it. Yeah. Like Rally SG, SGI, Jumping yeah. Joey, Pipes. Well, once you, once you do that, then how do you save off what you've done? Then you switch it over to code and you cut and paste it. There's your data statements for basic to transfer that entire screen over. Huh. Ooh. And if you don't want it there, you can have it in assembly language code and it'll do the actual team to copy the data and the data itself. And then you can also do comma delimit if you just want the raw data bytes themselves. You can import it even to a spreadsheet or something if you wanted to. It's actually a nifty little utility. I know we've had an semi graphics editor before. I think Simon Jonasson was part of it. Do you remember, Nick? Uh, I think so. That's right. An online one. Yeah. And this is online too. So um, he's kind of expanding on, on Simon's, um, adding some like user friendly features, I guess I would call it. And it, it, it appeals to both a basic and a semi-language programmer because he's got the outputs of both. So if you guys want to design some, you know, semi-graphics games, this would be perfect for Jim Gary doing MC10 stuff because he could actually get the basic code that actually contains all the stuff in there and he's ready to go. So maybe I don't understand how AI works, but wouldn't AI take this program 
if you asked them to, you know, asked it to, to produce something, um, could you actually have AI use the software and come up with something or does it have its own thing internally that's near like this or something? How does that work? I have no idea. No idea? No idea. Why don't you ask AI? Maybe it'll tell you how it does. Oh, maybe they would, yeah. <laughs> but isn't that um, interesting how, you know, if you ask for a solution in a certain program or whatever, it'll come up with an answer. Based Not always on right, though. That's the problem. Or... Right. I've uh, seen people uh, actually uh, try uh, to get it to generate basic code, and it's been so far off. Like, it's putting commands that don't exist on the Cocoa and says, no, make a Cocoa program that draws a circle on the screen in low res. And then it starts doing like plot from an Apple II, which is just syntax errors on a Cocoa. So it's it's a long ways off from being a okay. completely generic, unfortunately. That pretty much answers it. Okay. Yeah, it's already been found people using AI for doing legal stuff. And it's already um, <laughs> found that it's quoting things that are fictitious. So therefore, yeah, you can't trust AI for anything right now. Right, yeah. but it sounds so trustworthy. You know, it doesn't right. sound fishy like a person would sound fishy making up a story while they're talking to you. But AI is, you know, they had uh, AI come up with a a Dodge Challenger that had, was a cross between a, you know, a um, car, a winged car, and and the car had one fin in the back on one side <laughs> when they were done. Yeah, no, it's yeah, it's pretty hit or miss at this point. Yeah, they stole that from a clay model because they will do cars with one side done a different way, so you're oh. getting twice the good out of one model. But the AI doesn't know that was just yeah, she yeah. So Lacoco Strangiato, otherwise known as Bob Emery, is actually on the panel. Uh, released a new one here uh, about getting or fixing up an SVI cast, which I'd never heard of before this video. So I'm going to start playing in the background and mute it. Bob, are you still on the panel? Yeah, I'm here. Do you want to explain exactly what an SVI cast is and what you had to fix? So basically, it is a virtual cassette uh, recorder that generates cast files, not WAV or MP3 files. So it's more efficient than, you know, just an audio recorder. And the cool thing about it is it actually has the all three plugs, a remote control plug that works. So while it's playing the cast files out, it'll control when it's playing or not. And basically... Now, is this designed for the Cocoa or is this a generic thing? Or It was designed, I think, for other computers, possibly the like an Acorn or something, but it works with anything that they used audio cassettes. It works for Commodores, TIs, Ataris, um, any, pretty much anything. Except we were having problems saving to it from the color computer. It would, it would work perfectly with files off of the archive. <clears throat> and uh, basically the two people on, on the Discord that have one, uh, one person tried saving with it and it wasn't working. Then uh, Buck Owens is actually the other one that has one, and he had never tried saving it, so he tried saving, and it didn't work. And Alex had been back and forth with uh, Duncan in Australia. He's the only guy that makes them, each one by hand. There you can see it on the screen. A uh, little touch screen display. It's pretty cool. Okay, so the actual device here is this thing right here, right? 
that black box that I'm moving, yeah. Okay. And uh, what I found basically is the this is the Lemon Aid loader, which was made for the Model One for loading cassettes. I had never used it before. I had just acquired it years ago in a lot and just had it sitting in a box. And I just plugged it in on a whim and the cassette was able to save. Uh, or the SVI was able to record from the Coco. So I tore it open to figure out what exactly was inside and if I could figure out why it would work. What is it, a filter? Um, yeah, basically, it's a there's a three-position switch. One side has an inline resistor with the signal, so it would basically attenuate it. The, that's the red label. The black label on the bottom uh, is actually a ground lift, which I'm not sure what that would be needed for, but apparently it was back in the day. And then in the center is labeled bypass, which is basically just making it a little uh, one foot extension cord. But that was the only position that it worked in was bypass. And then I, I was looking at it to see what was still in there in bypass. And it's basically the headphone output with the uh, volume control. So, I just got a comment from Tom Eric Gunderson in the chat there. He said the SVI part of the name SVI cast is for the Spectra video. And that's the machine this was originally yeah. designed for. There you go. That makes sense. So yeah, basically I just added a resistor across the output terminal and ground to simulate the volume control there. And I think you, you mentioned at the end of the video, you actually contacted the guy that makes these to let him know that you figured out how to fix it? Yeah, I had actually contacted him before when Alex was having these issues. I was uh, just, well, I had, I had placed an order for one and, uh, just added my name to the waiting list anyway. So we, we had uh, emailed a little bit back and forth. I was trying to help troubleshoot it, but um, I only had my cocoa to test and I didn't have the SVI cast. Alex had the SVI cast and didn't really have a, a scope or anything. So I just asked Alex, Alex if he would send it to me rather than you know send it back to Australia for a refund. And I, I don't know, I guess I just got lucky because I had the lemonade loader laying around and tried it on a whim and it fixed it. Cool. So that, that does something that works on multiple platforms. For those of you that uh, are into multiple retro machines here, this might be a good solution, especially for some of the European machines that really stuck with cassette a lot longer than we did. Yeah. And he was actually at the point, Duncan in Australia was at the point of saying he was going to drop Coco support because he couldn't figure out the issue. So hopefully this will uh, change his mind on that. It's pretty cool. Okay, well, keep, keep us posted. I mean, if he drops Coco support, maybe we can do a letter writing campaign or something. Yeah, right. Because Nick really wants to see people load a 512k game like oh, yeah. of cassette and see how long it takes. Hey, I got Joey on there. Up, up for the challenge. Yeah, Joey. Yeah. Joey's a small Coco two game. Though. I want to see like a honking big five twelve k Coco three like Sinistar three discs worth. Let's load that up, off, like I said. Yeah, yeah we're gonna <laughs> need that uh, the speed up uh, program. Yeah, the one that David was fiddling with there. Six thousand baud minimum requirement. Yeah, so here it is finally working at the end. You can see the counter at the bottom going up. 
No, I thought it was really cool. I mean, like I have no interest myself personally on, on doing cassette stuff at all anymore, except maybe some of the old multimedia stuff that just to try it. But yeah, um, that, that's actually my, and that's, just, this is the one thing that's a big drawback about it is that it doesn't work with any audio at all. So for example, you couldn't use it with the Mickey space math adventure. It wouldn't play the audio bits. Oh yeah. Cause it's using cast files only, which is already pretty well, you know, summed right. up as digital bytes. So yeah, it's just data. So I wish it would have, you know, MP3 support so it could intermix them like a real machine would. Yeah, that's kind of kind of odd that it supports the uh, remote jack for you know, turning the motor on and off, which was perfect for that audiovisual stuff that Tandy was mm -hmm. doing, and, and it won't support that format. Yeah, well, I did use it. There are other games that it's pretty good with. The uh, the taxi game from the CCW, that, the educational software that was uh, that was on the cassette, and it has like you can see multiple files in the one file. It had like. 10 or 11 different cassette files. Yeah. And uh, it would, you know, load through them to, as you progress through the game, it was pretty cool. Oh, well, mention uh, uh, spend stuff in YouTube or on the chat is saying that there's a very long wait waiting list for this thing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I am somewhere near the bottom. Anyway, thanks. Thanks for researching and figuring out what the problem was. And hopefully he won't drop Cocoa support. So those that do want, um now is is the dragon's cassette the same as the coco i think it is i believe it? it is yeah yeah it's the same setting on on the box so and that would might be something yeah of interest for the dragon uh audience because uh they like i said they use cassette a lot longer than we did there's probably a, a point where i'm close up on the box and you can see that it says on the on the top banner when you've selected your profile it says radio shack and it has a little dragon logo okay like I know the tokens are different for the basics, but that's I think I think as far as signals and stuff there, it's exactly the same. Mm -hmm. All right, thanks, thanks for that. Thanks for doing that. Yeah, I had fun doing it. <laughs> Nothing more <laughs> fun than solving a problem. Yeah. Uh, next up, Tier City Retro Programming posted a couple of videos, uh, three total actually. So two of them are based on Coco Ultimate, which is his ultimate game that he's working on. And uh, the first time we saw it way back when he was using P-Mode 4, and now he's decided because he needs more room for the game itself in memory, and of course, it's Coco 1 and 2, so that, you know your RAM space for basics limited, he decided to drop to P-Mode uh, 1. So he, this will give him color instead of just black and white and also cut the size of the screen in half. So it'll give him a bit more uh, room. So now he's kind of redoing the layout and stuff here. He's going to have up to four characters at once. So we did one here just kind of explaining what he's changed what his new goals are um they started going through and, and figuring out you know you know basically these are the hit point bars for your uh in this case he's just got four fighters as a test thing but it actually automatically changes the bar size width based on what's left of the player's health and he's planning on you know having you know battle scenes in an over overworld thing he's still contemplating whether he wants to try to do 3d wireframe dungeons or just do an, a top view type thing and then he did another one where he uh, kind of went off on a bit of a side thing that has nothing to do with Coco Ultimate, which is basically just writing a basic program to allow you to switch between menu items just using the arrow keys and stuff. Um, which I'll just uh, I'll just mute it for a bit here, but just play a little bit of a clip here so it, you know print like you know options, and then you have this little arrow that you can move up and down to select between you know variable with menu items in basic. So. 
he's he's once again you know kind of pushing the you know learning as you go type thing doing basic stuff and sticking with his coco one and two next up chris's retro tech channel um so for his Septandy video, he's showing a Coco one he picked up at a mega hall earlier this summer. And he's uh, just showing what it looks like and what condition it is in this first video and wondering out loud if it would work with an RCA to coax adapter, which I had one a while ago that actually did work. So I think as long as your TV has a tuner built into it, it should work fine. Um, if you don't have a digital tuner, it might not. I'm not sure. I haven't fiddled with that too much because most of them I'm hooked up to monitors these days. Or the... Uh, Coco Man Biz uh, SCART adapter stuff. So this one, I won't play too, any too much on here because it's basically just going through what a Coco looks like, basically. Uh, but then he did a follow-up later where he did get it working. Now he's got you know pretty crappy RF modulator quality connections here. <laughs> um, now it's got Color Basic 1.1 and no extended basic. So I'm guessing this is probably a 16K machine because I was recommending, like he was asking you know, what type of stuff should you get for a Coco? And I was recommending the Coco STC, but until he gets extended basic, you can't because um, all disk basics require extended basic first. So I was going to ask the panel in case he's watching the show here today. Um, where does one get an extended basic ROM these days for a Coco one? Do any of you offer the service of burning one and sending it up or know of where to get one? Yeah, I have several. Okay. So, um, Chris, if you're listening to this, uh, contact Sloopy, and you can do that on the Coco Discord or chatting with us in the in the chat here on the next show, or maybe it's a Coco Tech episode. I don't know, uh, but you can get your extended basic, and then you can get a Coco STC from a couple of different suppliers, either uh, Retro Rewind or if he's got them in stock, ZipsterZone.com. Uh, this one here, Terry Stewart is part of his Septandi, uh, just to kind of a run through the Coco One, uh, plays a couple games on it. Now, I think we've actually covered this video before, but he'd mentioned that he redid the audio because apparently it was a bit staticky and gross the first time around, and he's completely cleaned it up. I don't know if he re-recorded and exactly matched his lips on the original ones, or if he you know, got better sound filtering stuff and was able to fix it properly. So it's a 22-minute dive on the Coco One, what it is, a bit of history, etc. I won't play it because we have played it before. But you guys can check it out. Uh, next up, uh, this is uh, Veronica Explains. Now, Veronica Explains, she's normally a Linux person. So she's kind of nicknamed the Linux mum. And uh, she normally does a lot of stuff covering Unix and Linux on her channel. And it's a fairly big one, 74,000 subscribers. And she was at VCF. In fact, if you remember from the 6502 song that Taylor and Amy did, she was one of the guests that appeared on there, um, kind of chanting and singing along. And um, she did her kind of follow-up on VCF Midwest, the one that just passed here a few weeks ago. And... Uh, uh, well, first I'll let the comments here. So she mentioned some of the other YouTubers she talked to and, and are in the video here. And you'll see Canadian Retro Things. Ken might have convinced me to buy a Coco 3. So that's always a good good sign when you're getting a big major YouTuber to want to buy a Coco 3. And if she's into Linux, the OSI is going to feel, you know, like second home almost. And I can and, tell you uh, for certainty that she has a line on a Coco 3. Cool. Uh, but I thought it, she actually interviews Ken just briefly to kind of introduce himself here. So I thought I'd play a little clip here. Um, and you should, she popped by Ken's tables a few times during this video. So I think she 
she is a bit, a bit enamored with it. So good to hear that, Sloopy. So I'll play a little bit of that, but you can definitely check it out. It's kind of a good coverage of some of the stuff at VCF in general, but I'll just highlight the Cocoa stuff here. So great. It's one of only a dozen. Oh, hey there. I am Ken from Canadian Retro Things and also the Cocoa Nation podcast. Okay. For some reason, you're blurry. It's just me naturally. This is my absolutely <laughs> bone stock. Anyway, uh, good good to see a bit of humor there going to and, and Ken getting around and getting to know some of the other big YouTubers at uh, at VCF. I will have to try to get to VCF at some point here myself. It looks like a lot of fun. And the show was so much bigger this year from what I've seen from everybody who's been there and, and all the videos that come out, everybody's saying how much bigger the show was. You didn't, and Sleepy, I think you mentioned that as well. Yeah, you didn't show the picture of her with me. Where is it in there? I remember seeing it. I just never highlighted it. It's towards the end when she was okay. doing the uh, photo bombs. Because here's her going through Ken's display. Right. The Coco one, two, and three. Close to the end. Right there. Oh, there we are. You look so stern. That's because she was trying to go for um, a photo bomb in. the picture like a someone taking a selfie and she was doing a photo bomb behind them oh okay yeah it's a good video so it's, it's one of the better ones i've seen for coverage because she gets into some of the the more technical details i think some people are just going around basically looking like what can i pick up for free and what what did i buy here and she goes more to the technical side of things absolutely yeah, we she, might have to get her on to coco tech sometime yeah she was actually uh using a um a, a uh, sony mavica camera Oh, that's right. Yeah, like one of the old, old ones, old digital yeah. cameras. One Blue David Lamb. <laughs> yeah, the one that uses a floppy for storage. And here's a rather famous one when they were doing the the Six Five Two song. So you had a few people in there. Taylor Namer, of course. Uh, Jerry Ellsworth, Veronica. Ah, uh, shoot, I forgot her name. The other one, the fifth one. Amy. One beside Jerry. Amy. Her name's Amy too. No, her name's just Amy. Oh, okay. And then uh, Ken, unfortunately, he's not here because he's attending another show right now, but uh, he's starting to do his first video. This is the part one, as you can see, labeled on the bottom of the screen here. And this is a Coco 2 that I acquired from a guy named Shane locally here in Saskatoon. He was a heavy OS9er back in the day. So his Coco 2 is pretty tricked out. A composite video, 256K JRAM, or... Uh, 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 what's the name of the company? Why am I blanking it right now? Basically, it has 256K RAM upgrade board on it. Plus, he also had a WordPack 80 on it. So he had 80 columns come out of his Coco, 256K RAM, and hooked up to a couple of, you know, giant full-height Tandy drives. But uh, he was running OS9 level one on this beast. So Ken's going through it because I he had the same problem I did. Um he managed to fix the uh, composite because the composite was kicking out the color all the time and going back to black and white, which I wasn't sure. I thought maybe Shane had did that on purpose because, I mean, he was doing programming. That's what he was doing. He wasn't a game player, really. So he might have done that to make it easier to read, you know, the 32-column screen or even doing graphical screens because he had OPAC as well, you know, the Frank Hogg 51 by 24, you know, graphic screen text uh, driver. But he also had the WordPack 80 card, which would plug into a separate monitor anyway. So not sure if he would use that too much. But Ken got that working, and now he's working on uh, trying to get the uh, bank switcher to work. 
because right now you can get 64K to work. The first two 32K banks works fine. But when you try to do memory tests on the other ones, it doesn't even find them. Not that the RAM fails. It can't even find them. And Ken, at the end of this video, thinks he might have found the problem. It looks like some caps or something might have leaked um, on, the, on the 256K board. And uh, it might have you know screwed a few things up there. So his follow-up video is going to be trying to get the 226K fully working. There's some demo programs and RAM test programs that are included with the, the banker. And uh, one of them, I think, gave you 100 and some odd P-Mode three or four screens you can page flip between. Just loading up the RAM like crazy. So definitely uh, we'll, we'll check out the follow-up video. And when Ken's back, he can kind of go through everything that he's discovered on it so far. He's got a lot more hardware to go through too. Uh, next after that, uh, TBJB Chris did his final Septandi uh, Tech, and that stands for Tandy Educational uh, Connection. So that was him covering over the past four episodes. This is the fourth one of uh, Tandy's stuff for, for education. Most of it has been covering the network controllers, of which the Network 2 actually worked on the Coco 1 as well. It does not work in the Coco 2 or the Coco 3. The Network 3 was supposed to work on the Coco, and that's not a cassette-based system. Um, and it was even advertised in some of the earlier catalogs and flyers as being Cocoa compatible. But as far as everybody can tell, no Cocoa stuff was actually released for it. So uh, that was kind of a pie in the sky thing. But then this one here, he just starts to go through educational software in general. So I'll play a little bit of the intro. I won't play everything he does because he does a fair bit of Model 1 and 3 stuff and he's doing like math stuff. But he does cover like Ernie's magic shapes. He covers color logo, the first version of logo in the Cocoa. Um, which was the turtle graphics language that um, the Coco had a bit of a unique slant on it. The first version of logo on the Coco did not have a lot of the things like lists and stuff that some of the more advanced ones did. So it was kind of crippled. It's a logo language, but it had this uh, kind of hotkey turtle drawing keys. And you had the one of those overlays that went over the chiclet keyboard to explain what directions you were doing. Um, but you could actually just tap keys if you're a really young kid and you can't understand programming at all, but you could understand if I hit the eight key, it goes up or something like that and draws upwards that you could actually could do drawing and stuff as a very young child. And it, strangely enough, for not having strings and not having lists and stuff like that, that a lot of the other ones like Apple logo and stuff did, it did have support for multiple turtles, up to 256 of them, which was far beyond any other logo implementation on any machine at the time. So we had run really advanced part in our color logo, and then we had a bunch of stuff that was kind of behind. Now, Tandy ended up releasing three different versions of logo for the Coco between 1982 and 1985. So this is the original color logo that he showed here. And then the same authors came out with Super Logo, which kind of fixed a lot of the missing stuff. Um, so it added in the lists and string support and other things. And then uh, Dale Lear did one under OS 9 called DL Logo for Dale Lear Logo where he added a ton of stuff to it. And actually, I had never really played with it because Logo didn't really appeal to me back in the day. And I didn't realize that DL Logo had, A, a really fast graphics engine, so it drew quite quickly, much faster than BASIC does. It supported the sound speech pack. It supported multi-voice music through the regular um, speaker as well, the 6-bit DAC. It supported the uh, XPad graphics tablet, one of the very few programs I know of that actually supported it to, to, at a high level. Um. Uh, what else did it support? Uh, well, it added all the missing stuff like strings and stuff, so it actually had a quite a bit of advanced uh, logo stuff in the language itself, including stuff past the original specs. Um, but yeah, there's there's a ton of stuff in there, and the, and the manual is like 150 pages or something like that. There's a lot of cool stuff in it. 
But anyway, I'll play a little bit of the intro here. You can kind of get an idea what this tell tech thing was about. And uh, then I'll go on the next story. Hey, everyone. TJB Chris here. It's the fourth and final part in my Septandy series, TJB Chris's Tandy Education Connection, where I've been focusing on the educational offerings among Tandy Radio Shack computers, particularly the early 1980s and the TRS-80 era. Tonight, I'm going to be focusing on something a little less technically fun, but also very important and relevant as we're focusing on the software tonight. Why have a network where you can distribute classroom software around a classroom if you don't know what kind of software you're distributing over it? And tonight, we're going to talk about some software for the TRS-80 Model 3 and 1 and 3 line, which we're going to demonstrate on the 3 here. We're actually going to use the Network 3 to run that software because some of it actually does make use of the Network 3 a little bit. And then we're going to bring in a special guest, my Color Computer 2, running some educational software for children. The Color Computer was used in the classroom back in the day. You'll know from my previous videos that the original Color Computer was actually compatible with the Network 2 here. However, even after the Color Computer's time passed in the classroom, it was still very much offered as an educational tool to parents. And a lot of educational software came with instructions and guides for parents in terms of working with their children with the software and what they should expect with it. So, anyway, that kind of gives you an idea what he's what he's covering there. Um, it's it's quite extensive. Uh, there's some pretty cool stuff on on the Model One and Threes as well as on the Coco. And uh, I now myself personally, like none of our schools here had Cocos in them. I had one school that had a one Model One off in the corner, tucked away. Most of it was Apple II stuff and later IBM. Did any of you get lucky enough to be involved with schools that actually had Cocos? Nope. No, no but I have a Coco that was in a school. It's a model yeah, like I've, I've heard from some people that did. Like they had entire classrooms of like 20 Cocos and stuff. And I'm yeah, going, geez, I wish I went York. to your school. <laughs> yeah. Um, my high school in the computer lit classroom, they had several coco twos with cassettes and one coco three that had an fd 502 drive but otherwise that was the only coco that had a floppy drive was the coco three my school had a teletype <laughs> you're you're dating yourself there rick you know you're <laughs> old rick <laughs> i started with a pet in school that was the first thing i ever used that was a little bit beyond the teletype but it was before the coco ever existed so yeah, you know, the libraries in my degrees. school system had Apple twos, though. Yeah, what were you saying, Bob? My school had like three or four Model threes, and everybody was assigned a floppy disk, and we had to turn it into the teacher at the end of the class. Mm. Couldn't even take our discs home. Yep, the Apple two. The first year we had the Apple twos. That's what we had to do too. The pet, we just you had to type stuff in. There was such a simple course for the the pet there that you just had to type in like a 10 line program the teacher would come over and watch it run and then she'd shut it off and bring the next kid in they have to type in the, you know their version of the program and my teletype days they made you punch the tape at the end of your session and bring it back next week and read it back in so about half of your computer time was reading the stupid tape back in <laughs> i'm kind of glad i missed those years I don't know if I'd be that nostalgic for it. <laughs> you didn't have cards? You didn't have a box of cards? Oh, no, the, the 33 ASR used to roll a paper tape. Oh. My wife, uh, baud. My wife took computing in school, and it was uh, she had a, uh, a stack of cards at the end of the course. And, and if they ran it through the machine and it worked, you know, she got a grade. 
I was just waiting for one of you to say that you used a, a stone tablet, maybe an abacus. Okay, next up, Geek with Social Skills, who's actually been active in our Discord lately, too, uh, released a Subtandy video here of doing the 512K upgrade. So he actually installs the board and he peels off the old 120K sticker. And I think these are Mark Marlette's 512K. I know a few people made them over the years uh, so that the badge will actually match the interior. Because Tandy never made a 512K badge, even though they sold the 512K upgrades, which always struck me as a bit odd. Uh, but I guess you know, on the Coco Three, they were trying to make things as cheap as possible, so why bother replacing it, right? But definitely go check out his video, and uh, he's actually planning on doing some further upgrades now that some Tandy's over, like uh, getting a six three nine in there, and, and you know, trying out some stuff that requires six three nine, like I don't know, maybe Gunstar or something like that. Was that a good enough plug, Nick? Yeah, that was fine. <laughs> actually, that's what you need for your um, checks in the mail for your. Your tech talk show have someone doing a uh, six three oh nine upgrade, yeah, like actually desoldering it and and putting in the a new one. Slippy's going to be our guy. But what's the website you can get uh, Gunstar from? <laughs> can be no one cares dot com. No, I'm just kidding. From www dot blah blah blah. Not <laughs> Now, also part of Septandi, uh, Dave Veery, Mr. Dave Six Three Hundred Nine in the chat has been working on a spread engine. And last week we demonstrated one where he was just basically had a black background, which you can kind of cheat if you want to get sprites running on there because you can literally just paste the thing right over top without having to do any masking. So I kind of said to him, I said you should make a video where you're actually showing the background mask because the routine's actually supported. You just didn't have anything drawn. Um, because then it kind of proves it's real sprite masking style thing. And that's what he did here. So he's got double buffered transparent background sprites. So he's got um, you know, background that stays static. He's got a couple characters moving around, he's got a couple of objects that are moving around, and you can switch between which is in the foreground, which is in the background. So I'll play not the whole thing, but I'll play a little bit here. Now, I will mention this current routine is using the 6309 because he's got some fairly large sprites in there. But he hasn't fully optimized it yet. In fact, him and I were just talking, I think, last night. We figured out a way to speed it up even on the 6809 by about 10%, um, the equivalent here. So it should be pretty close to the speed on the 6809 as well. And he's got some pretty large sprites. I think uh, some of them were 72 high by 48 wide or something like that. So they're they're pretty decent sized ones. Sprites or, or pixies? What's that? <laughs> What's that, Nick? Sprites or, sprites or pixies? Sprites, damn it. I will <laughs> die on that hill. <laughs> Just because it's it's so common in use now, it's it's impossible. It's like not calling, you know, tissue paper Kleenex. It's just so ingrained in now, It's you know, there's no point in trying to change the, the wording. That's right, yeah. Oak. So he actually has hot toggles here where you can actually change which sprites are foreground and background to each other while it's running. So you can you know, have stuff run in front that it ran behind before. But it's, it's just kind of cool. And this is the type of techniques that Nick uses. He uses the double buffering and you know laying stuff over top of each other. Um, except your, your engine's a little bit more advanced at this point, but uh, and much simpler to program for. A different one, yeah. Yeah. 
But just to show you, show you now, one I will mention one thing that Dave is planning on doing is once he gets this tweaked and optimized, which is still being worked on, and he gets the six eight oh nine version running at a decent clip too, is that he's going to be revealing or releasing these as routines you can call from basic, which means if you draw some sprites in there, like animation frames, like you've seen on the running, I think it's a fox or something in the girl, um, you can actually call these from basic instead of doing H puts and it'll do the background foreground masking and stuff for you within these routines. I don't know if he's going to make them USR routines or if he's going to make it just exec certain addresses for certain things that you poke values into a couple of places, like what sprite do you want? What frame are you doing? Where is it on the screen? But you should be able to use routines at this speed that you're seeing here in your own basic games. And that, that might've been partly inspired by, I'm trying to remember who was trying to make that Superman game. Now I'm blanking on his name. We've shown it a few times on the show. He was trying Graphic Express and a few other things. Because um, that may be a, a type of engine that he would be able to use to do this kind of stuff. So look for some more future videos, too, uh, from Dave, and also the public release of the routines to be called from Basic. Uh, next up, Justin D. Morgan. Now, Sloopy and I have talked about it, him before. So he was doing his third time as a charm, repair charm for his uh, Septandi, trying to get uh, his Cocoa 2 fixed and upgraded. Now, this... He had a complete utter failure on the last one where it didn't, he replaced the 5x5 timer chip, didn't change a darn thing. He still had that big yellow bar going through the active graphics. And the 6309, he thought he ordered turned out to be a 6809 because he ordered, checked the wrong box when he ordered it. So he had a <laughs> basic 609 chip. Sloopy fixed him up, I think it was Sloopy, wasn't it? Did he fix him up with the 6309? Uh, yes. And then he uh, replaced some capacitors and stuff that are involved with the timing circuitry for the uh, color burst. Now, not a to complete success, though. The yellow bar, which was quite wide on the original videos he's done on part two and part one, is very narrow. It's on the far left side. So it did improve it quite a bit. He probably used to play with the cap value a little bit, as some people in the chat were suggesting. But it's off the play area now. Um. And then his 6-9 worked perfectly fine. He And he was lucky. His, he's got an older Cocoa 2, so it's already socketed. There's no soldering. He just unplugged the old chip, plugged the new one in, you're done. And he ran Cocoa STC Explorer and a bunch of things. He didn't run any 6-9 specific software because he spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to fix the white or the yellow bar to see if he can completely eliminate it. And he was also playing between the composite mod that's kind of janky that he had in there before and then switching to RF with a TV he found um, just to see, you know, is the white or is the yellow bar different between those two situations? Anyway, if you want to see a, a long form video with troubleshooting technical stuff, kind of sounds like our new show. Um, here you go. It's three plus hours of him going through stuff. Now he tends to be uh, a bit more distracted by the chat than even us, which is saying a lot. So, I mean, this, this show does, you know, sometimes slow down at times when he's busy interacting with the chat, as opposed to actually getting, you know, soldering or whatever stuff done, which is kind of why he we want to try to person. mix things up. What's that? He is a solo person, though. He doesn't yeah, have no, exactly. A, a uh, that's one of the reasons we want to have maybe two subjects at once when it's doing a Harbor Project and a moderator so that you can kind of keep yep. things moving a bit here. But uh, if you want to learn by example, this is this is a good video to watch, I think. And he subscribed to me, so I have to subscribe to him back here probably later today. I just noticed that this morning. Next up, Daniel O'Connor uh, actually has a screenshot. Now, her Septandi project is to finish her, as she's calling it, the Coco D, um, which is basically a Coco 3, including the SDC and the monitor, all in, put into a Model 3 or 4 case, keyboard and all, as you can see in the pictures here. 
And uh, she wanted also to get a Pong thing from Nick or from whoever at the time there, but it's going to be part of her new album that's being created partly by the Coco as well. And here she's got a shot showing her SDC and the uh, Coco keyboard. The Coco's internally inside of here, this color monitor and showing a version of the uh, Pong game. Now, the new Pong game that you did, Nick, and uh, Richard Ke- Richards, are those both in color now? Uh, mine is. Uh, mine is. Uh, Richards isn't. His, he, oh, he kept, kept the, the, black, the white? black and white, yeah. Okay. He's got some other screen, or she's got some other screenshots here. So she's got, uh, you know, a fractal showing in this particular picture and things as the SDC Explorer. Yeah, SDC Explorer too. So it's not quite done yet. She's got a little bit more on the electronic side. And this was posted a few days ago. So I don't know if she's got it finished by now. But that was her September project. This one here, I won't play too much of this. So this is uh, This Week in Retro, which is normally run by Neil of. Um, the cave as it's known he's actually got his own computer museum that's interactive with the public in in the uk where he lives and it's pretty extensive and he's one of those you know majorly successful youtubers has tens of thousands of viewers or 100,000 or whatever it is um and Bo- john bodokar schaller on the amigos actually helped co-create the show this week in retro where they kind of cover general retro for all kinds of stuff and uh this one here the one that was just released this morning is covering a bit of septandy now, one thing I want to mention, I'm not going to play the whole clip here because it goes through a lot of stuff. And, and none of the guys that host the show had much familiarity with Tandy stuff because Tandy stuff, there was Tandy stores in the UK, but because everything was imported, the prices were so high that nobody bought it, basically, like very few people. Most people bought Dragons instead if they wanted to get Cocoa type stuff, for example, because they were way cheaper than the Tandy one. Um, now, one of the hosts, uh, co-host, um, not the one pictured at the moment, he's from the, or Scotland, I think, actually, but the other one guy's from Australia, and he doesn't remember seeing Coco's or Tandy's stores much at all. So I was going to ask Nick, were, were Tandy's in Australia kind of isolated to certain areas, like I know in no, Canada and the States? They, they were pretty well everywhere, uh, mainly in shopping centers. Okay, so, so maybe he was in a smaller town or something? Yeah, he might have been more in a rural area. I don't know, but I it, generally in the cities, it was always in a shopping center or a mall, a mall as you guys call it. Yeah. So wait, one thing they've asked the they, they have a th- they have a weekly thing on their subreddit, and if you go to the show notes yep. on Discord, you'll see the links for it. But basically, they are asking people to talk about their experiences with Tandy's, and this could be Tandy One Thousands, Coco's, Tearsy Mall One Threes, whatever. Um. And and also kind of like, you know, what kind of stuff you really were into it, uh, why you're still into it, if you are type thing. And I, I wouldn't mind seeing some of us or some of our viewers, you know, popping out of the subreddit and actually doing it because they don't know much about Tandy's at all because they never really saw them. They grew up with Spectrums and, um, you know, later on Amigas. I mean, the only American based computer that really took off in the UK to any great extent was probably the VIC-20 and Commodore 64. Most of the others did not really make much of a dent at all. And same with the opposite. When they tried to sell, you know, Timex ZX81s and Timex Sinclairs in the States, it, with all the import fees and taxes and stuff, it just became too expensive. And they were flops here, too. So they hit the same problem. Same with the Dragon when it came here. I mean, it did not do well here either. Um, So I would like to educate them, I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> what, what the Coco and some other stuff is capable of doing. So um, definitely check out the Discord uh in the show notes for the show and i've got a link directly to their subreddit if you want to go and and pump in some uh comments 
And you can watch episode two. I mean, they cover multiple subjects, but that was one that covered Subtandi and the kind of the history of Subtandi and and what they know about the Tandy computers from their their perspectives. And there's the actual subreddit there. So it's reddit.com slash r slash this week in retro. For the audio listeners. This was kind of cool. I wasn't expecting to see this. So a person named Dylan Tegan or Tegan, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Uh, posted some photos on the MC10 group on Facebook uh, showing a two-port multi-pack for the Alice. And uh, going through the specs for it, this is for the Alice 4K, which is basically the MC10 clone, as well as the Alice 32K and the, or 32 and the 90. So it works with all the ones with the fancier, you know, upgrade video and stuff later on, and the original. And I actually went through onto the original poster that they had a link to on the forum, and there's more pictures there. But basically... This is a two-port multi-pack with two joystick ports built in and a special ROM card socket for game cartridges that works on all three of the Alice models and theoretically should work in the MC10 as well. And now, one problem here is that the, some of the people that are really more knowledgeable hardware that looked at this uh, said basically this is not compatible with either the Coco or the MC10 128K upgrade. And it's not compatible with the MCX32 SD for the MC10, which is pretty well the must-have for MC10s these days, kind of like the Coco SDC is which is a bit disappointing. But I thought I'd show you some uh, slightly better pictures here. So um, this is the actual thing right here where it plugs in and there's a second port over. There's a sample cartridge to go into the port and plugged in there to show you what that looks like. Here's one of the joystick ports. So it looks like it's just using nine pin. That's a standard Atari style, isn't it? Could be. Bit of the interior. This is all in French, so I can't read it. <laughs> but yeah, I, mean, I thought it was pretty interesting. I've never heard of anybody trying to do a multi-pack for the MC10 before, even if it is just a two-slot. And of course, because this was originally written or made for the Alice, it's all in red to match the Alice case, which I thought was cool as well. So yeah, I mean, once again, the MC10 slash Alice is, you know, they've had a ton of new software coming out. The MCX-128, the MCX-32SD have both been pretty popular upgrades uh, hardware-wise. And now we've got another one that adds joystick support and special ROM cartridge support and multiple ones of them. So a lot of so, cool stuff happening there. So this is indicating that the expansion port is backwards from what we're using, where the fingers are on the motherboard and the expansion things have the socket. So this is a two slot, and the two slots are the male fingers on the back, but expansion things. I don't have an MC10, so I can't even really tell you. I'm from the, some of the people well, on, on the panel here. On that... the Alice, it's, it seems like this is the way this is going. That's the way the ZX81 is done. There's yeah. the, the fingers on this, because they're on the motherboard. And then the cartridges all have, uh, uh, you know, the sockets. sockets. So, yeah. Yeah. Because I couldn't figure out how that was a two a two slot multi pack, but now I have. Yeah. Out the top and then out the back. I'll mention uh, Tim Gilbert's on the previous story that this week in retro talking about the the Septandi stuff there, and I, I forgot to mention this because I actually caught that too when I was watching it this morning. At least on the show, they recognized the dragon was a cousin and not a clone, both based on the Motorola reference design. Um, I bought my Coco Graphics book back in the day at Tandy, so the Cocos were round, and I knew some somehow they were close. 
Um, and then well, we found catalogs actually because uh, UK Tandies were actually selling third-party software. Like you can get Speed Racer, which was by Mitchtron here. Never showed foot in a Tandy store in North America or Australia for that matter. And it was sold in the UK right in the catalog. So they did do things a bit differently. And, and they also sold Dragon software in the Tandy stores because, you know, you it's basically the same program if it's joystick controlled. Uh, he did, and, and Tim goes also mentioned they did men suggest that the Coco was the trash eighty, and that's that's not. I don't know what your guys' view on that is. I, I never viewed the Coco as part of the trash eighty moniker. Whether you view that as a a slight or whether you viewed that as a cutesy name, it was always a completely separate entity. We didn't have a Z eighty, so the bottle one was the trash eighty because it had its RAM and an expansion box and all these other goofy things, and it really was kind of. Temperamental, aka <laughs> yeah. Crash eighty, eccentric. Yes, that's it. Yes, and and the keyboard with that uh, non-working debounce thing was kind of handy for key repeat when you least expected it. Hey, they got it right with the Model Three. I understand yeah. the Model Three was solid. They fixed it, yeah. and after compatible. It's disparaging. Yeah, that's the way I viewed it. It was it was like a slam. It was like a crapple or a commie sixty four or all the other things, you know, the schoolyard taunts we all did to each other type commode. things. So. Commode doors. Commode, commode sixty four. Yeah, come on. Yeah. So yeah, I, I for me, I, I mean, some people didn't like the Coco name because it was too cutesy too, but I preferred it way better than ADC, which is something we discussed on uh, the Chronologic Gaming because we was going through the ads. In the July 82 rainbow, and that's when the big rage was going on. What are you going to nickname the computer? Because nobody wants to say TRS-80 color computer every time you talk about it. And Dave Lagerquist at Chromas had already created the Coco, which Rainbow really liked and Lonnie really liked at the beginning. And then they got a ton of letters complaining. No, it should be an ADC. That sounds like a kid's toy or something stupid. And then, you know, two months later, everybody wrote in saying, I hate ADC because we're not a Z80. What the heck do we want with that? You know, we're Coco. That's much more of a friendly name like an Apple is, you know, type thing. So they went back and forth for months. And finally, it's kind of standardized in Coco, but it took about a year. And the issue of Rainbow he was going through was right in the middle of that war where it wasn't known what the heck the nickname was going to be. And my final story here, which is another MC10 one. Uh, Johan Kormann, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, has been writing an MC10 emulator on a Spectrum. And he's got his first beta out, so you can act. And now I'm guessing this is probably going to be a bit slow if you're running on real hardware. Uh, if you're running an emulator, you can overclock. I imagine it would work good. I know uh, Todd Wallace or Dragon was actually working on an, a Nintendo emulator on the uh, Coco Three. That same thing, you know, it it it'll work, but it's really slow unless you're running an emulator and you're overclocking and living crap out of it. So it's more like a tech demo that you could do it. It's not practical. Even with the Gimme X, it's not practical. And I'm guessing this is probably the same. I've not seen it run, so I can't say for sure. But if you're running an MC10 emulator on a real Spectrum, I imagine it'd be slow. But he's got actually got a beta, so if any of you wants to try that, either you have Spectrum emulators or you have a real Spectrum, I'd be kind of curious how this, how this is run and how compatible it is. Which uh, Spectrum? Um, it might, it might probably, run on a uh, 4 megahertz Spectrum. One of the lighter ones, maybe. Or the Spectrum 2 Plus, which is like a modern FPGA version. Overclock wow, yeah, crap, or Spectrum 3 or whatever it's called. Didn't the last Spectrums have a 4 megahertz Z80 or something in it? Or 
I know they added the sound chip because the original spectrums were just one bit yeah. sound, and then they added the oh, AY. Yeah, and more RAM because the original ones I think had sixteen K or something, and they made them all forty eight. So it may be possible. Hey Curtis, breaking uh, news! Yeah, Jim Gary just said he finished the MC ten version of Dragon Master. Oh, I don't even know what that is. I don't either. <laughs> But it's done. <laughs> Jim, uh, send me a note and I'll make sure it's on next week. And that's the well, news. If he tells you now, oh, <laughs> too late. <laughs> now I've got two cats whining at me now, so I think I have to feed them soon before they revolt. And what you got, Mark? Eat my cables. ZX. Oh, Z. This is my ZX81 that I built in a, with a kit with my dad in like 1983. 81. ZX81. ZX81. I built it in 83. Yeah, I know. It's built 81 in, in, in the UK. It, it yeah. took up some time. Much we ordered it out of time. popular science. Well, it was a, $99. It was right. a uh, successor to the ZX80. Right. Yeah, yep. which came out in 1980 in the UK. I remember the ads for the ZX81. They never left any hands or anything near it, so you couldn't tell how tiny it was. <laughs> just a picture of the pile of parts on the desk or the finished ones they only sold these as a kit for like about six or nine months and then they only sold right. the completed ones well they didn't have SEC for a long time yeah so you could buy the unassembled kit but you could not buy an assembled zx81 because it wasn't approved and yeah. the, the best kits had the uhf modulator instead of vhf so yeah unfortunately this was vhf yeah, There's no printer major. port on there, is there? Yeah, uh, technically back. it is. Oh, yeah. it is? On, on the back, they have a printer with a pass-through connector. Yeah. Hmm. Huh. Printed out four-inch wide thermal paper. The, the, the well, side cars the, were rear cars. <laughs> the first ones were um, like a aluminum oxide, and they had oh, a little yeah, wire yeah. that slides right. back and forth. And then the later ones were thermal with a white paper. And I had one of each. I think I know where the thermal one is. Okay. Anyway, yeah, this is the one I know is a kit because I dropped a fan on it and the four keys got a little divot in it, but it still works. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, Tim right. Gilbert's uh, mentioned that the Spectrum Next, which is a modern remake of Spectrum, actually runs at like 28 megahertz. So that might run the MC10 at speed. Forgot about that one. Well, all right, that's, that's all I got, guys. Anything else? Hallelujah. This concludes another episode of The Coco Nation, the world's leading live interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things The Coco Nation, visit us on the web at thecoconation.com. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback suggestions, even segments via email to show at thecoconation.com. The Coco Nation Show would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. The Coco Nation theme song copyright 2022 D. Bruce Moore. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. The Coco Nation is over. Join us on the Coco Discord server. Coco forever.